episode of How To Wrestling was requested by our best pal, Heron, one of our backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. Joe, I'm very happy to announce that this episode of How To Wrestling is sponsored by one of the coolest and most forward-thinking promotions that's going today, Riptide Wrestling! They've got dozens of free matches over on their YouTube channel. We just checked out Jimmy Havoc versus Keith Lee versus Matt Riddle. Yep, seriously. In a super wild tables match. And it was free. I think this is so cool because like, even if you're familiar with the current scene, there is so much gold to uncover on their channel. Like, I never expected to see these three gentlemen together in a match happening in the UK, happening so recently, and it's been there under my nose all along. And honestly, search through their YouTube channel, you will find so many gems of this caliber. A perfect match with three totally different shades of hunk. And it's official, Keith Lee is the hunkiest man in wrestling. <laughs> you heard it here first. So if you like our little podcast, you will love what Riptide Wrestling is all about. Search Riptide Wrestling on YouTube for loads of free content, matches and more, or head on over to watchriptide.com for their full on-demand service. It's time for How to Edge. Eee! <laughs> Greetings, friends, and welcome to the episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And you may think you know him, but we're going to spend a long time talking about him anyway. Today's episode is all about the rated R superstar. It's Edge. Hello, once again. It's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin, man, joining you here on this cutting edge edition of How To Wrestling alongside my better half, the ever-curious and learning Joe Graham. Hello. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm very good, thank you. I'm really excited to cover age. So I'm in a bit of a difficult position and situation here with this episode because I do other podcasts called the Attitude Podcast. Really? I do, yeah, I know. I may have mentioned it once or twice, but I may have mentioned this podcast on that podcast once or twice as well, so it evens out. I don't think so. But, <laughs> but I, I call Edge Egg a lot, and mm. that's mainly as a joke at Adam Bibolo's kind of expense, you mm. know? However, if I don't make reference to him as, as Edge here, people might think I've gone soft. Mm. You know, I'd be very, very soft. I bet there'd be some way people would blame me for it. Yeah, oh, that's Joe Graham. Beforehand, Kevin used to call him Egg all the time. And now he never does. With her liberal values. <laughs> Now, if, on the other hand, I'm like, you know, straight up here, like, you know, this talent got poached from the Indies, like, and then he was involved in a championship scramble, I, I don't want to go, I don't want to go too hard. Mm. And I, I, apropos of nothing, Joe, the situation I find myself with Edge right now in his mm. name is quite similar to the situation when preparing many eggs, mm. uh, scrambled eggs particularly, mm. in that I don't want it to go too soft or too hard. Right, yeah, yeah. And you at home, you may have a preference for how hard or how soft or cooked. Or... Some of you at home, the podcast you want is equivalent of some sort of a warm custard. Mm. That's not scrambled egg. That's not hard enough, and that's that's certainly too hard. So I'm I'm gonna have to be very careful. I will I will I have called him egg in my notes many times. <laughs> 
Well, similarly, I think, you know, you've got to be in the right mood for, for calling him egg. Yeah, that's very true. Just like eating eggs. It is Thursday egg today. Mm, so fried egg. I think if we did it on fried egg, it might have been a little bit difficult. I just thought right at the start, before we even mention who this wrestler is, and those of you who are wondering, who is this man? Why are they talking about eggs? That there was just some requisite, you know, world building to get out of the way first. Can we at least get explained why you call him Egg? Is it just literally because his name sounds a little bit like Egg? So you may or may have noticed if you're a listener of this podcast that I enjoy a bit of wordplay. Mm. And I also enjoy things that in some respects with a long conversation could resemble wordplay. Right. uh, Because I have not yet quite reached the level of puns like, say, Sam Chaplin. Mm. So a lot of my wordplay is very stupid. Mm -hmm. And during... The Adshira podcast where I have to recite, we go into a lot of detail on the matches, the people in them, the, you know, the actual moves in the matches, a lot more kind of actual commentary, I guess. And I get bored when I'm taking notes. Mm. So I would do things like write down crisp bacon oh, instead of crisp Benoit. So this is just you doing a shopping list. This, this is, is what being... Kevin does when he writes a shopping list. He'll write down the most obscure things, expecting me to be able to translate. Well, as if you're doing the shopping on my behalf. <laughs> Sometimes I am. It's not Wait, unheard of. What have I what have I written on this list that's so obscure? I'm trying to think, but you've definitely I think you've written edge before instead of eggs. Oh well, I mean that that's to be expected. Yeah. Like. There's been some more obscure ones, definitely. There's been several occasions where I've had to go, Kevin, what are you actually talking about here? Uh, other examples include Crisp Jericho, Walkers to the Ring. Yeah. You know, so once I got into that level, you know, when when Edge started coming around and I like eggs, like, I mean that's yeah. just, that's that's a shoot like straight up. I started making reference to his name being like Egg, and it made Adam go, stop it! So I did it more. Right. I've referred to this man as having a soft, yoky tummy, uh, winning matches. Not anymore. Not anymore. So I just thought I'd get this all out of the way now. I may intermittently refer to him as this. I just didn't want to start off this podcast talking about how great this guy is, and then randomly call him an egg. And people who are like listening for the first time are like, the fuck is that? What type of egg would he be? Oh, mm, mm. This is difficult for me to say because like I've I've got a long history with 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 Edge. Mm. Edge is one of the few wrestlers now who we've done an episode on who I grew up with yeah. as a kid, saw him as an adult, could had a period of time to reflect on him as being a retired wrestler as a more old adult. And now I'm sitting here in 2020, the year of our Lord, about to watch his, his return unfold. So, yeah, I mean, he's a guy I pretty much have grown up with. And I only realized this when we started this episode, when the amount of tweets that had come in and kind of really, like, underscored how much people had grown up with him. Mm. And I realized I was one of those people. So he's kind of one of the all-time classics. So he's got to be, like, a straight-up fried egg, like, done really well with a runny yolk. Maybe it's unfair to make him just be one type of egg, because he's yeah. had so many gimmicks and, like, phases and stuff. Maybe it depends on what point of his career he's in. And he's versatile he as well. versatile, yeah. That's the thing. Some mornings I might be in the mood for just a plain, soft-boiled egg. Mm. Brackets, edge, face run, 2002. Yeah. Other times I might be going for a decadent, indulgent, this is really all about me, egg scrambled brackets yeah. heel run with Vicky Guerrero 2011 right, you yeah, know yeah. it's not for everyone it's a bit rich yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I think there's a bit of edge for everyone he is as versatile a performer an athlete as the titular protein based animal product that we've spent far too long talking about at this point now <laughs> are we saying that the whole episode is not going to be just talking about eggs it's not I will however at some point in the future when we're doing cooking stuff and that mm. is something we are working on a separate separate project there will be a whole thing about eggs. So don't worry, I folks. There will be a whole thing about edge. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, this ain't podcast ain't about me and what I think about this guy. We've spent a couple of weeks now watching Edge, watching the life and career of Adam Copeland. This is an episode which was not planned to be coming out now, or it wasn't in the uh, in the, the viewfinder, let's just say. No, we, we do plan episodes quite far in advance, because obviously we work with our illustrator, Dan, who mm. can take between like a week and two weeks to do episode artwork, because he puts a lot of love and care into each episode's artwork, and we want to get it right, because, you know, it's important to us. It's, it's, it's a huge, huge part of it. It really yeah. is, like, and it's, it's one of the things I'm most proud of with the podcast, and it's not even something I I do so <laughs> that says a lot that the thing I'm not even that involved with is one of the things I'm most proud of but like the the research for this show and you know these episodes it starts with that artwork you know it's, it starts with the feelings that this performer or this concept or this thing from wrestling brings up it's about how we kind of explain that to Dan who has zero wrestling knowledge yeah. and also me trying to explain it to you who has limited you know exposure and not to spoil things for you so it gets my wheels turning it's your wheels yeah. turning and it gets most importantly the artist's wheels turning so yeah we're usually quite a few we're like four or five episodes in advance usually yeah and when we decided to do Edge as an upcoming episode we had actually planned three other episodes to, to go before yes and we had to completely reschedule we're like okay we're gonna push them all back we'll do them another time we're going to do Edge as a priority. Why is that then, Joe? Because he made his big return. Edge is back with his big chin and his daddy eyes and his crotch bulge and his rippling six-pack. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm uh, not threatened at all by the physique <laughs> of Edge. That's, like, just your opinion, man, you know? So that's fine. Are you going to deliberately try and, like, go back into teaching so you get a bit grayer? Yeah, that's what I'm going to deliberately, like, <laughs> massively increase my stress levels, yeah. like, you know? So I'll get a couple of them gray streaks in you know there's a fine line between being sexy and being dead in this world unfortunately <laughs> so i aim to tread that line carefully it's safe to say that on more than a few occasions in our history of watching wrestling for this podcast that big old returns have went down like a fucking rainy parade full of damp farts mm. i think back to sting when he oh, came out God. in survivor series and i felt really bad about that because then <laughs> seth rollins retired him he like yeah. permanently injured and him and i was like i don't give a jo- shit Joseph's who this like, is. shrug emoji over who? here <laughs> that was the first time where i realized that the magic of a wrestler returning was not the given and like for me, like for me, like you could you could fill a rest and show it returns was always my thought, and that that was kind of like mm. the best thing. A return was amazing because just the fact that the crowd reacts, it's someone that's unexpected. Even if you didn't know the story in the context of the little bit, you know this is surely going to be exciting enough and shaking it up enough. Like it's the NWO coming out of WrestleMania. What the fuck? Ah! <laughs> you know I, all of these things, which I assumed. Like, in my heart of hearts, uh, with a view to, like, oh, yeah, non-fans, surely everyone would understand this. Like, Paul Heyman, we said in the ECW episode, would always switch the lights off on a big show and make sure there was someone comes out, just because that surprise is, like, life in wrestling. Mm. But I think, honestly, Edge's return seems to be the first and only time where a wrestler who you didn't really know came back Mm. and you immediately were like, okay. I get it. <laughs> and I think, I think there's a few reasons why that is. So I think one of the reasons is I've been a wrestling fan longer now yeah. than previous returns. Do you understand the importance of the return? As yeah. yeah. Like I'm trying to think what the most recent return was like before Edge. I mean, you had like returns like Rey Mysterio when he was away for yeah. a little bit. You know, we had like a Samoa Joe come back when he was injured for a little bit. I mean, we had... But it's not really the same though as someone who's retired. Daniel Bryan, I guess? I mean, Daniel Bryan yeah. was, was definitely the closest. I'm going to try and draw too many parallels because I feel like 
there are so many parallels yeah. drawing them will just kind of dilute both men's stories down but you certainly in terms of you thinking that someone's like there's a difference in return where it's like oh they're gone for a few weeks yeah or a few months even or a, oh, year. Even a year yeah but it's like your career's over in the ring tears we've all been through all that and it's really emotional now you were you were through that with daniel bryan you get to see the retirement and whatnot and you get to see the effect it had on me at least i mean i didn't yeah i mean i i wasn't a daniel bryan fan when it happened i only knew of him through you being a big fan yeah. so it didn't have the impact on me that like you know it would have done on you yeah but i could still tell oh he's a very gifted wrestler everyone likes him very much and now he's not able to wrestle anymore and that's very sad so the return obviously then it was a big deal yeah it was a big deal and also he was even though he retired, he was he continued to be a character on yeah, the show. So I true. was like, I I got I grew to know his character actually more after his retirement than before. I think you've been pointing out to us on some early early episodes that you had less than favorable things to say about the Edge and Christian show that oh totally reached God. the awesomeness. I yeah, I don't remember what I said, but I I am I'm pretty sure I was scathing. So to say that you had any sort of like an appreciation for Edge or like you know, before his return here. I, is it safe to say you hadn't seen much of him before Yeah, that? not really. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I saw clips from the Edge and Christian show that totally reeks of awesomeness. And we watched him and Mick Foley. I think I showed you that at one yeah. point. Yeah, and I thought that Edge had a, go- a good look, mm-hmm. like a cool look. And I've seen him in like compilation videos of him like jumping from ladders and stuff. Like He's always <laughs> doing impressive jumps Yeah, yeah. and things. But I think, well, yeah, one of the reasons his return was so effective was because he just cut this amazing promo and he looks so unlike every other wrestler. Because mm. when he came out, there was, I mean, he didn't even, you know, he returned in a Royal Rumble. So yeah. before he got to do any speaking, he just came out, he did a few spots. In, oh, why, like, why was it, why did it connect with you? I'm trying to figure this out. Like. I don't know, it's, it's hard to argue because like anything I could say about him, I'm pretty sure someone else could argue about Sting. <laughs> like That's he came true. out he looked really cool and unique and different the crowd freaked out the crowd freaked out like really freaked out but and... is there something I mean I think of Sting when he came out and the, the Sting character is very stoic yeah. quiet you know mysterious mysterious but I, one thing I wanted to say about Edge and I think we'll probably say this a thousand times in this episode and it's one of the reasons why I think it connected with you and all the fans who were waiting for his return and all the fans who wouldn't even assume there was a return and even the fans who didn't even know who he was at all is it's all in the eyes. Mm. Uh, we've talked before about the eyes being really important uh, in in wrestling. As Razor Ramon once said, while paraphr- well, as Razor Ramon once said, while directly lifting from Scarface, the eyes, Chico, they never lie. Which means it's all here in the performers in those in those eyes. And I think yeah. Edge is one of the most facially expressive performers ever in wrestling. And then when he came back and you saw the look in his eyes. It pretty much told the story of a man who had spent 10 years wanting to do this that you didn't even know. Yeah, I feel like when he came back, his character was so obvious. Like, it was just, he came in and I was like, oh, I see immediately who you are supposed to be. Whereas with Sting, I didn't understand who he was supposed to be. He was this guy in face paint, this old man. Sting was meant to be who he was meant to be, like, yeah. 10 years prior and even 20 years prior. He was meant to be that character you remembered when you were growing up. And, of course, I didn't remember him, yeah. didn't know him, so it meant nothing to me. But Edge didn't, you know, dye his hair, you know, pale straw blonde and shave off the beard and get, you know, Botox. Yeah. He wasn't trying to make you think he was what he was from all the fabulous clips and matches we've watched for this. He was... 
an old veteran yeah. coming back to get back in the saddle. And I don't know if it's just the grey or the fact that he had that kind of fucking weathered look about him. I got very strong Witcher, Geralt yeah, vibes off of him. definitely. Is it just that he happened to strike a real chord with the pop culture at the moment? Because we're all appreciating grey hunks? Could well be. I mean, I genuinely <laughs> think there aren't many older guys in wrestling who are like... And I don't want to sound really shallow... But forgive me for a second, I'm going to sound really shallow. Oh my god. There's not many older guys in wrestling who are super duper hot. Like, you've got like, what? There are many older guys in wrestling, full stop. I mean, yeah, that exactly. But like, the ones you do think of, it's like, what? The Undertaker, Goldberg, Triple H. They're all people, though, who are men, you're talking about men in their late 40s and early 50s who are trying to look like they're in their early 30s. Yeah. There's no one who's owning the brand of an old guy in wrestling. But also, I think it's important to make the distinction that all of those people... That they're all trying to impress men. Yeah. Edge. Men who were once boys. Men who once boys. Whereas... <laughs> it's the target demo for, <laughs> right there. It's Saudi princes, men who were boys. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think Edge, he realises that his appeal is not just like to men. It's, it's to everyone. Mm-hmm. Like everyone just loves Edge. Yeah. He's a bit of eye candy. And he's lent into that even though he's an older guy. And I think a lot of older guys don't do the whole, I'm a bit of a sex icon when they're like in their 40s and beyond. Yeah. So it's it's just really cool seeing like this hot buff old guy like fucking being awesome. It's, it's just really cool. Yeah, you've, you've often said you wanted to see a variety of, of body shapes yeah. and wrestling and, and, and body types. And I think, you know, you look at a fighting game, you know, any, any Street Fighter tech and you pick something like that, you're going to get Hayabushi in there. You're going to get an old man. Like, you mm. know, you're, you're going to get a variety of shapes and sizes and, yeah. and ages. And I think as long as it's safe, it's great to see someone who's older in wrestling and own that. Like, the little streak of grey goes a long way. So cool. So immediately there was intrigue with Edge. And, like, as soon as you had kind of reacted to that, my mind just started turning thinking, like, what are you going to think about the very, very different phases of this man's career? Because mm. we spent a lot of time recently talking about people who've had careers that have spanned a long, long time, like Terry Funk and Bret Hart and, you know, uh, Ric Flair. I would hazard to say that Rick, Terry Funk, Bret Hart, even though they changed between good guy and bad guy, the nature of their character didn't change very much. Yeah, they're always pretty much the same gimmick. Same guy, mm-hmm. you know, same values, just maybe things have changed a little bit, but this, you know who they are. Edge has been so many things. He has been a vampire. Yeah, vampire. What, like a valley boy? Uh, valley boy, which is basically like, dude, where's my car, essentially. Yeah. I don't know if valley boy works like like valley girl, but gag me with a spoon. He was one of those. Sexy heel. A, a, a sexualized sexy heel. Yeah. Rated or superstar. Also fiery young up and comer. Friend, you know, idolized Hulk Hogan is going to be the next top guy. You know, real blue chip, you know, blue eyes, white dragon baby face. He has been the most evil Machiavellian ultimate opportunist like chess master 10 moves in advance you know, like he has been a boy toy he's been a boy toy as well he has been all of the, and he's also been like kind of the older mentor figure all of this like in kayfabe on on camera he has been so many different things he has been a kind character he's been a mysterious character very often he's been a complete goofy character he has been one of the funniest silliest I, i've shown joe so many segments where i was like i just want to show you this because this this makes me laugh 
Yeah, I just want to show you this. No context because it makes me laugh. It's funny and it'll make you laugh too. And then the stuff where like I'm going to show you this because it'll give you goosebumps because this man's going to do something really heinous and then look in the camera and give you those fucking eyes. <laughs> Have we seen as diverse a performer as this on this show ever? I don't know. I mean, Mick Foley, I guess, springs to mind. I don't know if that's... Those are very defined different characters with different names. This is still Edge all the time. Yeah, that's the thing. It's... You can't really compare Mick Foley to Edge. And especially because, like, Mick Foley, as we said in the Mick Foley episode, he often did all these characters around the same time. Like, there was a lot of overlap when he would do them. Whereas Edge was very much, you know, started with this gimmick, then moved on to this gimmick, then this one, then this one, then this one. He never did them all at the same time. He had phases. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Edge is one of these guys that... And I think this happened with Kurt Angle as well. He's one of these people that even us as fans took for granted. Yeah. Like, yeah, Vince McMahon, surprise, surprise, takes wrestlers for granted all the time. Particularly yeah. people like Edge or like the workhorses. This is the guy who'd be a multiple time world champion, was you know main event of of the show, whatever show he was on. Very much like Kurt Angle. It was like, oh, SmackDown needs a top guy. Over you go, Edge. Oh, Raw needs a top guy. Back you go, Edge. Like He was between brands constantly wow. all the time. And there is an issue, I think, where fans will kind of take those performers for granted because we've had a lot of people praise Edge, but I think the diversity of the of his performance and the diversity of his character... Like, people don't say Edge, one of the most diverse performers ever. They just say Edge is, like, great, you know? But that's a real important part of who he is because we may get a little bit of whiplash here going between all these different characters as we go through his career. Hmm. Now, I will say at the get-go, we will talk a little bit about Edge and Christian, but we are going to be doing a separate christian episode and a separate edge and christian episode so we have kind of looked at some edge and christian stuff for illustrative purposes but i didn't feel particularly good looking at like loads of matches where edge is one of six or eight people yeah say this is all about edge's career because i feel that talks more about the tag team and the scene than edge himself yeah so we decided to go and look at wwe's documentary that this was a bit of a weird one. This is, you think you know me, the story of the Rated R Superstar. It is up on the documentary section in the network, although it is very difficult to find. It's not like listed normally like the rest of the docs. That's really weird because you'd think with his return, they'd make a big push. And... I think with his return, there's definitely a new documentary that's right, being made. Right, I see. And as we speak in March 2020, probably been hastily remade. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I wanted to ask you from the get-go what you thought of generally of the tone of this documentary and... If you could explain for folks when this documentary would have been made. So, this documentary would have been made in 2012, which is a couple of years after Edge retired. It's like a year and a half, yeah, thereabouts. okay. And we've watched a lot of documentaries for How To Wrestling. You know, we try to watch documentaries wherever they are. Mm. Like, for each episode, we try and see if there's anything out there. Because it's a nice way of kind of just seeing the whole story. Yeah. From the perspective of a company. It's always good to have the giant asterisk there floating. Like, yeah. Because we'll, we'll always want to tell you which documentary we're watching and try and bear that in mind. I think Rick was really interesting because you could see so many different perspectives from the different yeah. docs and like Brett as well. But this is very much a WWE perspective, I guess. It should be noted. And I, I enjoyed the documentary. It was interesting. There was some little nuggets that were very fascinating. And it was, de- it was definitely educational and useful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad we watched it. But I think as far as the documentaries we've watched for this podcast, it's one of the worst. The tone of this is, whoa, God, it's all over the, the place. The pacing as well. It's so, I mean, I realise Edge, as we say, he's had a lot of different gimmicks, a lot of different storylines. You know, he's been a tag team wrestler and a single star. Mm. It is hard to summarise a career like that into a nice, neat little narrative. 
but it just felt so strange. And one of the reasons it feels strange is we're watching Edge at the moment, you know, on Raw. We're seeing him in empty arenas at the moment currently, so we're seeing a lot of Edge promo work straight to the camera. And he looks, you know, again, we're going to talk about how great he looks. He looks really great, though. He, he looks, looks fantastic, yeah. He looks invigorated. He looks like he's got a fire in him. Yeah. And we see for roughly a third of this documentary, they do the thing where it's like there's a bit about the story of his career. And then let's go back to Edge currently. And usually when they do this, it's like in the 365 things we saw with Kevin Owens, where it's like, we'll see him on the day of a big event, but then we'll go back and look at different points in the past. Now, Edge is retired at this point, so we keep cutting forward to Edge retired, looking so tired. It made me think of the documentary we watched for Eric Bischoff. Because in that, you have Eric Bischoff, like modern day Eric Bischoff. You know, he's a bit older. He's retired on his fly fishing mountain. Sorry, I'm one of these, uh, some of these uh, Buffalo Bill Wild Cody beers. Uh, <laughs> damn, that's really good. But uh, yeah, there was a particularly grey area in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and with Eric Bischoff, because he's not a wrestler... And because he's not a wrestling fan, especially. By his own admission, yeah. <laughs> you had him kind of, you know, retired from the industry, really happy, out in the woods, you know, living in nature, living his best life. And they very much made it from the perspective of like, yeah, he's doing great now and he's really happy that he's not in the business anymore. And they kind of tried to do the same thing with Edge, where he was like out in the forest or in the mountaintops or whatever, and he was just like exercising using like it was one point where he was carrying around a wheelbarrow of bricks yeah and uh, he was like yeah it's great i love being retired you know it's fantastic i'm so happy and- he says at least four <laughs> times in this documentary that he's really happy that he's yeah. retired and at one point he's like i was probably gonna retire anyway like you know which <laughs> i know they he had said he was thinking about winding his career down but what i think is really strange about this documentary and it's worth bearing in mind this whole return this whole career was that he was really one of the first people where it was just literally hand on the shoulder, you're done. That's it, you're done. Right. You know, and kind of when Daniel Bryan and this, that stuff happened with him, it felt like that Edge was like the original person where it's just like, no, no return, no, no like winding down, you're just done. Yeah. And give me the belt, you're done. That's it. And end of your career. And Edge's reaction to that was not like Bryan's where it seemed like he was distraught. It's just like, I'm done. Right. See ya. You know, and I think a lot of fans have not really had a chance to process the, the last 10 years that he wasn't wrestling because the way in which he left was so kind of resolute. And also here, just throughout the documentary, he is so, like, hammering that shit home that he's so happy that he's retired. And you just see it in his eyes. He looks so tired. Yeah. And so beat up. And I'm in a weird mind because it feels like he is really upset, but it feels like he can't say it because he's really fortunate, he's really lucky that he's managed to step away from his career when he did. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of a weird tone hangs over this as a result of it. It must be difficult, I think, as a wrestler to... Because you, you've got to stay positive, obviously. You can't just be like, oh, doom and gloom and everything. But, like, genuinely, if you're a wrestling fan and a wrestler, I, I can't imagine how hard it must be to be told, you have to stop now, you have to retire. Like, And I, yeah. I love the fact that Daniel Bryan was very vocal and honest about how... It depressed him. It like it, genuinely so, affected him really badly. He didn't have much of a say in the matter, given the total Bellas was filming, in face you know, day, yeah. on his face all the time. I think Edge has got his his moments here set to like a day or two of filming in his yeah. mountain retreat and all that. But it, there is a tinge of sadness, I think, to this documentary. Definitely, yeah. You know, it, it's it's it tries to make this out to be a triumphant story, but you can't help but feel that there is sadness there, which kind of makes this return all the sweeter in in its yeah. own right. So interesting as we start off with this. We've talked a lot about the different characters in wrestling and, you know, X, Y, and Z is just X, Y, and Z with the volume turned way up. He says right at the start, I've never introduced myself as Edge. 
I'm Adam Copeland. The two very, very separate indeed. Mm. Now, Ed, was he a character who struck you as like, here's my personal life, here is business side of things? Like, th- does he seem to have a clear distinction between his character? And him as a person, do you think? I mean, it's impossible for me to say because I don't know him. Mm. Like, I mean, I must say he is one of the few wrestlers whose name I knew. Like, uh, at, about the same time as I've learned the, the character's name. Like, I've, I've known he's called Adam Copeland for about five years. That's very really interesting. I don't what know is that? How, I don't know how I know that. I just, I know it. Yeah. <laughs> interesting. Whereas, like, a lot of wrestlers who I am actually a big fan of and have followed their careers quite closely, I didn't know their, their real names at all until we covered them for an episode. Right, right, right. Interesting that. I always love, like, the fact that the characters who seem to be able to put up that barrier between them and their character, I guess, the performers, I should say, those seem to have a little bit more, like, long-term mental stability is that the right way to say because i do think like people like rick flair and bret hart and some of those people who let the kind of the actual business of wrestling and the stories that were happening in wrestling like really impact themselves as a person and then let what impact themselves as a person then you know come out into the character and it it feels like when you watch like rick flair and eric bischoff stuff that it's like really like this isn't healthy i feel it's because when you're a lot of wrestlers base their characters on like an exaggerated version of themselves. But I think if you are literally basing this exaggerated version of yourself like on you mm. and it's got your name, I think it's very difficult to then distance yourself from your character and not to yeah. take things personally. And wrestling is one of those industries where, you know, opportunities get taken away from you mm. you know stuff stuff is unfair a lot of the time yeah. it's kind of there's no rhyme or reason to things it's kind of at the whim of those in charge and you know shit's gonna happen that you won't like and i think it's very easy if as i said your character is you to kind of go oh well you're rejecting me yeah rather than oh you don't need my character right now it's whether that the wrestler can actually kind of go oh you're rejecting me that hurts hang on a second i'm going to compartmentalize that feeling and use it in a promo in a week's time yeah. as opposed to someone who'll just start ripping shit up in a locker room or yeah. what, go on twitter and burn the whole world down well i think what you have with edge though is someone who may not make themselves the character but it has spent their entire life dreaming about what that character would be mm. because this is your quintessential 1980s super fan wrestling kid who Hasbro would have loved to get their hooks into he loved Kiss Star Wars WWF and hockey that is a fucking blue chip young kid right there in the <laughs> 80s and he was raised by a single mom as well yeah that was so cool they barely mentioned that in the documentary they kind of they brushed over it because they, they interview his mom and they just don't really mention his dad. Mm. And it wasn't until he did his promo this week on Raw that he, I realised, oh no, he, he definitely is. He's, he's got a single yeah. mom as a parent. That's really cool. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for him and her because we've mentioned before in previous episodes you know the struggle of a childhood fan of wrestling then wanting to go into the wrestling business you know we talked about you know gail kim being a fan and how her parents wanted her to be a doctor and they didn't want to be a wrestler rick flair his parents they didn't want him to be a wrestler we've got a lot of parents with means who were not supportive but what we have here now is a parent who was supportive who didn't have the means didn't have the means yeah and i can't even imagine how scary that must have been for her to go well you know i got to support my my family obviously and my child my little boy wants to do that as a job and like i want to support him and support his dreams because i'm his parent but that really <laughs> and it's so weird because i mean like i could even see parents these days you could look and see at least what wrestling is you could see all the the avenues for revenue like how hey your kid might not get signed to wwe but they might 
learn great entrepreneur skills and become yeah. a great independent wrestler. And you know, a, a lot of information about the wrestling industry now. It's a lot more open about how it all works. Yeah, I mean, in the eighties, you're sitting, you're watching Hogan and Andre, and you think your kid wants to get into that. And you mean, you know, wrestling is still, even though it's it's out in the open, that sports entertainment, it's still protected by kayfabe. It's not yeah. like when you know Terry Funk's time when he was trying to get you know when people were trying to get into wrestling, how secretive it was. But it wasn't necessarily secretive, but it was still kind of uh, and you know limited entry into that Definitely. special club of wrestling. And yeah. it is a time that was known as well, where and still is, I guess, to an extent, where people would pay money, get training in massive inverted commas, and not really have anything to show for it. And it it was yeah, not not the typical route. I think that's something that's really worth bearing in mind. I won't say like oh, it's typical now if you're someone who's watching, you want to become a wrestler. But back in those eighties days, like to actually take it beyond a daydream that's kind of scary like you know yeah. and her the mother seems to be so important in this because ed had a bit of a hard upbringing in many respects yeah he had an uncle who he idolized and i didn't know this he had an uncle who he idolized who was like a hockey phenom and he was actually had a tryout like for the national team he was going to be a big big star he's only 17 years old and he died tragically in a car accident oh that's so sad now I know what it's like to have kind of an older cousin or whatever who's like, you know, 10 years older than you type of thing and they seem like the coolest person in the world. And yeah. the idea of, of losing someone, such like a strong role model at that point in your life, it, that's got to be devastating. Yeah, like. I can't even imagine that. It must be so hard. But apparently the way he got through it, because he was, you know, grieving heavily, as you would, and WWF was, was how he coped. He would pop on the wrestling and watch that and live vicariously through Hulk Hogan. I think it never... It's always worth repeating how like important wrestling is as a tool in, the, in its most basic way that it can just bring joy. Yeah. You know, in, in hard times. Even not, Hulk Hogan. Even Hulk Hogan. Like, but this is the 80s before we knew he was a wrong one. Like, you know? mm. <laughs> Can't blame him. Still didn't make him a good wrestler. So here's something that's really brilliant. And I love this. That... You found out that his tag partner, Christian, mm. was a childhood pal. I can't get over this. It seems so fake. Like, I can't believe this is real. <laughs> Since they were like 12 years old. They said like sixth grade thereabouts. Yeah, sixth grade. They both met and they apparently both loved wrestling. And they were like, Wait, you like wrestling? I like wrestling. Let's be best friends. And I empathized greatly, Joanna, with the scenes of them talking about drawing all their different characters sitting at a lunch table providing commentary as older boys beat the shit out of each other. <laughs> you know, this was this is something I very much empathized with greatly. And like they, they say this in the documentary later, like William Regal he points it out. He says, when you see Edge and Christian, both of them, you're seeing people who have spent every waking moment of their adolescence planning for these eventualities. All the stories they thought yeah. of, all the little angles, all the moves, all the stuff that you're seeing, it's stuff that they've been talking about for years as they were kids who were fans and they were friends. And like that, a bond like that is really, really amazing and quite rare in wrestling as well. Yeah, I was going to say, has there ever been an instance of that happening? Like, just, such, just childhood friends. Such a long relationship. Like the closest I can think of to that is Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, who have been best friends since what, they were like 18? But they, were, they were friends after they had become wrestlers. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we, we've had examples of people who trained to become a wrestler and made friends in the wrestling school. And but they... not best friends first went into training together. Yeah, I mean, this is the purest fucking entry into wrestling ever we're talking yeah. about here, folks. Keep in mind, like, we had, like, Scott Hall episode, we have to talk about, like, a manslaughter charge before we got into him being a wrestling guy. It's like, <laughs> two best friends, they meet in sixth grade, now they're gonna become the tag team champs. It's so great. I, I feel like I say this, like, every episode, but, like, 
it would be such a great movie this like this yeah. there's so many good stories in wrestling that need to be told like uh, the scene here particularly where the two of them go to their local indie in toronto ontario canada there's like no one in the audience and they just go and they say to the promoter look we'll do anything we'll set up chairs we'll take tickets and the guy's like yeah fine you know Ring boys will have you have you to hand in case we need any any jobs being done. They hit intermission. Edge and Christian both each other glance from across the ring. They both slide in. They start doing <laughs> untrained. They start doing like some spots, big clotheslines. Christian went off the top rope. That's amazing. Uh, Christian said that apparently afterwards, one of the old guys in the audience was like, "You're better than the wrestlers." <laughs> now that is like such a scene from a movie. It's like, ridiculous. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I just I I can't stop thinking about how this would be like Bill and Ted yeah. in terms of like idiot boys but like adorable harmless idiot boys who just are wrestling fans they're harmless like and they just <laughs> they want to have a good time and they want to be their best it's just so heartwarming yeah it's nice to have a chat about what is essentially pure fandom yeah. you know there's very little dark sidedness here in this kind of chat about getting into wrestling and you think about like how like even the greatest wrestlers we've talked about in their entries into it have all like the standard route, like Ric Flair, you're a great athlete, you've got means, you're going to get trained by one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yeah. And it's like, fucking misery, like. Yeah. This, this is so much nicer. In high school, Edge was voted most likely to become WWF champion. That's so funny. I mean, that is that is pure and that is beautiful. Were you voted? Did you have a, an award ceremony at school? Uh, we did, yes. What were you voted? I got the gold medal for debating and the gold medal for English. Oh, so you didn't have like <laughs> most likely to blah, 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 blah. No. Oh, I see. I got voted most likely to live past 100. Oh, really? Yeah. I've oh, still got good. it upstairs in the loft. Still got it. Like, yeah. As long as you have that, you will live to be yeah. over 100. I mean, like. I assume these things come true because Edge was WF champion. Proof so. positive right there. Yeah. WrestleMania 6, which emanated from Toronto, the main event of which was Hulk Hogan versus the Ultimate Warrior. And Young Edge is in the crowd. I do love WWE anytime they manage to spot the fan in the yeah. crowd, you know. I really like to see, like, kind of slightly jaded-looking Kevin Owens in the crowd for WrestleMania 30, but seeing them as kids is just yeah. as good. Edge there with the big Hulk Hogan shirt on, and his mom talking about, like, how she basically, she got the tickets for it. it, was, like, choosing between, you know, like, food, rent, and WrestleMania. Yeah, she said she took the money out of their rent to see the wrestling, which... I gotta say, my first impulse was like, that's so irresponsible. Don't do that. Please, anyone listening at home, don't not pay rent to go see wrestling. I mean, the benefit is you can see wrestling for free on the internet now. That's true. Thank goodness. But back in the day, I mean, oh. And even when Edge is talking about it, he like he, he speaks about WrestleMania 6. He's like, the energy in this building. Yeah. And he talks about it like it's a sacred place. Now, here's one of the reasons why I love Edge, is that Edge understands every facet of this wrestling business and how to maximize every moment for emotion at wrestlemania 6 hulk hogan took on the ultimate warrior and hulk hogan lost to the ultimate warrior in a match that was meant to be at the time a passing of the torch as the new hero the ultimate warrior was going to take the place of the old hero hulk hogan who was going to go on and do some movies and stuff like that now when we do an ultimate warrior episode you'll find out why that was not necessarily the case but the ultimate warrior did beat hulk hogan on that occasion edge was the biggest hulkamaniac in the world and it's him in the audience he had to see his his, his hero lose 
I forget with who it was, but later on in his career, when Edge was a big nasty heel, he's like, I sat in the crowd and I watched my hero lose. And that was the moment I realized that hero worship is for children. (laughs) And that, you know, all the people who are expecting The Undertaker or John Cena to beat me, they're going to be like me. They were going to be like a chump and they're going to learn, like, I'm going to be doing a service for all these kids because they're going to learn to grow up. (laughs) And that, you know, that their heroes won't always win. I'm like, man, you're capitalizing on every little scrap of childhood trauma there is. Kudos. (laughs) there so Edge and Christian both shared a dream of getting into wrestling and of course wrestling training for for a single mom in the 80s is not an easy thing I would say if they take money out of their rent to go see a wrestling show I would imagine it would be literally impossible for them to afford to send him to wrestling school wrestling school is so expensive I mean it's still expensive and particularly if you want to go to like a legitimate wrestling school and the wrestling school that he did go to, Ron Hutchinson, who we actually spoke about recently on our Trish Revisited episode. Yeah. So, you know, long list of uh, very, very, very well-known alumni, a lot of which were, were from Canada. And they offered a contest, which was, this is so fucking made up. This Charlie and the Chocolate Factory-ass bullshit. This is incredible. It's so cool. I, I, I love this so much. They had a competition in the local paper, and it said that they would offer free training to anyone with the best essay on why they want to become a wrestler That's so, so brilliant. little edge wrestling fan you know for years 17 years young yeah on a you know with a single parent on a single income this is his opportunity to get into training so he he wrote his essay ron hutchinson said it wasn't the best essay he'd read but it was like the most passionate and he, i love that you can tell that yeah, you know <laughs> he could tell that edge genuinely loved and got wrestling which i think you know that's that's such an important thing to to note I mean if you're going to give out free training yeah I mean there's yeah I mean it, it's got to it can't just go on word count I guess you know? no and the sad thing is Christian didn't enter but like I suppose out of the two of them like I imagine I don't know Christian's situation but I don't know if he had a single parent like I'm not sure of that either but they kind of make it out that like Christian just kind of missed the deadline yeah. so to speak and there was a few times in this, like, where they talk about, you know, Christian didn't enter the contest, Christian didn't start training at the same time, you know, that Christian was just, like, a step or two behind Edge, that mm-hmm. Edge just had, not necessarily just because he had any necessary advantage or anything, that there was just this little bit extra, that forward momentum from him from the get-go, be it his drive, be it his circumstances, whatever it was, but he's age 17, he's getting wrestling training, and you know he gets to chat with it. His mom is brought in, there's not like some of the other folks who talked about where they have to keep it secret. And Ron's like... Yeah, it's really sweet, actually. I think this is the first instance of like a parent being actually involved in yeah, the wrestling fully training Fully consensually involved. Yeah, yeah, she was invited into Ron Hutchinson's office with Edge, and he sat them both down. He was like, look, you could starve. You'll probably be eating bread and water for days on end. Fucking hell. But he also has the caveat... Women will love him, though. <laughs> and I love that even from age 17, we could tell that Edge was going to be like, you know... A super hunk. A super hunk. And I'll tell you right now, Joe, of the very few girls and women who I knew who had watched wrestling back in the day, they fell into two categories that they'd watched as a kid. They were someone who liked the Hardy Boys and yeah. Leah, and they dressed like the Hardy Boys and Leah, or they were a normcore girl who didn't like wrestling but loved watching Edge and Christian <laughs> and how much their brother slash boyfriend slash friend slash whoever got really annoyed when they would be like, woo, Edge and Christian! <laughs> Bring those guys back out. So, yeah, hunks for heel heat they were, absolutely. That's so funny. So, the training is not remotely as harsh as some of the ones we've talked about recently. There's no fucking fire stairwell and smashing your face off concrete and, oh no, I've dropped Ricky Steamboat down the stairs. (laughs) 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 
WrestleMania 3 can't happen now. <laughs> but they're trading in a boxing ring. Yeah, I mean, it fucking sucks. I don't think there's been a single episode that we've done where the wrestling training bit hasn't been like... Oh, that was all right. That was nice, yeah. yeah. That was pleasant. No, it sucked. It always sucks. It's just one of the things about wrestling. You've got to train your body, and that means putting it through hell for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and months and months and months. So do you know like, what the difference between a boxing ring and a wrestling ring would be then? I didn't until we watched this documentary. So they explained that the boxing ring is often smaller, mm-hmm. and the ropes are much tighter, mm-hmm. which means that when you run because the they're ropes. not meant to be for running yeah. yeah, and they're not meant to be jumping off and bouncing off and stuff. So it means when you run the ropes, that typical training move that you do, both do it in a match, but also like you do a lot of it when you're training, it leaves bruises. And oh More my so goodness. than normal, I would say, yeah. yeah. And of course, well, the important thing about the boxing ring is that you don't have the protective mat usually oh underneath. i bet yeah it's probably not springy is it it's usually just the canvas with the boards, with the boards and yeah. the mechanism there just kind of hold everything in place so it it ain't nice to be taking bumps on but like there's no glamorous way to say it that wrestling training from the best of my understanding of it from the friends i know who've been involved in training and being trained it is mostly about the development of callousing yeah. and the kind of development of uh a thick skin both literally and figuratively yep. as it relates to taking these bumps apparently when Edge took his first bump so his mum was there as well like, again that's oh. so that's so sweet like there, I, there's not been any other wrestler where their parents were there while they took their first bump like that's so adorable I love it and I feel as well we should mention she was in this documentary yep. she was so happy to talk about his career proud as punch proud as punch yeah it's adorable but yeah she was there when he first took his bump and they had Ron Hutchinson in as well to say, like, you can always tell. And they always say this. They always say, I'll say those people I've just mentioned, they've yeah. all said to me on the first bump, we could tell. Yeah, you can tell if they're cut out to be a wrestler because they will get back up and they'll do it again. And they'll do it again and again and again, which is, of course, how you train your body to become a wrestler. And sure enough, Edge, he took his first bump and he knocked all the wind out of himself. He was dizzy for like a full two minutes. He couldn't really see properly. So he did get up. <laughs> but, but he did get up, yeah. It took him a while. And I do think that it, maybe it challenged the old adage of like, you can tell from their reaction to the first bump that that's going to be it. Because Edge reacted to the first bump like, this is the worst fucking thing ever. But he still got up and kept going. Yeah, I don't think it's about how you react to the bump. Because every everyone we've covered has said how much the first bump sucked. Like yeah. every like Gail Kim, who like took the border toss and said it was like falling into a bed full of feathers. You know, even she said her first bump was d- disgusting and horrible. Like I think it's just it, it always it's always gonna suck. Yeah, it's, it's inevitable, yeah. But it's you have to have that mental attitude of get back up and do it again. I'm gonna keep doing it until it doesn't suck anymore. He said the first bump made his eyes feel like they were gonna bulge out of his head. Yeah. And they had some of his like kind of colleagues who trained with them at the time and they're all said like, well, surprise, surprise, the general view from the fee paying portion of the audio from the fee paying portion of the class was that the lad who wrote a fucking essay to get here and now he's squirming when he takes a bump didn't have any business being here. And like they said straight up that like, you know, he was looked down upon and it was it was viewed that he was like given you know, an easy ride, so to speak. Which, obviously, you know, I think wrestling is all about trust. It's all, You're only as good as the level of trust that your opponent will, will give you and the trust that you feel in them. And like, I, I just kind of, that makes me a little bit feel uneasy, the fact that he would actually even have to have that kind of from yeah. the get-go, that it is a little bit of a poison chalice in some sense. Yay, free wrestling training, but also, yeah, you've got all the eyes on you. You'll probably be judged way more harshly. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we don't have to go into every episode of Tough Enough to know that people look down upon those who get any sort of a leg up. Yeah, For absolutely. better or for worse, you know? So he and Christian graduate. 
And this is adorable. They both go to the same college together. <sighs> so sweet. So adorable. And while they're at college, this is so funny. Edge apparently was very shy. It's hard to believe. Edge mm. was very introverted and shy. And he apparently had great trouble talking in front of people. So he decided to join up to student radio. Yeah, he got broadcasting was his actual degree in like, wow. media. And I think, wow. Such yeah. a good idea. Like, I think that attitude is so beneficial. And I mean, in all walks of life, absolutely. If you understand what your weaknesses are and you work on them, that's a great benefit. But especially in wrestling, if you are yeah. able to identify, oh, I'm not a good talker, I will do radio until I am good at it. And I'll, t- I'll tell you right now, I'm only doing what I'm doing now and all that because of student radio yeah. and I'll be forever grateful for the people at Flirt FM in NUI Galway for training me and for giving me a show and for giving me a platform and helped me like so much in so many ways and I would say anyone if you're thinking about getting interesting in any capacity and you're interested like student radio such a such a resource community radio as well you don't even need to be a student to be involved yeah. always looking for volunteers always happy to train you you'll learn so much and you'll gain so much in terms of confidence skills that you will be useful so many places but like for him to know that in you know early 90s to have that forward thinking to think if i'm going to get to the next level that yeah my speaking is going to be an issue and how many wrestlers have we talked about where the fact that they couldn't speak or unwilling to speak or felt a little bit about that like you know brad hart wasn't going to do broadcasting in in, you know he because he wouldn't even he just thought well i'm not good at talking so i'm not good at talk i think that shows the difference between someone who's a wrestling fan and someone who's grown up in the wrestling industry yeah there's definitely differences there yeah Yeah, like i think as a fan you're gonna watch you know matches with hulk hogan and go well he's a great talker but you know, I don't know if necessarily you'd go as far as to go, oh, but he's not a very good wrestler. But yeah. like, you you will probably go far enough to go, oh, the appeal of Hulk Hogan is his ability to cut an amazing promo. You hear people from Brett's generation, they're talking about being glued to the screen watching like Ed the Strangler Lewis do something really violent or whatever in the in the ring. But, you know, people like Ed and stuff, they're ta- they're all the clips they're talking about him as a kid and he's talking about watching the Hogan promos, yeah. the hype up. The, that's, that's what wrestling was. Like, he was looking to perform in the world of wrestling that he saw and was he grew up with. I think that's really important because I think as wrestling has went through different phases of it being more talking based and more kind of sports oriented or more kind of in ring based, it will have a knock on effect in terms of those who are growing up. If they're not seeing great promos on telly, those kids are probably less likely to want to be like the great promo person. I often think about the kids these days that you know, hey, you're not growing up watching a Mick Foley or a Terry Funk or, you know, seeing someone really off the wall like Sherry or something like that on TV every week. Hey, would would that affect the next generation? I think it can. I think it has. I think already we've got a generation of younger wrestlers who struggle on the mic, Mm. who are fantastically skilled in ring. But as soon as it comes time to cut a promo, they lack the charisma. Yeah. And I think it's a really hard thing. I think some people, you know, you're either born with it or you're not, but there's definitely things you can do to get better. Yeah. I just think it's really cool because we'd said in a previous episode, you know, modern day media is a great thing to do if you're interested, you know, you want to get a degree and then get interesting because you'll learn about Photoshop, yeah. basic video and audio editing. These are the tools that will help you be a successful wrestler on the indies and yeah, beyond. Yeah. So I just love, I love people who are hustlers and... When you're a hustler from that far back from the get-go, I think it's awesome. Because it's tough to hustle when you're in Edge's position. Because it's not like nowadays where there's lots of indies or like established indie groups or established paths or whatever it seems. In the early 90s, after you had had the big hype of Hogan in the 80s and then the downfall of wrestling after the steroids trial... 
He said there weren't even indie groups That's where so he was. Wild. That we'd have spot shows. Now, have you heard this term before? No, never. So yeah. So what a spot show, from what I could gather, seems to be that a lot of like independent wrestlers, mm-hmm. and I don't mean wrestlers for independent companies. I mean like almost freelancer wrestlers, like they are independent on their own. Deciding to work together to create a show mm. which doesn't really have any ongoing storyline or like or anything. Yeah. It's like a one-off show where they just have some matches. And generally speaking, they'll happen on a weekend. They'll try and like do like a matinee show so families can go to it. This is the type of thing where these shows, the bread and butter would be, hey, we got Road Warrior Hawk or Jimmy Superfly Snooker. Or we've got some, you know, person who's on the outs with WWF and WCW at the moment. Can you get a few local boys to fill out the matches and we'll do a main event with this guy or whatever? So, like, Edge, he didn't have the great experience, you know, like, say, Foley or Austin did, where they were, like, working in, you know, territories and learning from all these people. Instead, it was, you know, Edge would show up to some little local indie, he would wrestle his ass off, he said he had to spend around $70 or thereabouts to get his wrestling license, and then he'd get around $35 or $30 for actually wrestling. That's the whole wrestling license thing, I couldn't get my head around. Now, I guarantee you, Snooker, whoever would be who was running that, wouldn't be taking no $30 payday. No. But it's the idea that there was this whole little cottage industry of it. I mean, as bad as wrestling promoters are, always have been and always will be. Yeah. And I don't want to talk too much about COVID-19, but I saw some promoter who's like, guys, this is a time for wrestlers to start talking about reducing their rates. Fuck off, promoters. Oh my god. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of snakes out there, but it just goes to show you as well that, you know, a wrestler who decides to put together a show, essentially so that they can get a payday, yeah. and also take advantage of the fact that they're young kids who want to wrestle and make it, get experience, make a name for themselves. This type of shit, it still goes on to an extent, but I think it's horrible. Yeah, you know? it's nasty. Like, pain to wrestle. I mean, at least wrestlers who got paid in hot dogs and popcorn got hot dogs and popcorn. <laughs> Imagine if it's like, yeah, I'll give you some hot dogs, but you have to give me a bag of popcorn first. Like, <laughs> fuck that, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's I, I would be will, I'd be willing to make that trade. If I get hot dogs... For popcorn. But I have to give you popcorn, yeah. Yeah, that's but fine. would you give me hot dogs for popcorn? No. Yeah, I mean, that's nutritionally void is what that is, folks. So. Yeah. So yeah, these spot shows where it was just kind of gangs of mates coming together, but there were a lot of people from around this time, most of whose names made you laugh... Who went on to become names in their own right in wrestling, like Joey Legend, Johnny Swinger, Rhino, and Christian, who was Christian Cage at the time. Johnny Swinger. Johnny Swinger, baby. Johnny Swinger. Johnny Swinger. We're watching Boardwalk Empire, and he sounds very much <laughs> like a character on Nucky's team. Yo, Johnny Swinger, you take that shit back to Chicago. <laughs> he gets his first tryout in 1996, and Edge has wrestled in a few places in getting tryouts. He even got a tryout in WCW at the time wow. as well. Would you like to know his incredibly brilliant name he had at the time? What? Sexton Hardcastle. Oh, I've heard this before. Yeah. I didn't know it was his name. Yeah, Sexton Hardcastle. Who, where have I heard that? He he kind of casually mentioned it in the doc, like when him and Chris were talking about all the characters they had. But I, li- I liked that they kind of tried to skirt around the fact that he did wrestle, like, announced as Sexton Hardcastle a few times. It's a fantastic name. It's like a character out of Southpaw Regional Wrestling. <laughs> Sexton Hardcastle, he's there to make the ladies scream like, yeah. you know, he's there to make sure the ladies don't leave before the pancake breakfast is over, you know. <laughs> so he gets his first tryout in 1996 against veteran the stiff man Bob Holly, which he says goes really, really well. You know, everyone's really nice to him. He That's has, a, good. you know, people come up complimenting him. You know, it seems quite early on that he is kind of pegged as having something and that 
he has a look now it's interesting because like when he first signs up to ron hutchinson's training the first thing ron says is oh that guy's got a great look yeah like he he will be very marketable to be completely superficial for a, a moment Let's talk a little bit about the look of Ed. Now, obviously, it's changed over the years. I've mentioned the eyes. Yeah. Some other kind of trademarks to Edge's look. Could you describe that a little bit? What he looks like? So do you mean, like, current Edge? Or do you mean young Edge? I think kind of, like, stuff that's consistent about most of Edge's kind of career. Okay. Like, maybe physique and facial and whatnot. So he, most of his career, he's got this really long, shiny, blonde hair. Mm. And he's got a very large, expressive head. Very expressive. Like, I would I would equate his face to those Greek chorus masks. Oh my god, yes! Like, as in it's designed to be super expressive and to be seen from the back of an auditorium. His face reads so much. We've talked so much in this show about like how much we love people who mouth off with the ring and they talk and they say things. Yeah. It's like, yes, I love that. And Ed doesn't really mouth off that much in the ring, but his facials, everything he does, this is a man that before he does a devious little move, he'll lick his lips. <laughs> you know, he's the guy he'll kind of, you know, do the big breath, you know, when he's done something, you know, really, really death-defying. He just, he knows how to communicate using that face yeah. and you know a face shouldn't reach to the far reaches of a big arena but it absolutely does i think we first started watching this i was like i want to show you edge do something really horrible now let's show you do edge something really fun and like now let's watch edge be a victim and i show like <laughs> seth rollins trying to kill edge just so you can see <laughs> how expressive that face could be yeah i don't think there's anyone who can come close to those expressions oh like, yeah he's the absolute master yeah, of it he's he's so so good big boy he is a long boy. <laughs> long egg. Long egg. <laughs> it only took us an hour to get into long egg talk, finally. He's he's not, like, beefy. He's, he's not lanky, though. He's kind of lanky. He's got long garbage scooping arms. Yeah, he's got long limbs and a long body. And I guess he is tall, although I can't really tell how tall he is. He's taller than you think, though. He kind of looks to me like he's Baron Corbin height. Yeah, and all throughout my childhood, I was like, Edge, he is average height. Because in my mind, and I think often a lot of times with wrestling fans' mind, if you grow up with someone being kind of a cowardly figure, you instinctively make them kind of smaller in yeah. your head. And if someone is quite brave and does, you know, crazy things, you instinctively think they're a lot taller. I think most wrestling fans think that Edge is three inches shorter and Chris Jericho is three inches taller than they actually yeah. are. <laughs> and I think as well, because... Edge, during most of his career, I'm not including his current return because he's completely differently shaped now than he used to be, he wasn't very muscular. Like, mm. obviously, he's he's very fit. He'd be like kind of but... more defined, but he wouldn't be someone who'd be, like, bulky, let's no, just say. No, definitely not. Like, he's not got massive muscle definition and, like, you know, 3% fat, you know. In the Attitude it's... Era, he would have looked like a slimmer wrestler. Yeah, definitely. But nowadays, he looks like, you know, probably one of the more hench yeah. fellows. That well, especially... Have. Because, I mean, he's he's put on a lot of mass. Yeah, he's gotten big. He's a big, muscular dude now. The goatee. <laughs> he's got a lovely little grey goatee. I love it. He, at one point, went through a period of dying at purple. Oh. Yeah. What, like, Billy Connolly? Oh, okay. He did that as well. Maybe it was an ode to him. Uh, goatee's not usually your favourite thing. No. Uh, you've made it very clear that I can't have a soul patch or a goatee or this relationship will be, will be finito. Yeah. You dig? But Edge, I think, pulls it off. It's because of the chin. 
the chin of Edge. It's a fu- it's a, we mentioned a lot about the facials thing. It all goes in there. It makes the smile seem more Cheshire Cat. Yeah. It makes the frowns and the glowers seem more like evil. I don't know what it is. He's got a very majestic chin. It's a lovely chin. It's a it's a great fucking look. And it kind of confused me as a kid why people why girls were so into Edge. Mm. It really did because I was like, he's an idiot. Yeah. Like, you know, his character was an idiot. Let's just say. Like he's obviously a moron. Why? Why is he attractive? And I, I understand now. <laughs> Idiot boys are sometimes very hot, Kevin. It is like it's as true. in there's a. I think men don't get that because like a lot of men are into stupid women. Yes. Especially like you know blonde ditzy stupid women. The nineties kind of bimbo, yeah. uh, chic thing went a bit. It it works for men as well. It though. absolutely <laughs> works for men as well. Like I had such a big crush on this guy Alex in my school who was such an idiot was he a ditzy blonde like, he was uh, such a ditzy blonde and he was so so thick and yeah i had such a big crush on him well i wonder if we're past the point now where like hair color indicates like you know entire personality as it did back then sorry i didn't mean to imply that blonde people there's anything wrong with blonde oh no of people, course you know? yeah. I, I think the whole thing is so stupid yeah right? it is so stupid yeah <laughs> it, it doesn't matter who you are you can you all can be idiots yeah <laughs> <laughs> so he has a positive tryout but I th- he doesn't go into it here. They just kind of like he says a trial goes well, and then he kind of disappears for a bit. But I think what it seems to be is I don't remember I told you. I think we did our silly characters episode for a live show that there was a period in like ninety five, ninety six where Vince McMahon just wanted like silly, goofy characters, and that's where we got like T L Hopper, the plumber, or we got the goon, the hockey player, and stuff like that. And the garbage man. The garbage. Yeah, exactly. We got a. Duke the Dumpster Drosy. Uh-oh, the garbage man. So yeah, there's a lot of silly gimmicks at the time. And I wondered, just from the way that they said, he got over really well here. Great tryout. Everyone wanted him to be there. And then it's like, then I decided to go away for two years. I wondered if that was because he would have been offered one of those shitty gimmicks. Like the kind of custodian type gimmicks. And that's why he said, no, I think I'll... Because Chris Jericho was offered to be like one of those silly gimmicks. I totally misinterpreted this. So, hang on. He got signed to WWE and then just left for No, he years. didn't get signed. He he had his tryout and then he heard nothing back. Like, he went off to Calgary for a year then to train with so Brett. So, they didn't, they didn't get in touch with him? They didn't sign him? They or? don't say here. They, they kind of, like, just imply that he went off to do his own thing. But what I my figuring from that was if he had a good tryout, they would have then said to him, right, here's an offer. But the offer at the time invariably would have been, well, you're a young guy, so you're going to be one of these stupid gimmicks. Yeah. Just to kind of, so, I don't know, psycho Sid has someone to beat next week. Yeah. And I wondered if he saw that and thought, nah, I'll go and do my own thing for a little bit. It's, it's just interesting that he doesn't seem to want to say why <laughs> he didn't go with them hmm, after that, that trial. That is interesting. I don't know, because him being a fan, I would have thought he'd be happy for to do anything. Any job-based gimmick you thought that Edge could have excelled in at the time? What, like jobber-based gimmick? <laughs> no, as in you know, a gimmick that is based, like oh, all that's based on a job. That's based on a job, yeah. Milkman. Ooh, Milkman. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Come to have sex with all your wives. <laughs> Oh, I think he can work as an ice cream man as well. There's some yeah. like, image in your head, young edge, gives you a scoop, and then he gives you that smile. Ooh, yeah. What's wrong? You're a heel. Boo. <laughs> Stay away from my boy, you know? <laughs> I can't wait for I can't wait for the righteous psycho Sid to beat up this ice cream man. <laughs> but like again, more hustling, more smart stuff. What do you do in nineteen eighty six if you're kind of spinning your wheels, you want to get better, but you don't know exactly what to do? He saves up all of his money, he goes to Calgary and he trains with Brett the Hitman Hart and the the family up in, in 
up in up in stampede wrestling for a little spell. So what year would have this been around? Nineteen ninety six, maybe. Wow, okay, yeah. So Brett would have been like kind of top guy in the company yeah, at the time. Big deal. I imagine that must have been very expensive. And, and Brett just says like outright in this documentary, he's like, Edge came down, he was great, and I was like, I'm gonna go ring him straight away and tell him to hire you. I don't know why they haven't hired you. You know, and that that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I appreciate. The fact that Brett at the time was so heavily involved still, it seems, in the training of the next generation. And, like, I love the fact that Brett appreciated Edge's style because, like, at the time, like, the only person I can really think of whose Edge's style really reminds me of from, like, that era is Shawn Michaels. Yeah. A little bit of own heart, I would say, too, as well. Yeah, but it's definitely not that sort of... That Bret Hart style of like technical no. mat based wrestling. He's not a submission guy. No. He's a high flyer though, but a high flyer from the mid nineties, so he's not gonna be jumping off springboards or doing moonsaults and stuff, but it's gonna be a fast like I think he had the pace of people like Owen and Brett, mm. but maybe some of the more flashy offense that you would have seen from a Shawn Michaels. So I mean, yeah, again, I, something that I think because he's so heavy associated with being a WWE guy, and hey, it's not the coolest thing in the world to start praising the WWE style or you know that I think Edge is one of the most refined versions of that wwe catches catch can style that sports entertainment style that stops short of incorporating real sports and mma yeah because i think it's very easy these days oh sorry very easy but like there is an appeal to incorporate mma jiu-jitsu stuff like that interesting you see it with daniel bryan you see it with like all sorts of wrestlers now and it's kind of it's almost expected there's like mma people who train you know styles in the performance center yeah for that very reason. So yeah, I kind of feel that Edge is like the end game for the regular catches cat stand skill tree that doesn't bring in any of the other uh, <laughs> of the MMA or Japanese. Like, you want to look at Edge and go, oh yeah, strong style. Yeah. Like, he's done some of the European style. This is American style wrestling, yeah. a thousand million percent. It's fake fighting style. <laughs> yes. It's like no pretense that it's real, but it kind of has some of the energy of a real fight. Oh, like yeah, some of the weight and impact. The weight and impact, yeah. It kind of it feels real without looking real. <laughs> yeah, I won't be busting out the edge of Matic or the downward spiral in a real fight, but I'll cheer when I see them in a wrestling match. <laughs> so yeah, he gets, you know, this kind of routine where he trains for a little bit up in Calgary. Then he goes on some tours. So he'll go down to California and places like that. Not a world traveler. Doesn't go to Japan. Doesn't go to Mexico. Doesn't go to Europe. It's an entirely North American based odyssey for Edge. Which I think, again, is really interesting. Because I feel I feel into the trap of thinking that you have to be a world traveler to have a breadth of experience in yeah. wrestling. And again, it's it's maybe more focused his style. But it's still, still amazing. Really odd here. He gets a call when he's in Canada. And he's like, right, I want to bring you down for the tryout. And JR says, yeah, we're going to give you a tryout. Come down here, and it's going to be you in the ring. Want we'll to have a look at you, see you wrestle. Now, usually, you know, when they do tryouts, how do you think they did them back in the day? How the tryouts usually happened? I imagine they had to come in, run the ropes a few times, take a few bumps, do a few moves, cut a promo or two. I mean, they'll usually do a bit of that, and then if you're lucky, you'll get before the actual, you'll get a dark match before the main show starts to say before Raw or SmackDown right. or whatever it would have been. You'll have a match against an established guy. So you'll wrestle someone who's considered to be a good hand, who can take you through the format of a usual match for TV. And they'll watch it in the back and they'll kind of critique it and all that. Edge didn't get that the second time around. What Edge got was, come up to Connecticut, come to our facility, no cameras, no audience, and go in the ring and wrestle Michael P.S. Hayes. An old man who's like one of the producers and agents and uh, is known to be a racist. Oh. So, odd that. Yeah. I mean... 
having to wrestle an old man to get into the company <laughs> when you're in your 20s? That's it. I mean, I don't know if that's normal or not. I just, the way they describe it, like it was the most normal fucking thing. And Michael Hayes, like, yeah, they went in there and I wrestled him. And I thought, <laughs> you know what? We got something here, man. Like, what? Edge wrestling an old man? Yeah, I want to see that on TV. <laughs> fucking great. So he gets signed to the big fat deal. It's WWE, baby. You got your developmental contract for the grand total show of. $210 a week, baby. Which, I mean, that's low, right? But I must admit, when I heard it, I misheard it, and I thought he said $10 a week. So then, hearing <laughs> $210, a week, I was like, that sounds like good money. By the way, pal, that's before we deduct you for the hot dogs and popcorn as well. You know? So you will have to reimburse us for that, you know. Vince still insists I reimburse him for all the food I ate as a child. It's only fair that way. 23 years young, $210 a week. You know, it's one of those things we, we've talked about where they're kind of like, hey, you're making no money, but you're a kid. You're going to go. You're going to see the world. You're going to get better. It's an opportunity, pal. Yeah. And, you know, it's not like nowadays where it's the performance center and skits and glamour. You're probably talking about working fairgrounds and rodeos and very small little arenas, Memphis and the like. So Edge has been kind of brought up. Edge is in developmental for a little bit. He is being considered to be brought up, and one of the writers, Vince Russo, has a bit of an idea in terms of the character. He wants to make it like a mysterious loner type of a character. And because it's the Ash era, and that is means that everyone has to have characters, this early Edge character was at best loosely defined. So I showed Joe a bunch of the hype-up packages and the what eventually was the Titantron for Edge in his first run with the music, You Think You Know Me. Oh, how would you describe this footage I showed you that was hyping up Edge's debut? Well, he described it as being like, he was like, I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do here. I don't know who my character's supposed to be. All I know is he's he's mysterious. So I'm just going to wander around the subway and scream. Ah! <laughs> I mean, he didn't have a blues clue what he was no. doing. And if you kind of, I don't know if you clocked it, but I figured from the bits we saw of Sexton Hardcastle and also from the name as well and the style he wrestled, he didn't seem like he was a loner, quiet, gothy type. He seemed like he was an extrovert. He was meant to be like kind of a good time, wacky, over the top character. So yeah, Russo has the idea that, I think Russo's like the idea of Edge in a long coat with that long hair looking sexy yeah. on a, in a black and white kind of filter on a subway. I mean, it looks really cool. Yeah. It doesn't look very wrestling. No. For better or for worse. And like, I remember when like, I was watching Wrestling Edges the debut and it was like, you think you know me? You think Edge is coming? You think you... Yeah. Okay. Well, this is mysterious. And Edge starts showing up, Joe, during one of my favorite wrestlers' matches because I don't know how much you know about Gangrel, the wrestling vampire, but he was one of my absolute faves as a kid. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, we saw a little bit of Gangrel in the documentary. How would you describe old gangers? He's a vampire. (laughs) I mean, uh, as a fan of the Twilight series, do you think there should be more vampires in wrestling generally, or has it run its course? I think think if they did it well, it would be good to have some vampires in wrestling, yeah? Hmm. But, yeah, they'd have to do it well. And I don't know if I trust WWE to handle the complex and nuanced theme of vampires. Sparkly vampires? In wrestling. Mm, I'd like that. Yeah? Okay. I'll tell you what, if we can't get Twilight, let's just go with the Robert Pattinson stuff. If we can get Lighthouse Keepers yeah. in wrestling, I'd be fine with that. Like, 
Willem Dafoe cuts a promo, then the big stud Patterson comes in and you know puts over a jobber. I think that'd be good. Great, right, love yeah, that. Excellent. So yeah, Edge is usually shown like in the crowd, like we'll be watching an episode of Raw and be like, wait a minute, what's that? And up in the corner you just see this like loner sat in a chair with his sunglasses on, wearing a long coat, <laughs> chewing gum, like who's that? Like and he'd watch Gangrel's matches, he didn't know what to think. So <laughs> Edge does have his debut match, and they didn't talk about it here in this. Edge's debut match in WWE. He broke his opponent's neck. What? Yep. He did a kind of a somersault over the top rope plancha thing to his opponent, Miguel Perez, one of the Los Barricas. Great hand. Uh, hairy man we would have seen when I'm watching some 97 stuff for uh, Attitude podcast. Edge flips over the top. The idea is that he kind of catches him in like a powerbomb position. So like your legs catch and your dick goes into his face and he catches you and you sit down. But... Edge kind of overshot it, so his arse hit him right in the top of the head. Guy goes down like a ton of bricks. So, I mean, it's important to wear in mind, folks, Edge's career did end because of a broken neck, but his career in WWE started with a broken neck. Wow. I don't know. I'm not blaming Edge for it. I'm not, you know, blaming, you know, accidents happen in wrestling. Mm. It, It was a dangerous move. Maybe the person wasn't prepared for it. Edge wasn't prepared to do it. You know, it's no one's fault necessarily. But I do feel always bad about this kind of thing. We talked about it in our Jobbers episode that, like, if a Jobber guy or not the star gets hurt, that it's, like, not important. You know, like, I told you about, like, all the, the lawsuits and the Jobbers who got, like, paralyzed yeah. and seriously hurt. And, you know, Miguel Perez was a contracted performer and he broke his neck. And it's kind of like the fact that it's, like, yeah, you don't have to talk about it every time you talk about Edge. But I feel like if a wrestler breaks its neck, it should be a big old deal. Mm. You know, yeah. I, it is kind of, I mean, I didn't mean to shock you too much there, but it, literally this morning I was like, oh, wait a minute, I remember that now. So the character Edge, obviously he's a loner, he's mixing up with some vampires, not Sexton Hardcastle. Where did this name come from? Apparently Edge, as in Adam Copeland, came up with it himself. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I think he either were knocking some names around. He thought, oh yeah, Edge sounds cool. Yeah. Now what was weird was in the doc, he was like, oh yeah, I was trying to think about something musical. So I thought, hmm, Edge. And like, I thought, How is that? I thought he was about to say, I thought something musical, so I thought, hmm, I'll just take Edge's, the Edge's name from you too, and that will be my name. Because, I mean, Edge is an established thing, right? What do you mean? Well, the Edge, he's the guitarist from U2. Oh, is he? Yeah. So I is just, that really his name? Yeah, he's <laughs> the, the Edge. edge. <laughs> he's the Edge. Not Edge, the Edge. Right. So it's not like Sting where it's the same name. It would be one thing if it was Sting and then the Sting, but right. it's, it's Edge and the Edge, so it's different. But it's the fact that he's like, I thought about music. I'm like, did you? No, interesting. <laughs> and then I came up with my new ring name, Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> he's an easy lover, Phil Collins. <laughs> so yeah, interesting name that. The stuff with Gangrel didn't really work, however, because Gangrel was a very interesting looking character mm. and he was a vampire. And as we all know from our Vince Russo episode, nothing makes Joe pop quite like random amounts of red viscous liquid being dropped. But uh, yeah, I think they showed one of the reasons why it didn't work, where you have Gangrel choking Edge going, the blood of Gangrel flows through your veins. And then they bring in Christian. And Christian is... Which is is so, again, like, I I cannot believe the number of times where Edge helps Christian yeah. into, the, into the wrestling industry. Uh, Christian's kind of like a step or two behind him, it feels yeah. like, all the way. Like, Christian does get signed to developmental at the same, you know, around the same time. He debuts, a, you know, a couple of weeks later, but he kind of debuts in the shadow of Edge because they say, like, the storyline in The Brood is Edge is this mysterious loner, Gangrel's an evil vampire, and then Christian, who they say is Edge's brother, shows up and he's wearing a puffy shirt like Gangrel and leads this gothic lifestyle. So... 
Are Edge, Christian, and Gangrel all vampires? No. Oh. It's very... It's so fucking vague at best. I mean, I'm the biggest Brood fan in the world, but the Brood lore, even though it's ripped off... I mean, White Wolf owned the copyright of the Brood and Gangrel. Like, they're a gaming company, because it it is actually... Gangrel is based off of a a tabletop gaming race. Okay. (laughs) From some series from way back. So, yeah. But the lore is light on the ground at best. They are never explicitly said on camera that they're vampires. Michael Cole would say they lead a gothic alternative lifestyle. Okay. So they're not vampires. Gothic but, alternative lifestyle. But do, do they all drink the red viscous liquid? Gangrel will come out with a cup of blood and Gangrel's got the pointy teeth. Like yeah. shoot pointy teeth. Gangrel, and Gangrel like shoot live the gothic lifestyle and he'd drink the blood and he'd go and he'd spray it everywhere. And oh, then, like Triple H. Yeah. And then they'd all have a nice big laugh and all that. I think our live show I told you about when he sprayed it all over Donald Trump once. Which oh, was yeah. A, Good times with vampires in wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, they say it best in this documentary. Like, man, the brood was just, like, cool, you know. They had the cool (laughs) music. They came up, like, you know, they did a little kind of a bounce. I mean, did did you like the entrance with the fire, how they came up from the ground? Yeah, it was really cool, and the music's great. As a kid, it struck me so much. I was brood for life as a kid. Really? I was unbelievably blown away by them. Why? The music... It's so good, that music. It's yeah. probably my, I said in our music episode, our live show, that was one of my all-time favourite yeah. themes. Uh, I, I immediately gave that as my... Kevin Devil had that as his entrance music at WrestleMania 2000. I had the Goblet when I came out as well. I had the Gangrel Walk as well. I had the Impaler DDT as well. You know, you can see a lot of this here. I had the Gangrel oh, did toy. young Kevin like vampires? Young Kevin didn't like vampires. Young Kevin liked Gangrel and the Brood. Right. Very, very different. Because they weren't vampires, were they? They had a gothic lifestyle <laughs> were you into the gothic lifestyle i was into the if the gothic lifestyle was meant that i could come up underneath the the club in a fire ring then yeah i'm all about the gothic lifestyle <laughs> you know didn't necessarily want to drink a blood supper like gangrel though what was the actual blood red viscous liquid no what was it i imagine it was corn syrup and some red food coloring based off of my limited experience of low budget horror movies okay i just seem because that will be viscous and red liquid but I don't know if gangers want to be down in that or not, like, you know? We had to make some fake blood for my A-level project. Because mm. we did, like, thrillers and stuff when I was in my A-levels. And we had to make fake blood. And we made it out of, like, vinegar and honey and, like, cornstarch. What, are you and... making a fucking marinade? Yeah, because you have to, if you're going to have it in your mouth. We had a scene where someone punched someone else and they spat out blood. Yeah. So it had to be edible. Of course you So that's did, why but... I was wondering what they used as the blood, as the red viscous liquid, because they're drinking it, so it has to be edible. <laughs> so I wonder how it would taste. And... Why was it every A-level and, like, sixth form project has to have, like, violence and blood in it? Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise it's not a real student project. This like... is England! <laughs> this is England. That's why like, every friend I've made in England... I've had to watch their zombie apocalypse short movie they made for Sixth Form. That's the downside of all how, the talented people I've met. Like. How dare you? My zombie apocalypse thing was for Radio for University. My I'll, thriller was for Sixth Form. I'll, I'll never tell you which of my friends' zombie apocalypse media I liked the most. It was mine, right? <laughs> I'll get back to you on that, guys. Don't worry, I'll get back to you. So, the idea of the brood is that it was going to be a platform from Gangrel. The idea is that Gangrel is this unique character. He's this cool vampire. You know, so... Kids, you know, Russo felt very strongly the kids are going to love this. And he was right. Uh, they, one of the things that got me interesting, whole stock, was this this whole gimmick and this angle. And uh, the problem was, though, was that Gangrel wasn't very good. Mm. And I'm the biggest Gangrel fan in the world, but he wasn't, the, he was a grand wrestler, but he wasn't a great wrestler and he couldn't speak on mm. the microphone. 
and they talk about like the brood finally getting to talk like it's like and once we found that edge that the, the curtain came back you know uh, WWE is so obsessed with there being like moments where everything is revealed and it never is the fucking way the fact of the matter is the brood had the debut promo and they all did a terrible job edge just did the least worst job like edge gave a decent read of the worst material ever <laughs> But you had Gangrel and like, the brood had never spoken. Like, who are you? And like, we are the search for the light and the truth. At first, we wanted the answer, but it was forbidden. <laughs> By the Undertaker. Oh, you're I'm so sorry. I'm really am. Like, I'm trying to minimize it here. So you can imagine Gangrel, like, you know, mouthful of blood as well. <laughs> so bad. It's bad when the gimmick teeth make you fucking lisp. Yeah. And also, as well, he's the happiest vampire in the world. Like, you know when sometimes you don't know what you're going to say? And then you have to kind of buy time. Mm. <laughs> Gangrel to buy himself time in his promos often laughed. So the idea of a vampire who's lisping and then going, <laughs> so yeah, Edge does stand out as being the best of them. But mm. even still, it's not as if like, oh yeah, he's a top guy straight away. Like yeah. uh, most of the time, Edge I felt was like the weak link of the group because he was the least cool. I thought. Did people have crushes on Brood, Edge, and Christian? Yes. Mm. absolutely they did and I'll tell you as well even though Edge couldn't do a great promo at the time and even though their characters didn't make much sense and the Mm. storyline didn't make much sense you had Edge using that smile still he'd come out under the fire and you'd see the eyebrows arch and that big smile and you know they were used as the Undertaker's kind of henchmen as part of his Ministry of Darkness Edge's first Wrestlemania appearance Joe was appearing to hang the big boss man from that hell in the cell when the Undertaker beat him so that was his first appearance was Edge coming down on a zip line and then have to hastily put together a harness so he could fake hang the big boss man and go in the middle of the ring so that's a pretty fucked up Wrestlemania debut right there god what type of egg would brood Edge be sometimes you get an egg and it'll be a little blood clot in it, oh. like, and that you have to take it out with a spoon or a tweezers or just get rid of the egg. And that's also, folks, why you should listen to Bon Appetit's advice from Gabby and never pool your eggs. Uh, only pool your eggs if you have a first bowl to put them into individually because you get. I a don't weird... know if most people know what you mean by pool your eggs. Uh, if I need five eggs, just don't go one, two, three, four, five all in one bowl. You go one into your small bowl, then into the big bowl. Two small bowl. That means well, if you get a bit of shell in there, it's way easier exactly. to get it out. Exactly, and that's, that's. Or if you break an egg and the yolk gets everywhere, you only have to throw one away, not the whole thing. The other type of egg it could be is encourage the cowardly dog. There are alien eggs that have bright red spots on them. Yeah. I think Gangrel could have those as well, you know. Gangrel or, or Edge, because I'm talking about Edge here. I don't care about Gangrel as no I mean, egg. I think Gangrel would be because you know he in the brood there was a, there was a lot of blood, Joe. There was a lot of blood. Uh, bats. Red viscous liquid. Red viscous liquid. It could liquids. just easily be ketchup. It could have been. Is ketchup viscous? Yeah. Okay, I'm just making I think, sure. I think it is. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. um... 100% Gangrel, it didn't work out for him. Mm. And Gangrel, like, they did a storyline where the brood were like held responsible for like, I think it was, you know, when they kidnapped Stephanie to marry her to the Undertaker, the brood were the ones who let slip, you know, they, they had their ankle broken by Ken Shamrock and they were like, oh, Stephanie's in the basement. So like, they were viewed as being weak. So we had a segment where the Undertaker in a big robe went, blech, blech and whipped Edge Christian and Gangrel with a belt Ooh, sexy. for for being disrespectful to The Undertaker mm. uh, and then they, they were setting it up like it's like oh the brood they're kind of so they're gothic like The Undertaker but they're they're outsiders they're outcasts but it never picked up momentum like the the fans didn't really get into it as like as much as 
it was cool to look at. You know, right. once they started wrestling, Gangrel wasn't really great. Christian never spoke. The characters weren't over enough. There was there was too little to work with, really. So Gangrel goes to off and does his own thing. Edge and Christian are put together as just a straight up tag team. They're good, young looking kids. Jim Ross doesn't know which one is which. <laughs> And at the same time, you've got Matt and Jeff Hardy. They're good, young-looking kids. Jim Ross doesn't know which one is which. And they start feuding. And, you know, they make out that they get some magic straight away. I remember as a kid, I was like, oh, again, they're wrestling. They're so boring. I hate them. Why did you hate them? Because they used to be vampires, and now they're just Edge and Christian. Uh, and they had no character right. at all. The Hardy Boys had no character at all, other than they went on to become vampires briefly with Gangrel wait, wait, as well. Wait, 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 wait. The Hardy Boys? The Hardy Boys were, were part of the new brood then afterwards. What? Yeah, they, they became Gangrel's friend for a brief period. So again, like this shows you these tag teams, like... Their character was like, you know, one week, okay, you're going to be a vampire. No, nah, no, you're just guys. Okay, now you two are vampires. No, nah, no, you're just guys. You know, it, as good as Russo was with giving people characters, he was quite like, you know, like Billy Keeble with the playlist at a party. <laughs> he can't sell on one for more than a week, like, or 30 seconds in his case. So there was a lot of switching around. They get put with the Hardy Boys, and even though a lot of their regular matches were a little bit dull to watch because it was just guys without characters... They got everyone's attention when they had the first ever tag team ladder match. And this began a series of several ladder matches involving the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, and also the Dudley Boys would be involved in those as well. Now, didn't want to watch loads of TLC matches, but we did watch some TLC matches and spots before this. Just before we recorded, actually, we watched uh, TLC 2 again. Yeah. Does it compare to the modern TLCs? Is it something different there? Are they hitting harder? Is it scarier? Is it more... Or is it just kind of like, is it is it still shocking to see those types of matches from 2000 and 2001? Yeah, absolutely. But it's shocking in a different way. Yeah? Like, I feel that it was shocking then because they don't have gimmicked ladders and tables and chairs and stuff. Yeah, we don't have those nice wood ladders. Yeah. yeah. And everything looks like it hurts a lot more. Mm. And because they're all doing this stuff, you know, probably for you know, the first time ever, like, people are doing these jumping off 20 foot ladders you yeah. know so it's all very new and scary and the fact that the ring itself isn't as bouncy as it is now the fact that yeah. you don't have the protective mats that you have now the fact that you don't have you know this hidden balloon under the announcer's table as you do now the ringside area that yeah. has the nice you know the barricades, barricades all padded. padded like there's just so many things now to make it safer for wrestlers which is great because it means they can do far more ridiculous flip de doos in a safer environment in a safer environment yeah. but also it does make it less impactful because like when you watch the older stuff it's kind of like oh that would have really hurt oh that would really hurt like just falling off a table was like ow that's disgusting because it's yeah. a horrid nasty ring with no mats on it i was wondering how much kind of like a pre pre-explanation a new fan would need now to watch a match like that from back in the day because i feel like little things like the fact that chair shots to the head are not only okay, that it's kind of, well, we're expecting this. Yeah. You know, things like that are very, very um, kind of scary to look back on. Very you know? scary. I mean, I I both love and hate the unprotected chair shots. Like, I, I hate them because they are disgusting and it's really scary to see all that horrid damage being done to... Legitimately dangerous. Yeah, yeah. legitimately dangerous. You know, all those brain cells probably being destroyed and those nice wrestlers' heads. But also, you know... They happened, mm. and I don't think there's any point to be like, well, we're never going to look at these chair shots because yeah. because they're dangerous. <laughs> like they happened, we may as well enjoy them for what they were at the time, and yeah. know that we are not doing that anymore. It's 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 nice to know that the sacrifices that were made by the men that were in these matches are no longer required. Yeah, 
I've talked about this a lot on the Outshare podcast, and I feel kind of strongly about it. And some of the people involved in these matches have come out and spoken about this. And then when those people went back to WWE, they've kind of changed their tone, or time has went by and the tone has softened a little bit. But there was a little bit of a pervasive theory around this time that, you know, these guys, you know, the Hardys, the Dudley's Edge, and Christian, it's as if they were saying, hey guys, can we go out and have these matches that are super duper death-defying? It's kind of like the, the agents are going up to them saying, well guys, what do you think? TLC, tables, lads, and chairs. You want to do it? Because if you don't do it, we'll probably get some other guys to do it. Yeah. And a lot of the risk in this, you know, I've always made the joke like Michael Hayes is there going saying, go jump off a ladder. But I mean, in according to the Hardy Boys book, in a lot of the interviews I've read with folks, it, it was in the sense that they're like, well, we're going to expect these big spots and, you know, they always say, the, the thing they'd say, well, Vince McMahon will never ask you to do anything that he himself wouldn't do. Mm, I don't see him jumping to up a 20-foot ladder. <laughs> yeah, but there's a, let, we'll be, let's be frank here. A lot of things happen in these matches that only Vince McMahon wouldn't do. Most wrestlers in their yeah. right minds would not ever do. And I will say that Edge's transition from tag team to singles to main event guy brought this TLC and these types of matches away from being the sideshow to being the main event. Mm. For better or for worse, I think the fact that they've been toned down a little bit in recent years is just necessary because it's not six guys making a name for themselves. Now it's just the main event. They've already made a name for themselves. Let's just keep them safe, hopefully. It is a dangerous precedent, I think, Mm. because they had to top them and they did three TLC matches. We had the triangle ladder match as well. And like one of the TLC matches, you know, first one was at SummerSlam next one was at Wrestlemania the triangle ladder match was also at Wrestlemania they did one on Smackdown right which is a taped show yeah like and during that Smackdown like Chris Benoit like got a severe concussion fucked his neck up like there was like, all, all these injuries that would happen in these matches mm. but Ray Dudley talked about like being so concussed he didn't realise his mother was dead you know oh, you know God. had to keep asking Chris Jericho over and over again where his mom was you know it's shit like that is just really sad yeah. these matches I don't want to take away from them at all but I think I would be doing it a disservice and I feel bad that if I have spent any time in the past just being like gushing about how great they are and how amazing they are and da, 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 da. they obviously are but I feel Edge's talks in the documentary about when he feels you know these matches this is when the career started to get a little bit shortened yeah the big spear that he does to Jeff Hardy off the top oh god so what Jeff Hardy's grabbed the belt which yeah. is hanging from the ceiling and he's swinging around and then Edge spears him yeah. from like 15, maybe higher, 15 feet off the floor. 20 feet in wrestling terms. <laughs> At least 30. <laughs> and it's just disgusting. Yeah. It's fucking gross. There is a whole lot that they put on the line in these matches. And like the, it's pretty funny because like, the story of Edge is, is and his character shift originally really comes from these matches. I mean, he's a vampire... He's not a vampire. Then he's just a guy. He has these ladder matches with Edge. And he has these ladder matches with his brother Christian against the Hardy Boys. Then he's kind of like a guy who you know can hang. Then after the first triangle ladder match, Edge and Christian start getting a little bit big-headed. And they say, well, yeah, we used to come through the crowd and all that. But, you know, now that we're champions, it kind of feels a little bit like you folks might take advantage of us, might get a little bit too close. We had a very symbolic moment, actually, in that triangle ladder match where... Christian couldn't stand up to reach the belt. Oh, yeah. So Edge passed it down to him. I was thinking, like, wow, what a metaphor for their journey into wrestling. Like, If you stand up, both of us will fall, but I can hand you something. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I will mean, drag you up this hill. Man, there's going to be a lot of, like, pretext for the Christian episode now. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know? The shift, though, from the 
kind of just good guys to then guys who are a little bit frustrated about the Hardy Boys getting all the attention, you know, to the guys then who are just out and out assholes, to the guys who become these weird caricatures of themselves who are like these long blonde haired big sunglass wearing dickheads who'd be like going up to kids like hey you want an autograph sure thing and then they'd like you know do the autograph and ask for twenty dollars afterwards <laughs> and they're there with the tag bells asking for twenty dollars they'd have a segment like before the pay-per-view and they're out there like asking fans for money for pictures and jim ross is like this is disgraceful no wwf superstar will ever ask you for money this is wrong <laughs> wow <laughs> so we obviously not gonna spend a long time about these gentlemen reeking of awesomeness but what were some of your favorite bits of what we saw from Edge and Christian? And was this the character you thought that these guys would be portraying? I mean, yeah, this is kind of the character that they put across when they brought back the Edge and Christian show that totally reeks of awesomeness. You're saying that with a lot of enthusiasm, that show. Yeah, I, I hate the words coming out of my mouth. I hate how they feel. Bad mouth feel. Yeah, it's yeah. not good. So yeah, kind of this is similar to what I expected. I didn't think it would be so like Valley Girl-esque, yeah. which I really like. I think I think there's a problem in wrestling where you know a lot of people go into wrestling they do it because especially men they do it because they want to feel cool yeah. and badass. Yeah. And there's so few instances of like wrestlers being okay with being horribly uncool and also like socially inept. Yeah. You know cuz you can have somebody like with a lot of dickheads in wrestling you know, who are then, like, really cool, though, and have got loads of friends, and like, yeah. people think they're awesome. They've got, like, like, you know, the valet and the, the friends and the my buddies. My favourite character in wrestling are always the weirdos, like mm-hmm. Kurt Angle as a heel, who's yes. just, like, a fucking freak, coward, like, heel, nasty. And, like, he doesn't have any friends. Kurt being, <laughs> but Kurt's friends he had at the time were Edge and Christian. Yeah. I wonder if, like, was that a surprise for you, or did it that make sense? That was a surprise, yeah, because, yeah, like, I, when we did the Kurt Angle episode, I kind of thought he didn't really have any friends. <laughs> Why <then> would he? <laughs> And it turns out, oh no, he does. He's got he's got these two friends, Edge and Christian, who are both total dinks. Yeah, and they were Team Eck together. Uh, team what? Team Eck. Edge, Christian, and Kurt. Right. ECK. When a Rhino joined them, they became Team Wreck. Rhino, oh, Edge, Christian, very Kurt. Good. <laughs> but like, they had this like stupid symbiotic relationship where both of them just thought, you know, well, we're all cool together, and like, no one understood the other person's shortcomings whatsoever. Mm. We watched a lot of like little bits where it's like Edge and Christian with Mick Foley being absolute idiots. Lots of jumping high fives. Lots of blank rules. Like I was telling Joe about when Edge and Christian discovered that you can just get disqualified and not have to defend your belts. (laughs) There's a time where they come out in commentary. Like there's a number one contenders match in the ring and they're the champs. And JR's like, why are you out here champs? Like, well, JR, the reason we're here is that we're planning on interfering in the match and causing a double disqualification just for getting the need for a title defense this Sunday. Like, they were, like, Christian would be like, we can just leave. We can just go now. And they'll count us out. We'll still be champions. Can't rule. Whoa. Another favorite one. You know what I love about my boots, Christian? What's that? They say edge on them. Oh, wow. I never noticed that. Uh, edge's birthday party was something we watched before. Beforehand. The little party hats. Streamers, kazoos, big heel heat vibes in the early 2000s, folks. Zoos rule. Long live the stream. Uh, also, please take Christian's advice, folks. When it's someone's birthday, go up to them and say, dude, you were totally born today. <laughs> A lot of the phrases that you did like, congratulations, you enjoyed? Congratulations. Yeah, that was good. I think my favorite one was chump stain. Oh, which chump stain. I'm totally bringing back. I love that. It's like derogative without 
hurting anyone di- like it's not it's not at the cost or expense yeah. of anyone's feelings like no one's going to be actually upset or offended by being called a chump stain no you you will actually be angry at the person for saying such a stupid thing yeah much like the phrase recozoid which they also <laughs> use i mean like here's the thing they were most of the time they were healed there was a very brief period where they were good guys mm. and like that was a very golden period i showed joe like the edge when he won King of the Ring, for instance, and him getting the trophy and, you know, saying that it was going to be an era of awesomeness and planning not to billy gun up this tournament because someone who had won it a few years ago had been kind of disappointing in real life as King <laughs> of the Ring. I mean, th- there's so much there with the interplay, like the jealousy that plays in with, with Christian. Mm. I mean, like, I just showed you the King of the Ring segment just so you could see, like, the layers that they built when they eventually did split. I mean, like, a big part of Edge and Christian that we did get to see in that, that segment as well. Five second poses. Yes! We uh, have to talk about that. You're a big fan of the goofy yet tough five second pose? I genuinely love it and I think it's a great idea. And I like, this is going to sound like I'm joking. I'm not joking. I 100% think that every wrestler should do a five second pose because every time I've gone to a live <laughs> wrestling show, I've tried to take pictures of the wrestlers and they come out, they stand the ropes for like one or two seconds and then that's it. And then they move around. And it's so hard to get pictures of when they're moving. And in that low level lighting, when there's like just spotlights in the ring and like the crowd is very dimly lit, it's you're on a camera phone. Like it's really hard to take a picture. Even if you're a professional photographer and I will never forget to this day and the company doesn't exist anymore, but what culture wrestling when we saw them in a very grim show in Altrincham a a photographer who kind of peeked through the bottom turnbuckle to get a pick and someone just ran arse first and smashed right into him in the camera and the guy like boom total fucking flat back bump wow it's a dangerous game the photography business in wrestling so yeah the five second pose I appreciate that I really like it and I think I love the fact as well that they did like, it wasn't just like they came out and they did the same move every time which I think is what wrestlers generally should be doing is coming out and giving you know the, whatever pose they're known for doing do it for at least five seconds the default one is them kind of just putting their hands out like in front robot. and then moving to the side yeah. and you could do that in No Mercy on the N64 you could do this to each side and that's cool I loved the King of the Ring bit we watched where Tajiri's just like doing it loads in the background because he'd <laughs> love and do the five second pose but what I liked best about the way they did it was that they they did it depending on like where they were and they yeah. would like reenact scenes and stuff so when they were in houston texas they were like everyone makes such a big deal about the jfk assassination <laughs> was it a lone gunman or was it an inside shop then edge goes so for the benefit of those with flash photography and jay was like good god no <laughs> do not reenact the assassination of a sitting president uh one thing that it really reminded me of one of my fondest memories is going to see, this is going to seem very random, but mm. I swear this will make sense in a second. I went to see Ben Folds live about mm. 10 years ago. Yeah. And he mentioned in it, it was like, oh yeah, with the, um, you know, the advent of, you know, phone cameras, I'm sure you'll want to take lots of pictures. I'd really appreciate if you don't take pictures throughout the show. Instead, I'm going to give you an opportunity now to take loads of pictures, as many as you want. We're going to do like three minutes right now where you just take infinite pictures and I'm going to give you photo opportunities. So I'm going to make this look really impactful. So he, he stood up. He plays piano, Ben Folds, if you didn't know this. He got his piano stool and he invited someone from the audience, one of the photographers from like a magazine, to come up on stage. Yeah. And he brought his stool back as if he was going to hit the guy over the head with his stool and like looked really angry. <laughs> and then he threw the stool away and started like pretending like he was going to punch the guy. But like he stopped in like very slow motion so everyone can get all these pictures it's like great now everyone's gonna have all this stuff about how uh, Ben Folds picked a fight on random audience <laughs> members and journalists <laughs> when I saw Tig Notaro live she was like just doing her set as normal and then all of a sudden like way at the back of the room because it was like a comedy festival 
a photographer just came in and snapped a pic and she's like oh shit that's going to be like the picture that they show on the the website I'm in the, <laughs> and like i'm in the middle of this like long anecdote and you guys haven't laughed for like 20 seconds so oh shit can can someone call him back in here please and they someone at the back brought the photographer back in it's like everyone stand up like you're at the most fucking rowdy show ever and we're all like everyone stood up and was like ow <laughs> and she's like sitting in a chair going baby <laughs> so everyone's freeze frame so the guy got this picture and it made it look like we were at like fucking Woodstock or something which is great but yeah I mean a lot of it I'm not gonna lie in the AdShare podcast we had a running thing where we needed American fans who understood sports to send us in like essentially the translation yeah. of what the five second pose meant because 75% of the time the five second pose was to do with your local sports team right yeah which kind of went over my head a lot but you know Cheap heat was what they were all about, and it didn't get much cheaper than them going to Memphis dressed up as the two iterations of Elvis, Fat Elvis, and Really Fat Elvis. Oh, harsh. Uh, and everything's big in Texas, Joe, so dig the size of our totally ginormous hats. Oh, I loved that. That was so funny. Everyone in Texas, boo! That's not, that's not a real hat. The way that Edge and Christian are genuinely best friends, the fact that they constantly dressed up in silly outfits... The way that they're both so entertaining on the mic and you can really feel like a lot of their their promos and their silly skit bits were like stuff that they probably rehearsed together while yeah. they've been driving the car. It all really reminds me of The New Day. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And also the kind of, there's an innocence about Edge and Christian that there was with The New Day. Yeah. Like I remember talking with the folks about Tights and Fights you know, last year for WrestleMania about, you know, when Kofi and The New Day realised they could cheat and they were like... <gasps> The referee didn't even see. <laughs> and just there's a kind of like innocence, like these like little bold children finding out they could do something wrong and get yeah. away with it. And yeah, there's like an absolute joy there where you can see, like with the new day, that it's people just getting to do what they want to do, and they have the writers on their side. And that's a very important thing about Edge and Christian. They were good friends at the time with Brian Gerwitz who was the main writer, and Brian Gerwitz was the head writer for Raw, and also was the guy who was really known for bringing a lot of the comedy into wrestling at the time. So things like Kurt Angle's character, he worked very closely with, and a lot of The Rock's promos. Like When he when The Rock left, The Rock took him with him to be like his personal guy. Wow. You know, so The Rock like viewed him as being... Like, he had Hollywood experience, so he was always viewed as being like, oh, the guy who can write funny jokes. A lot of people have very different opinions on Gorts as they do most writers. And like Edge and Christian were even taken to wrestler's court because they were viewed as being like too buddy-buddy with the oh. writer. And the idea that Edge and Christian went from being kind of no-names who JR mixed their names up to being like a big part of the show with, you know, every time they had a match, they had a promo segment beforehand, they got big heat. You know, they, they got over a lot. They almost always won their matches through screw means. They had to do wrestler's court for sucking up to the writers. Wow. So there you go. Like, you know, it's a it's a delicate balance in wrestling. Because there's one thing is like, oh, stick up for yourself. Talk to the writers. But you better not succeed at doing it. Because <laughs> then you're taking food away from the boys. <laughs> they have an inevitable split with Edge and Christian. It comes around the time of that King of the Ring trophy where... You know, Edge gets to the final, Christian gets knocked out in the semi final. So it's kind of like, you know, Christian the whole time is like, it's going to be you and me in the final, big brother. You know, eh, not really. Uh, Grandma Edna was another thing which led to these two splitting up, where every time Edge had a great accomplishment, like, hey, Grandma, I got through the first round of the King of the Ring, or like, hey, I'm going to be on the pay per view this Sunday. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great, it's great. Hey, hey, Christian's here. You want to talk to him, Nana? Yeah, one second. Hey, Grandma Edna's on the phone. Oh, awesome. This is great. Christian, every time she'd hang up on him before, he's like, oh. Maybe Grandma Edna went to the tunnel or something like that. Like, no. 
You're saying ah now, but Christian is legitimately such a toxic person that even his grandmother like socially distanced herself from him. Like. <laughs> and so like that led to like uh, Christian like having a big blow up feud with Edge. They feuded you know massively. It was inevitably to make Edge to be a big big star because. Like we said a lot in wrestling, if someone's a bad guy who's making you laugh, they can flip the switch easy to be a good guy that makes you laugh and then mm-hmm. all is forgiven and you're a super entertaining guy. And Edge had a huge upper momentum. He wins King of the Ring. He's like considered to be the star in waiting, so to speak. Vince McMahon's a big fan of him. A lot of the top guys at the time were maybe moving away to one side, so it feels like there might be room in 2002 for someone to get up onto that next level and that takes us to our first match and this is a feud which was designed by paul Heyman to get edge to the next level and we're looking at a very important match one which i was so excited for joanna to see mainly because this really is uh this explains a big part of kayfabe and wrestling i.e why is kurt angle a bald man <laughs> This is coming to you from Judgment Day in 2002 as Edge takes on Kurt Angle in a hair versus hair match. Joe, a wrestler you like, a stipulation you like? Uh, the only other hair versus hair match I've seen was the one with Vince and Donald Trump. Ah, yes, and they didn't even wrestle it themselves. They had proxies. Yeah. The idea of a wrestler losing one's hair, it's uh, in Mexico, it was considered to be next to the mask, like one of the biggest stipulations there could be the honor of the hair going on the line mm. any wrestlers you thought that their hair being on the line could be like a huge angle a huge gimmick that you'd be invested in mm. any luscious hair you'd see in wrestling now roman would be a bit sad to see him with no hair yeah roman and drew this tiny big enough for both of us to have the exact same mm. haircut and seth wait a minute it's seth rollins and elias <laughs> Wait a minute, it's half of the indies. <laughs> <laughs> I think Elias would very much suit being bald. Yeah, I think that would work. More think, so than Roman. I think Seth could pull off being bald with his Messiah gimmick. Messiahs can have haircuts of any yeah. sort. So this is Judgment Day 2002. It's Edge and Kurt Angle, hair versus hair. There is a lot of lore in here, but also spoilers, because at the start of this match, I'm pretty sure you would know who was going to win this match ahead of time. Yes. Well, one of them is bald and one of them isn't bald. I like the fact that there seems to be in a hair versus hair match. The rule is you're never allowed to grow your hair back. Ever. <laughs> I like, I feel hair versus hair is something that has not been explored to its full extent. No. Like, because Kurt, after this period when he lost this match, he wrestled with a wig yeah. and, and headgear for a little bit. And that was really funny. The honky tonk man said once he was always going to Vince saying, have me lose a hair versus hair match because I got the big Elvis pompadour. Hair versus hair match, have me lose it, and I'm going to come back next week with a really shit Elvis wig, and I'll say it's Jimmy Hart's special hair tonic. It's available now <laughs> for all my friends. And the Vince's like, nah, people don't care about hair that much. They absolutely do. Yeah. I'm really surprised that he has that attitude and then put himself in a hair versus hair stipulation. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I love this, uh, this match because it is introduced by Taz and Michael Cole. This is a SmackDown match. These are SmackDown commentators. Yeah. And we got a little bit with Michael Cole where like, he's like, unlike my broadcast colleague Taz, this will not be a fashion statement. They will be going bald, not because of their choice as an American or an Acadian, Edge's case, I yeah. guess. Uh, and then Taz goes, yeah, you's going to be bald. <laughs> and then Kurt Angle, we're told that tonight, it may be 
red, white, and bald. Yeah, there's lots of insults about bald people on this. Yeah, it's then passed over to Jerry Lawler and JR, who are commentators for SmackDown. Oh, it's so confusing. Just proving that for the last 18 years, no one's really figured out this brand identity thing. And you're not on your own, Joe. It's totally okay, because even the commentators seem a bit confused as to why this is happening. <laughs> Kurt Angle comes out and King says that he has a nice, normal hair colour. <laughs> And then he's very worried about this match because rightly so King points out that if your hair gets removed, you don't know what's underneath there. Yeah, it could be all sorts of lumps and bumps. Now, I don't know if this ever happened to you, Joe, if you were part of a group of people who all got into their head to all shave their heads. No, but I have had a shaved head. So, oh yeah, of course you did. Yeah. Just before I met you, I believe you had, you had shaved yeah, heads. Yeah, when I graduated, I had a shaved head. In my graduation pictures, I've, I've got tennis ball head. And I will say, when I saw it on your OkCupid profile, it was fascinating. It's very important. If you're a woman and you've ever had a shaved head, if you're like online dating, have one of your pictures be you with a shaved head because it instantly filters out all those dickheads who are like, women shouldn't have short hair. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how I had a chance all those studs who wanted to tell Joe she should have longer hair before they had arranged to meet up. But like, you know, I managed to find a way to to cut through the chaff, you know? (laughs) Kevin the Wheat Man over here, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I was a part of a language college in Multifarnum in the year 2001 spent all of the WWF invasion behind closed doors not being allowed to speak English in German language college. And we went through various stages of madness. The second week, all of the boys decided they all wanted to dye their hair using bleach that they had watered down that they found in the toilets. And then two weeks uh... after... Yeah, so they all had this like horrible snow white hair. A lot of them had burned their scalps. Oh my God. I remember the first time I wanted to bleach my hair, I... Didn't want to go into all the way into town. Fuck that. To get like a packet of hair bleach and do Fuck it properly. That, yeah. So I told my mom, I was like, I'm just going to use toilet bleach because it's, it's the same thing, right? It's just bleach. And she was like, I'm pretty sure it's not the same thing. No, it's not. Here's, here's the test cut off a strand of your hair, bleach it with toilet bleach, and just see what happens, okay? Just wait 24 hours and see kind of how it looks at the end. And sure enough, it disintegrated into fucking dust. I'm pretty sure as well, a small puff of gas in the shape of a skull and crossbones yeah. came off and went. <laughs> when you did it scream so yeah that may explain why two weeks later the boys all took it upon themselves I wasn't part of either of the fads by the way I was busy getting in trouble for speaking English describing the plot of clerks to my roommate so yeah that's what I was doing because I was a wild child <laughs> but yeah two weeks later all the boys decided they're going to shave their heads so we had all these boys who had like white and yellow hair and red scalps decided we're all going to shave our heads now I'll, I'll do it so you had 20 boys then who revealed themselves to have heads of varying shapes and there was one boy, I swear to God, he literally, he was like the big fucking tough brick shithouse and he shaved his head off and I swear to God, it was like the xenomorph from Alien. He had a proper oh. big crease in the back and he was furious. He like hit the guy who was cutting his hair. He's like, it's not my fault. Oh, like, I revealed what you already had. So King's here, he's like, yeah, you don't know. If you shave your head, you got all sorts of knots and twists underneath there. Now me... Later on that year, I decided because my hair was annoying me and I hated having to shower in boarding school as often as I did, that I was just going to shave my head so I wouldn't have to worry about my hair drying all the time. And I was like, wow, I've got like 29,000 scars. Yeah, we said before about how we might do a a map of all your scars on your head. I'd like to do that sometime. Oh man, I I just don't, I don't process it because I remember there was one time I early on in a relationship you were like literally running your hands around my head you're like wow you got this big divot in the side of your skull I'm like yep haven't noticed that for the last 27 years and I have noticed it now yeah and yeah you don't know these things and yeah uh 
That was a, a, a side venture there. Sorry. <laughs> you, you, you don't know these things ahead of time is the point here. Kurt Angle, though, as you all know, has a beautiful round little head. Yeah, he's got a perfect head to be shaved. What did you think of this one, Joe? How did you get on with Kurt and Edge? Were, were you anticipating a particular style from Edge in this match? Because this was really the first time you got to see him bell to bell in not a gimmicky type of environment. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be honest. I kind of went into this without any expectations. Joe, I'm always watching you as you're watching mm. these things. Mm. And I can't help but notice that your notes are far more populated than usual. Yeah. And I don't want to say this match like involved you more, because you you always obviously watch and you pay attention and all that, but did these like matches generally just grip you more or take you in more? Was the story clearer? It seemed like there was something different with what we were watching with Edge compared to, say, Ric Flair. No spoilers. People are going to have to listen to the whole episode <laughs> to find out what I think about all these matches. And we'll be right back as How To Wrestling continues right now so the first thing i want to mention mm-hmm. is that the theming for this pay-per-view was very strange judgment day the, the the gimmick of this pay-per-view appears to be gallows yeah judgment day like as in they're hanging people yeah it's judgment day judgment day heroes fade gallows and everyone gets hanged <laughs> okay that's christianity folks you just don't understand it like Who in- sorry my god will come one day to judge the living and the dead and hang hang them all <laughs> who in wrestling was was hanged at judgment day no one in wrestling was hanged at judgment day the big boss man was hung at wrestlemania 15 i don't know that counts no that's like what's the point of having a gimmick of judgment day if no one's getting hanged if that's your branding the other gimmick to it as well was i don't know if you noticed that there were tombstones at the back like almost like a tombstone where the titan triumph was there i didn't notice that so yeah i was trying to explain to joe where we were at the moment in time where we were at the moment where there was a branding of the pay-per-views but the branding wasn't like gimmicked so it wasn't like this pay-per-view is submission night or this pay-per-view is cage matches or whatever the fuck it is you know TLC Mm. Extreme Rules so we had things like Judgment Day Armageddon No Mercy New Year's Revolution where you would get a theme of sorts yeah but that theme was you know Armageddon might have like uh, like a military theme or kind of like a war theme or it might have like a castle theme or New Year's Revolution might have a dragon theme. It might have things like related to the actual nature of the event but sometimes when it's things like No Mercy or Unforgiven it's just like here's some nice ovals. Yeah, because the logo for this was just a hexagon. (laughs) But it looked kind of like a hexagon that could have been in Silent Hill. A hexagon, I mean, maybe a hexagon is just like a much more efficient guillotine shape, like in case someone's got a jacked up neck. (laughs) So another thing I have to mention, this isn't to do with Edge, it's just I have to mention it, Mm -hmm. is I feel Kurt Angle doesn't get enough credit for his bottom. Yeah, he has a lot of eyes on the ass in this He's match. He's got a fantastic butt. It's like Big E's butt. Like uh, I was going to say, though, Joe, he was wearing a very snug singlet in this match. Yeah, makes it look very good. But Kurt had the my first time wearing leggings reaction in this mm. match, I think. you know, it, just, it was very hard for me to watch this and not just go onto the floor and do a bunch of hip thrusts. Immediately, it was like, maybe like, oh, I need to work out my butt more. I need Kurt Angle's big bottom. Uh, were they deep hip thrusts? I haven't been doing deep hip thrusts recently because I've been too lazy. But hip thrusts are fine. They they work just as good. Good. Good to know. (laughs) (laughs) We need a ranking of the bottoms in wrestling, I think. Oh, careful. I mean, it's it's too subjective. Yeah. You'll end up on the top, probably. Oh, thanks. You would say that. We had Jerry Lawler and JR talking extensively about (laughs) whether or not they like Curtin Edge's hairstyles. Well, that's like the funny bit about this is that 
you know, Edge has got the long blonde hair. That's a beautiful mane. Kurt is very, very, very obviously struggling. As a, as a man in his early 30s, I could just say, my hair is fine. And I know a lot of people who are going through what Kurt is doing right now. And I empathize with those folks. Like, you know, Kurt's probably gotten special shampoo. He has the anxiety and ferocious in-ring tenacity at a man coming to grips with the receding hairline. The battle lines have not been drawn. They've been redrawn every single day. And yeah, Kurt's hairstyle is that of a man who was about to lose his hair for obvious reasons. I mean, I think they've both got great hair. I, I honestly, I love... I. You know, I, I often say, you know, if you're going bald, you should just shave it off mm. and just go for it. But I've got to say, I really like Kurt's balding hair. I think it kind of resuits him. I had a lot of action men that were like this back in the day where they had the kind of the fuzzy Brillo pad hair yeah. that would just kind of like slowly chip away at the front. <laughs> like, you know, just become less, less dense as time went on. I like how the story of this and... Forgive me, I think there was a documentary we watched recently where they specifically said, like, what they're doing in wrestling is is telling that story with their bodies in the ring. And I'm trying to watch wrestling through that lens at the moment where I'm not just thinking about the storyline, you know, outside of the ring. I'm trying to think of what are they trying to tell us in the ring using their bodies. And the story here is that Kurt Angle is the best wrestler in the world, mm. but Edge is really, 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 really good. And he's got a cool head and Angle has not. Angle is incensed that he has to lower himself to wrestle this this punk who by the way i'd forgotten all about this in storyline in kayfabe the person who first starts saying that Angle sucks to the beat of his music was edge yeah that's really cool now we're living in an era where paul Heyman has given drew mcintyre a beautiful little countdown and has made him the most over man in america and i just love that paul Heyman. he's very good at making fans have fun with the wrestler who's meant to be the baby face yeah and i think that's really important for a good guys in wrestling that you have to feel a sense of like you and them are having fun together. Yeah, 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 definitely. And then, you know, stuff where they're... <laughs> the storyline where Kurt had a t-shirt that he wanted to debut, but the t-shirt could only be released in double and triple XL because the t-shirt was a list of all of Kurt's accomplishments and he had too many to fit on a medium or a large or an XL. So if you have any overweight children or parents who are looking for a holiday gift, here you go. And then Edge replaced his shirt with one that said, you suck. And like, it's just brilliant that this whole big part of Kurt's career comes mm. from this one guy who Paul Heyman says he's going to be the fun youngster who we're all going to rally behind and that's why he has Rob Zombie as his entrance <laughs> music show yeah man top spot oh yeah Edge does a drop kick to Kurt just while Kurt's standing on the apron and it makes a disgusting sound it was fucking dead eye on the centre it was such a perfect missile drop kick yeah to the point where I was turning to you and I said you can tell a match is good and has the audience when they are counting along with the pinfall and go, oh, yeah. when it's not their finisher. And then you were like, that isn't his finisher? Because that was yeah. so cool. <laughs> so what is Edge's finisher? Edge's actual finisher for the longest time has been the spear. Right. When he went through periods of using the spears like a move that he would use, and then there were times when the spear was the move that he would use. Around this time, he would use the spear, but it would be kind of a setup move or like a in the middle of the match move, kind of like the Superman punches for Roman. Right. But he would end the matches, unlike Roman with the spear. Bad analogy, <laughs> Kevin. He would end his matches usually with the Impaler DDT, which right. I love because Gangrel used to do that, and he would call it the execution. Ah, oh, very good. Uh, like an execution. 
like mm. Judgment Day. Or and education. then he had a, <laughs> Well, he had Educator, which oh. was a submission move. It was kind of like a step over st- sharpshooter. Oh. So he would educate you with his Educator, which is very, <laughs> very good. So yeah, he had a lot of different moves in his time. He also had the Downward Spiral at one point, which is a move that looked like someone else was giving you the rock bottom. And he also had the Electric Chair Drop at a period of time, which is a move where he puts you up on his shoulders and picks you up and slams your face forward. He had a lot of kind of like moves where it's like, Ain't no one taking that. <laughs> you know, you always have a finisher that you could think the top wrestler is going to be like, yeah, I'll do that. Fine. Yeah. Because if it's like, no. Hulk Hogan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we got Hulk Hogan to take a jackhammer. Anything is possible, I guess. <laughs> we have another moment on commentary, which is a bit weird, where Jim Ross asks Jerry Lawler if he's ever lost a hair versus hair match. And Lawler's like, no, never. Wait a second. Yes, I have. <laughs> yeah, he lost to him back in Memphis, I believe. Right. So is there a picture somewhere of Jerry Lawler with no hair? So just a little check there. Lawler did lose a hair versus hair match correctly, yeah, as he claimed. Uh, he lost to Austin Idol in Memphis when he was a face. So it wasn't done like a big, wow, my hair's gone, which obviously would be the greatest thing ever. Yeah. Uh, instead, it was more of a, like, the heel beating him down, doing a really horrible job, and the crowd crying and sad as Jerry Lawler gets beaten up more. Like, so, yeah. Uh, not really the, what you'd expect from the king getting his <laughs> hair chopped off. Now, I was trying really hard, and I think I've been really good with the egg stuff here, yeah? But there was a point where Edge gets thrown off the top rope, and JR literally said... Egg gets flipped off the top rope. <laughs> Egg. Flipped like a cheese omelette. <laughs> Come on now, guys. Making it very hard for you. Very, very hard. The near falls in this became very insane very quickly. Because like, I remember distinctly this match when I was a kid. It was the first time I actually got tired from going... <gasps> 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 you know, it was a, a, a lot. The referee does get uh, taken out in this one and Kurt Angle is getting increasingly incensed and desperate. He brings a chair into the ring and I love the spot they do with the chair where Kurt swings and misses and he bops himself. That's beautiful. So we get some serious action here now as Kurt Angle gets super duper pissed off. He tries to get Edge with the Angle slam. Edge kicks out. He spears Edge. You know, Edge spears him. We get all these near falls. And, like, Kurt is literally crying. He looks at the referee. He's like, what the fuck do I have to do to beat this? He's so incensed. (laughs) And then Edge gets put in the ankle lock. We get a quick reversal and a roll-up. Edge picks up the win. And Kurt is just, like, crestfallen. Kurt is like, no, 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 no. Like, he's just missed the fucking delivery man or something like that. And Kurt sold it in a way that he lost absolutely nothing in this. But I thought it made Edge out to be like he was... The man who had the tools to beat the best wrestler in the world and a cooler head prevailed. It made him seem cool in a babyface way that you never really get to see. Like where a babyface is like, he's outsmarted the bad guy and he's done it by just being a better wrestler and a better guy all around. I love this. And the audience is behind him. The audience were so invested in this. That's like the thing that's strangest to me about this. And I think it's probably because I'm a modern day wrestling fan. Mm. But like, I'm so used to the top face guy being booed it's just like i it, to me if you're the top face you get booed that is just the rule it's I, so mad to me that edge is being completely cheered here. just completely loved yeah and loved and also being pushed in a way that's like okay this makes sense yeah because if he's beating kurt now i can see him going up against the top bad guy down the line and the top bad guy at the time was someone like chris jericho so you think 
Well, yeah, surely, right? That, that's an easy yeah. thing for us to swing here, you know? This is on a car, by the way, that's headlined by The Undertaker versus a late 40s Hulk Hogan. Wow. Great times to be had there. Match. So there's a little bit of comedy after this when Kurt loses the match. He immediately runs away. <laughs> he, he tries to hide, you know, by putting on like a shower cap and stuff like that. And then Edge puts him in a sleeper hold and... Kurt selling here is fantastic. He looks like he's genuinely dying. I mean, if I had my head shaved to Rob Zombie, that's probably like... <laughs> that is kind of a nightmare. If I wake up in the middle of the night with a cold sweat in the next 10 days, that's why it is, you know? I thought it was very funny as well that they have this, like, fancy barber with a barber's chair and all the barber's <laughs> yeah. tools, and then they didn't use the barber at all. He was nah, just standing Edge is there. like, I want to do this myself. Yeah, like. even though he clearly doesn't know how. It looks quite painful. How many times in wrestling do I have to see someone's head get shaved the wrong way around no. I've seen as many scalpings in wrestling as I've seen in Boardwalk Empire this month <laughs> that's too many like one set in the 20s one was in 2002 it's horrible and I'll tell you what I love though this is like there's sometimes wrestling fans who say like hey we're gonna fill in the blanks and we're gonna do this thing now and it's happening and it's like really you're chanting this now like there's times when there's this is awesome chance where I'm like ah bless you it's not but like bless yeah. you you want to make this show seem like it's something else you're taking part when Kurt gets his hair shaved off and the crowd just kind of go na 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 goodbye and then J.R. King are like the crowd singing goodbye to Kurt Angle's hair <laughs> <laughs> and next time I'm getting a haircut I'm just going to be like number two Edge says you hate the fans chanting you suck well from now on they're going to chant you're bald hit the music I think I've never heard a crowd chant something as loud yeah. as this. Your balls. Like, they chanted so loud, I thought balls. it was a fake chant they piped <laughs> in. They were worried the crowd weren't going to be into it. It was so loud. And then JR says, well, Kurt Angle has two things going for him. He sucks and he's bald. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking burn. Now, this was the absolute perfect marriage of really silly, goofy, like, you know, Kurt Angle, you know, they do the thing where... Kurt is knocked down, he wakes up and he sees himself. You know, do like what they do with Vince. Kurt looking at himself in a broken mirror afterwards <laughs> for fuck's sake. That's this is the perfect match of like real great comedy, great performance at the end with the angle. Mm. But the match itself, it's these ads were sweating buckets. Yeah. And I mean, when you hear the word work rate, I think matches like this spring to mind. Yeah. This did remind me of a previous match we had watched for this, which was uh, Sting and Ric Flair in their Clash of Champions classic. Just from the fact that these guys were up, running, yeah. like non-stop, except they weren't doing the same three or four things over and over again. This was like new things constantly. Yeah, constantly. Some of the suplexes were edge, flipped complete 180. Like they did suplexes over the top rope to the outside. It was... This was breathtaking stuff. I had not seen it since I was a kid. And I remember just thinking, like, oh, this is one of these ones I think is probably just going to be like, ah, you thought it was good when you were a kid because you hadn't seen anything like it. This held up for me. No, it's fantastic. It's such a good match. I would absolutely recommend this to anyone who enjoys Kurt Angle or Edge or just wants to watch a fun wrestling match. It's just, it's great. It's just good all round. Great story, great angle, great wrestling, great characters. Great to see Edge as like pure fucking absolute fiery baby face yeah. you know and you rarely get to see that in wrestling and yeah so many people talk at great length about Edge's great heel work but man he was a 
great good guy here. Yeah, absolutely. And your star rating for this one, Joe? I gave this four and a half stars Whoa! out of five. I really liked this match. It was nearly perfect. Wow. Can't say like what it was about it that makes it not perfect. I think I'm just being... I'm trying to be harsh and yeah. not just give everything like you full can, marks. You can do the same Dave Meltzer thing where it's like, sometimes it just feels like it is and it doesn't. Yeah. You know? There's nothing technically wrong with this match. Like I don't, I mean, they're a bit harsh about people who are bald, but that's, I mean, to be expected of the time, I guess. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it, it's it's your it's your rating system and you decide, but yeah. I would say four and a half. I mean, you usually are quite conservative with your ending out of stars. I am, yeah. So I'm, I'm really impressed that this one like it, it ticked all the boxes the way it should be. This is one that was recommended by fans and it did a fucking beautiful job yeah. at it as well. So we have Edge on top of the world, beat people like Kurt Angle. Seems like he's Paul Heyman's guy of the SmackDown Six. They've done things like, you know, they tagged him with Hulk Hogan, you know, to kind of get over the passing of the torch. Lots of stuff where it's like, you know, him as a fan wearing Hogan's feather boa and doing promos. And then Hogan's like, let's go reek of awesomeness, brother. Also, I'm not who you think I am. But like, you don't do stuff like that without there obviously being, you know, you don't put Hogan there pointing like he's the guy without them having a plan for him Mm. down the line. And I never knew when it was. I just knew like one day Edge was the next top guy. The next minute he's gone and he's gone for like a year, like an indeterminate time. Forget about Edge. But he points out it was actually with the returning Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero had been gone for a little bit of time. He'd been out of the company. He came back with like a point to prove. He was in you know, amazing shape, had a very intense work style. And him and Edge were put together pretty soon to like have a series of matches for the Intercontinental Championship and of that nature. They were doing ladder matches. Edge points out the moment that his neck actually broke and like the, the point that passed over from nagging neck injury to severe neck problems have surgery now. It was just taking a flat bump on that ladder. No, and you say just. Uh, but I say just because he was only going from the ground out backwards. It was a perfect backwards drop. And it seemed like just the most throwaway thing. It wasn't as if this was like the top spot in the match. You're like, be careful, this one's going to be dodgy. But I think as you pointed out to me, just where the rungs of the ladder are, when you're about to fall on it and you don't can't see it, yeah. you don't know if your head's going to go into a divot. Or that's, into a wrong. Yeah, that's the thing that I assume happened because it's the thing I'm always really scared of when I see anything to do with ladder matches is that they're going to fall onto the ladder in a way which means that they hit their neck on one of the steps of the ladder and then your head falls into the gap which, you know, could easily break your neck. Like, it's very easy to see how that could happen. The noise. Like, yes. he, he said he could Disgusting. hear a crack. You, yeah. can, you can hear the crack. Yeah. If, if you want to, you can hear the crack. Like, <laughs> we've heard the crack. There was something he said here that kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit yeah he's talking about obviously the difficulty of having to take a time off for a year when you have the surgery that he had he has the same surgery that stone cold steve austin had which is neck fusion where they literally you know get some bone from your hip or your ankle or wherever it may be you shave it off then you put those shavings onto the kind of the recently paired away neck and you plop those bits of bone there. The idea is that you're building kind of a bit of sticking plaster. That Well, I say sticking plaster. It's much more like solid than that. It's, yeah. it's going to hold everything in place. You lose flexibility, but the neck is going to be sturdy and safe and all that. Now, when you do that, there is no rehab because you can't work out to make bone grow back faster. It's not a muscle, for instance. So you have to just sit around and do nothing. Austin's talked about the difficulty of that. Lita's talked about the difficulty of, of that, just sitting around. Ed said like he was literally withering away at the time. You know, before he even had the surgery, he noticed that he was losing feeling in his hands. His triceps were going away. Yeah, he describes it as his arm 
began to deflate. He had a divish in like his his deltoids. Just like they got, they've gone. It's so oh, it's so scary. I can't think of like something as scary as that. And like when you think about that, that you're thinking in your head, these are symptoms of possibly something that could be paralysis down the line. Yeah. Can I wrestle again? Yeah. But when he's talking about all that, he says like, when I came back, I felt ready because I felt like the fans and the creative had, had seen me and they said, you know what? He's paid his dues now. He's tough. I'm like, I really, really understand the need to kind of process injuries in a way that's helpful for you and all that. What I have to say, I don't like the idea of people saying that you're tough because you got injured, you made it through. Obviously that proves so much about you, but I don't think that the precedent that to be over, you need to prove toughness. The no, absolutely not. Injury, you know, and like a lot of great wrestlers who never got injured in their career until right at the end of it, like Bret Hart and all that. Mm. I mean, there's plenty of ways to prove you're tough. Prove you're tough by not hurting people. That's kind of what I'd rather yeah. see. But when he came back, he's like, yeah, the fans were bored with me. They kind of booed me. Did, did you understand why the fans didn't re- kind of embrace him when he came back? Because no. it feels like a big return, right? Yeah, and I don't understand. Wasn't he in his hometown when he came back? Yeah, he comes back and like he's put it straight away for like, you got to go for the IC belt. Hometown boy, Toronto, SummerSlam 2004, going to get you in there. Puts you up against Batista, who's just like a henchman for, for Triple H and Randy and Ric Flair. He's like, you know, a faceless bad guy to an extent. He, he was put a triple threat. Jericho was in there as well, I believe. But like, he, he was in there to be the good guy. He's a hometown person. And yeah. they, they show the clip of him coming out and he's like, yeah, here High-fiving we go. High-fiving the crowd and, and they're just <sighs> booing him. Like, it's not like they're quiet or, you know, some are booing, some are cheering. Yeah. It's like some are quiet and some are booing him. Yeah. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I can't explain it to you why the fans rejected him like they did, but I think it's just the fact that fans were a little bit bored, and but they're not excited by him coming back. I thought, I thought, as you said, any return is exciting television. It is, but like, if you're gone for a year, and you got to understand the company had changed quite a bit in the time that he was gone. Mm. You know, this is a company you're coming back to where you know you haven't got Paul Heyman writing that show on SmackDown. You've not, you've got you know Triple H. There's a lot of problems with, with the show, let's just say. Right. And Edge wasn't necessarily the breath of fresh air because when something comes that's been away for like 12 months or longer and it's like, hey, and it's exactly the same as you remember it. Mm. You know, I think fans, myself included, were expecting something, a bit of an edge. To, yeah. <laughs> hey! Uh, we're expecting a little something like a, a, a wrinkle in a divot in the character, something that's going to change it a little bit. He just came back and was like, hey, I'm Edge. I've been a, I'm the same guy as I was before, except now I'm on Raw. And that just felt like it wasn't enough for people. Yeah. That it felt like he was put in a holding pattern. But I, I just hate that when fans are like, you've been put in a holding pattern by The Office. Boo! <laughs> How dare you? You like, suck. And I, I can tell you, Joe, that SummerSlam from Toronto is one of the reasons why they didn't go back to Toronto for a pay-per-view for many years afterwards. Wow. It's, it's weird. You've not lived until you've seen the crowd like vocally supporting JBL and booing that bastard, The Undertaker. It's, just, <laughs> it's a weird night and it's like, you know, them going, it's Bizarro World! And they boo, boo! <laughs> <laughs> they did, like, a thing where it was, like, the Diva Search contestants were taking on, like, the heel women, like, Trish and Gale and Dodgeball, and they booed those Diva Search contestants so much. Like, wow. odd night. But it shook Edge a lot. He's like, I'm gonna change, because if I don't, I'm, I have no point in me being here. Yeah. Like, you know, fans aren't accepting me. I feel like I've worked all this time for the last two years and now I'm like further back than I was in like when I was with Christian. So we get a new character and the new character is based off of Edge's idea that, right, if I'm going to get booed, I will be the most despicable, horrible, nasty motherfucker ever. 
Like, were you shocked in any way by the extent of the evilness of Edge and what he became? I mean, I don't know if I've seen... I don't know if I've seen, like, the true evil stuff that he did. I mean, you have, really. Have I? You have. Like, what? I mean, it's mostly to do with the stuff involving Matt Hardy and Lita. That was where a lot of it came from, if not most of it. But, like, I feel... I feel it's such a complex situation. Mm. It's not as easy just to be like, oh, yeah, Edge is a heel character, because... Like, there's more to it than that. If one thing WWE is very good at, for better or for worse, it's by taking complex real-life situations and boiling them down to their most basic components. <laughs> and sometimes in the process, you boil the people involved in those situations down to their most basic components yeah. as well. Like, you know, it's, it, it is very interesting how this unfolded. Because, yeah... Edge was a bad guy and he had this really great justification. He's like, these fans, like, I've wasted my whole return. The whole time I was, was rehab and I was thinking about these fans, like, what, what waste of time that was. An absolute waste of time. He gets new heel music that's now says things like, On this day, I see clearly. It's way better than his Rob Zombie music. You didn't like Rob Zombie. No. But you liked On This Day. You, mm. you liked the Metalingus. It's no You Think You Know Me. Which oh, is the best. You're a fan of that. What, Big what, fan of that. Why did you like You Think You Know Me so much? It's kind of sexy. And I feel like a lot of men in wrestling, especially around this time, didn't get like sexy music. It's one of the only wrestling themes I could think of at the time that's not like... Bum, bum, yeah. bum, bum. It has like a big kind of guitar like beat to it, you know? This is much more non-wrestling. And it has a woman singing in it, which it is really rare to have a, a man's entrance theme with a woman singing on it. I love so much like... In its original guys, like you think you know me, it's like, well, no one knows Edge, he's mysterious. And then it was like literally like Edge and Christian and Kazoo's going, Our theme song is so mysterious and cool. You think you know me, you think you know me. And now it's like he's changed his character. He's completely become this different person, he's revealed this bitter heart that was inside of him all along. You think you know me. It's like it's it's fucking brilliant. It's yeah. it's really great. And you really get a little through line in wrestling that kind of goes through all those different eras. And the fact that it works like even to this day, like when he made his return, you think you know me, you think you know my career, my past, my history, you, well, you know what I've been didn't. through. Yeah. yeah. It's it's crazy because we a lot of us had him completely written off and himself included, I guess, for a long period of time. So like, I don't want to say that it's just because of Matt Hardy and Lee, and we're gonna talk about this now that Edge became a heel. He was a, a proper nasty heel at a series of matches with Chris Benoit where they really put over that Edge was this new ruthless complete take no prisoners attitude he wasn't a coward he was a coward but he wasn't a coward from before in that like before he'd be cowardly and run away now he was a coward who would kind of find the moments where he could hit you in the head with a chair really really hard right like Edge and Christian used to do the concerto two chairs hanging against each other which is kind of like a, oh those bastards those sneaky bastards doing that horrible thing Something about someone in wrestling putting someone's face on a chair, face down, and then like holding up a chair and smashing over it, so doing it themselves. Scary. It's like an execution in yeah, wrestling. Yeah, like, horrid. One of the most horrible things. So, Edge wins the Money in the Bank ladder match, the first ever one. We have this thing in the back of our heads that Edge can have a championship match whenever he wants, which is amazing when you have this guy who's like, I've been denied my proper championship match all my career, and now I can do it whenever I want to. Like... Him, win I showed Joe him winning the first ever Money in the Bank like contract cash-in on John Cena. And I don't know if you could ever understand how weird it was for the concept of someone cashing in on a fallen champion who's not ready to wrestle. So I was a bit confused by this. So this, is this the first ever Money in the Bank? First ever. So why would it have been weird to do it 
at the end of a match because like it's new because he, he held the money bank for nine or ten months as well he won it in march he didn't cash it until the following january wow which like it did get to the point with it where like most of us were like they're either going to forget about this gimmick or it's going to be like underwhelming when it happens because surely it can't live up to the hype that's been building around it for yeah. this length of time he like defended the money in the bank and stuff like that as well along the way and he would put it on the line like a title all the time where they're saying he's entitled to a championship match anytime, any place for the next calendar year. All of us just thought that meant I'm going to main event WrestleMania. Right. Like he was going to, like he was going to use this to steal the spotlight and get himself a big payday. No one thought that you could actually be like, oh, I'm going to do it. Like he did it after the elimination chamber, and John Cena was the first guy in the elimination <laughs> chamber. He beat everyone, including Kurt Angle, and Cena's like literally dead. And this was like, the first time Cena lost, Super Cena lost in like two years, probably. God. So yeah, it was really shocking. So yeah, the, the Money in the Bank is a huge, huge deal. Um, but the Money in the Bank really can only gather momentum when some real life consequences of real life personal issues came to the forefront. Joe, did you know anything about the love triangle? I mean, I've heard of a death triangle in wrestling, but a love triangle? I've heard of a ladder triangle, <laughs> a love triangle. I had heard a bit about this. Yeah, I was I'm familiar with the fact that Lisa and Matt Hardy were very publicly in a relationship mm-hmm. in kayfabe and in real life. Yep. And I was aware that there was some kind of angle involving Edge because Edge and Lita in real life cheated on on their partners with each other. Yeah. And then it got turned into a f- wrestling angle. And yeah. So I, I don't know about, I know vaguely about the sex, live sex celebration. Cause that was like kind of told to me in the early days of me yeah, being a wrestling yeah. fan of like, you know, people like being like, Oh, did you know about the live sex Quickly, celebration? It's a gold rush to try and ruin things. Yeah. <laughs> but you didn't count on her for getting things. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Okay. In the broadest strokes of possible, I can tell this and I'll try and get into pertinent details where it's needed. Also bear in mind, that I will tell you right now as a, what, this is 2005 it happened, so I would have been 16 going on 17. Uh, I'm someone who, back in the day, really took to outrage in wrestling. Like, you know, when I felt an injustice had been done. I talked about, you know, when Daniel Bryan got fired for choking someone with a tie. I was like, how dare you? I'm going to buy a t-shirt. So I, this is something that I really felt strongly about because I felt an injustice had been done as my 16-year-old brain understood it. Yeah. Matt Hardy who, on screen, as he said, yeah, had been involved in a relationship with Leah. Her, Matt and Jeff were like Team Extreme. They were like everyone's favourite. Matt and Leah, great little item. Always a little kiss on the, the peck on the cheek. And they seem cute together because it's like, hey, you got the guy who's like, whoa, and the girl's like, whoa. They just felt like they were meant to be. It felt very, very good. All the magazine spreads they'd have where it's just them talking about how much they love each other, all the time they spend with each other, what good friends they are. You know, genuinely as hard as it could go putting over their relationship. Yeah. And it seemed like in a consensual way because they seemed very much in love. They did a few angles where it's like, we're going to break up on TV, but they were still together for six years. Leah had an injury at one point. She was off TV for a year, which was a really hard time. And then when Leah came back, Matt himself got injured not that long thereafter. So they had an unfortunate period where they were split up from each other, even right. though they'd been on the road for a long time. During this time, Lisa who was without a travel partner because Jeff had left the company because of drug problems, Lee starts traveling on the road with Edge. And Edge, at that moment in time, who in real life is married to Val Venus's sister. Oh, was he married? I thought he was just engaged. No, he was married to Val oh, Venus's dear. sister at the okay. time. So yeah, married to noted tinfoil hat transphobe jackass Val Venus's sister. So he was a married man. Three of them start riding together. And at some point over those few months where they're riding together, 
they start more than seeing each other and they yeah, begin an affair. They say in the documentary that, because they interview Lita and Edge about this, and it's really sweet actually how honest they both are about it. Everyone seems grown up and honest yeah. about it at this point, which honestly, I remember when they first started doing docs, you know, the Hardy Boys did a doc around this time as well. I was like, man, just hearing everyone say this is just kind of good for the soul so yeah. i will say all we're about to talk about now this is all grand everyone's fine you know involved yeah, they, in it they had matt hardy on to talk about it yeah. like, up until and he wasn't that, even with the company at the time yeah so. and up until that point i was like well matt hardy is noticeable by his absence and then then he appeared just talk about this so yeah in the documentary they, they kind of explain that you know lita and edge both suffered from neck injuries which yeah. meant that they were off off wrestling for a long time there's a lot of empathy there yeah I think they had a lot in common and they ended up hooking up and the thing is like you don't blame people who are lonely for kind of drifting towards each other because they would have known each other they were friends they said because you know Lita would have worked a lot with the Edge and Christian during the original tag run back in 2000 and all that so it was not completely odd that they would start riding together and stuff but yeah it is around somewhere in this time that they start sleeping with each other Mm. now the thing that people don't like to talk about is that apparently Lita and Matt had all sorts of problems before this. Yeah, I don't think cheating just happens out of nowhere. No, and I hate to break it to all the Hardy Boy fanatics out there in the world, and I would have been one of them at one point, but I don't think the love story was as picture perfect as it seemed in WWF magazine. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know? I just... There was a... You know, couples go through ups and downs. It happens. And I, yeah. we've spoken before about how difficult it would be to be, you know have a partner when you're in wrestling and even having a partner in wrestling while you're in wrestling is also super hard as well. Yeah. The injury stuff, I'm sure, contributed to it. Matt gets wind of this. Matt's under contract at WWE as our lead and edge at the time. Matt is one of the few people, I'd say the other people included Shannon Moore and Gregory Helms, all kind of in Matt's circle and wavelength, all guys from North Carolina. They were using MySpace at the time. Now in 2005, MySpace was not something that was being used by WWE at all. It's so funny. Like that's what I was using yeah. MySpace. Who were their top 10 friends? Well, Shannon Moore and Greg Hams, you got to believe would have been in there okay. as well. But I mean, like Matt, you can we well, look, you can't help but say MySpace and people are going to snigger. But I will say this right now, uh, for for people who are early adopters, Matt Hardy was using blogs to connect with fans, to talk about upcoming events, to talk about storylines. So like, it was really ahead of its time because, you know, everyone uses Twitter and social nowadays. You mm. know, some of those hardcore people were early adopters of Tout, didn't live to tell the tale. But like, it was big that he used MySpace because I remember a lot of us, myself included, he used MySpace. You know, I didn't talk with Matt Hardy on MySpace, but the fact that he was on there and using it, it meant a lot for me as a fan that he was trying to reach out. You know, CM Punk was using Live Journal in a similar way at the time to of try and. Of course, know. he was using of Live he Journal. Was. Five years later, and he would have been on Tumblr. Just when you think that I, well, I think he may have actually been. Oh really? <laughs> you think you've got the answers? I changed the blog post URL. But yeah, Matt was was using that to connect with the fans, and I think it was he did it in a way that the fans appreciated it because it felt like he was trying to remove the barriers between being a wrestler and being a fan, and the fans could actually interact with wrestlers. That's why my case was cool, right? Because for me, I wanted to talk to comedians and musicians and stuff. Yeah. I'm sure there were people you wanted to talk to. It was that idea that it was somehow a level playing field of users that yeah. never existed before. Like, you couldn't look up Matt Hardy's number in the phone book, but you could find him on MySpace. Yeah. Soon as this happens, Matt's on MySpace with the 500,000 friends telling them, Lita is a piece of shit. She's broken my heart. She betrayed me. I'm a home injured. And behind my back, she goes with my greatest rival edge and steals my heart and breaks it. And it's, you know... Matt has often been someone who's been a bit 
nebulous with what is something for him to kind of work shit out and what is a character piece. I mean, a lot of his videos over the years have been very, very weird. Matt Hardy has done a lot of video stuff when he's been inebriated under the influence of lots of different things. Right. For better or for worse, he's done all that stuff. And I get that he's used social media as a platform to help him with his character and his inner thoughts. But this was using social media as a platform to say, hey, everyone, Lita, a.k.a. Amy Dumas, is a slut. And Edge is a piece yeah. of shit. I... I, I'm not confused by his reaction. I mean, I understand his frustrations of where he was, but I don't think Matt could have understood what a dog pile was in the internet in 2005 because we'll talk about it in her episode. Lita's career and brand and image was ruined forever because of this. It's difficult. I, I empathise with everyone in this situation. No one came off well in this. No. Like, I empathise with, I think, Lita most of all. Like, obviously, she made a stupid mistake. Her and Edge... I, you know, they'd be the first to say what a stupid thing to do, and I'm sure they regret it totally. But in 2005, a girl who I really didn't like did a big post about me on MySpace, mm-hmm. calling me out and saying, "Oh, that this girl Joe Graham, she's a piece of shit, she's a slut, she has bad hair, yada yada yada." Oh my god, bad hair! Excuse I know, me. and turned loads of people in my sixth form against me, mm. and I lost loads of friends as a result of it. And, and you're talking about it in a much smaller. I mean, much this smaller. would have been like yeah. what dozens as opposed to hundreds yeah. of thousands. This yeah. Is, yeah, literally, you know, maybe ten or fifteen people who would have seen this as opposed to yeah, five hundred thousand people. Basically, everyone. Everyone who likes wrestling and cared enough about it to go on MySpace and friend Matt Hardy and then read his blog, like you're literally boiling it down to the most obsessive fans. Yeah. I was included in that group, mind. Like, yeah. But it's not a great mix of people to be broadcasting to. No, and exactly. And, you know, I have in the past, you know, used the internet to voice my frustrations and it definitely feels good to do. But it's just not the right way to, to deal with your problems yeah. is to just kind of shout into the... You know, unless it's a true void and no one's there to see it and get hurt. Like, yeah. if people see it, people's feelings will get hurt it's and true. it will end badly for everyone. It's just not a good idea. Yeah. You're better off having a diary. Matt was very, very emotional at the time. He does all this. Now, there is a point at which there's a bit of a blurred line question mark as to when did they start deciding, right, we're going to do business? And when do we start deciding that, right, actually, this is just Matt Hardy acting out and we have to fire him? But he did appear, like, they had Bite This at the time, which is like a web show where you could phone in, like, wrestlers would just kind of shoot the shit and, and answer questions from fans. Now and then, there was some kind of serious stuff on it, like Steve Austin basically revealed he was going to leave the company on Bite This once. And Lita was on Bite This, and they Matt Hardy called in, and she's like, "Hey, uh, it's a quick question. I wonder why you brought my heart. Why you're like, why you're a slut and a piece of shit and all that. You know, oh, geez, t- why are you yeah. such a bitch? You know." And she like walked off straight away. It's just like really upset by it, and you know, it didn't help matters the fact that in kayfabe at this point in time, Lita was married to Kane. What? Yeah, Lita was married to Kane at this moment in time on on, on screen. Lita Consensually, was, or uh, it started off as a as a non consensual, of course. But then, but then after they got married, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. After they got married, <laughs> I can't spoil too much for these episodes. But after they got married, they did have a, a bond of sorts where Lita's like, "Oh, I understand that Kane can destroy people on my behalf," right? And he did so lovingly for her. Uh, so they were married together a night on TV. Very Matt, Game of Thrones. Very Game of Thrones, absolutely. Matt was not on TV. And then I log on to WWE.com to find out what's going on with the situation. Need to find out what's going on. 
and then you get the the news Matt Hardy's been released and it's not like due to the circumstances involving it's just Matt Hardy's released wow we wish him the best in his future endeavours and then of course you can imagine how Matt Hardy and his fans reacted to that he's been fired he did nothing wrong she's the one who cheated on him Edge is the one who cheated on his wife these two have cheated on their partners and now Edge is going to get a world championship match and you know he's the top guy oh of course they're not going to hold the golden boy Edge's ascent honestly they managed to take the fan anger that people have about Roman Reigns yeah. and John Cena and correctly apply it to a heel yeah. who was on a trajectory to be the top guy and then to go, well, you know what? He's going to be the top guy no matter what, so fuck y'all. Yeah. So yeah, it really rubbed people the wrong way. And then Matt's out there crying on the internet saying like, well, like, I've, my career has been taken away from me. You stole my dream. And then a few months passed, a few weeks passed. And they start bringing Matt Hardy into the shows. Matt's maybe going to go with the only other company. They decide, right, let's do business. You could do an angle with Edge and Leah. Because guess what? After all this, Edge and Leah don't even like each other that much anymore in that way. They've been linked together on telly. And Leah's betrayed Kane to be with Edge on telly. And then Matt Hardy shows up and he's like, now all of you know that Lita, a.k.a. Amy Dumas, was married to Kane, a.k.a. Glenn Jacobs on TV, but she was actually <laughs> my girlfriend and she brought my heart and Edge, you ruined my life. And I love Matt Hardy. I, was, I felt... I felt so I feel so strong at the mm. time that he'd been done by. I I I wasn't angry with Leah. I was angry with e- Leah and Edge. Yeah, because like, I feel like a lot of a lot of gross fans around this time. It's like it's a real unfortunate thing, but like, you know, what what kind of year was it? Two thousand five. Two thousand five. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like it's a bad time to be a woman. It's a bad time to be a famous woman, and it's a bad time to be an evil famous woman. And I will say as well, part of the reason for my reaction to that was that I probably didn't know enough women or had seen enough women or even known people who knew women in my capacity yeah. as someone in an all-boys boarding school who was introverted and not very good at making friends that I wouldn't have even... Like, it's not as if I was hanging around friends who would be like, oh, fuck her. Yeah. Because yeah, we didn't know girls to say fuck her about Whereas I'm sure <laughs> the wrestling fans in my school, oh, which yeah. was co-ed, would have been Absolutely. a lot more... Like, their hatred to Lita would have been a lot more misogynist because, like... They it was it was a socialized thing, you know. Teenage boys when I was growing up, you hated women. That yeah. was just it was what you did. And it's not just the fans as well. They say in the documentary, you know, they said a few people stood by me mm. or us, not many. Yeah, I think they mentioned Mick Foley, William Regal, Regal as well. And they were like, yeah, everyone else was just kind of fuck you. But they oh, I'm blessed. I really want to emphasize like both Lita and Edge. They fucked up. They did. They, the, fucked, they up. fucked up massively. And they feel so bad about it. It's not like they're saying, "Oh, everyone ostracized us." It's totally unfair. They were like, "Yeah, they ostracized us, and yeah, we we probably deserved it." And Edge is very repentant. Like he's yeah. like he, he they said both like are. they both said like, "Look, we realize we've done wrong. We're going to get a backlash. Let's ride it out. Mm. We can use this for heel heat." The stuff with Matt. He said it felt kind of cathartic. Yeah, he said it was kind of cathartic and therapeutic for all of us. Now. Lita did not say that. No, I, think I it was can't imagine. For Edge. Yeah, I can't imagine it was cathartic or therapeutic for Lita. It was, it was difficult really to to understand where they were going at the time because you do this segment where Vince McMahon is like, I very rarely like unfire someone, but this this person has proven that he he deserves to be here, and I want to give him an opportunity, and that's all. I'm bringing back Matt Hardy, and Matt comes out and is like, Here you go, Matt. Here's the mic. All or nothing now, and Matt does a kind of a nervous promo. Eee. 
And then Edge, who is, you know, top of his game at the moment. And Edge is using this anger. He's like, he's literally in problems going, you know what I think it is? I think it's bullshit. I think it's bullshit that all these fans know anything about my private life and that Matt Hardy gets all of their sympathy and they know nothing about who he is. And like, Edge is the most justified heel in the world in this Mm. whole thing. And the reality is that I was thinking, oh, well, they're going to use this to Matt. He's going to vanquish the baddies and Matt will be the new top guy. He'll be the champion, right? No, Matt was brought in because Vince realized that Edge was going to get a lot out of this. And people never seemed to pick up on this, that Edge was one of Vince's faves mm. from the get-go. Vince loves Edge, and he always thought he was going to be a tippity-top guy around this time. So, yeah, it's like with Roman, you know. Once Vince has picked his lane, he's going to stay in his lane. You know what's interesting, though, about that the whole thing with Vince? I feel like so often in this podcast, we come across wrestlers who are like, you know, they're obviously Vince's chosen one. Yeah. And they often have a bit of a troubled relationship with their father and as such Vince becomes almost like a father figure to them mm. like Kurt Angle was yeah. one of them like, yeah absolutely you know happens again and again and again and it's interesting that even though Edge didn't grow up with a dad he never at any point mentions that Vince was like a father to him it seems to be the most professional relationship yeah. between Vince McMahon and a top star yeah. that ever has been where it's just like you're a great wrestler I believe in you as this character let's do it there doesn't seem to be any problems where he pushed Edge too much or... Manipulated him. This is the closest to it being manipulated. Yeah. But even at the same time, I feel like Matt Hardy and Lee are being manipulated. I don't know if Edge really yeah. is. Because Edge comes out of this looking golden. And that takes us to our second match. A match which I didn't make me cry, but it came as close to making 17-year-old Kevin cry as was humanly possible at the time. It's Matt Hardy versus Edge in a money... <laughs> oh, this is, is going to be interesting. This is Matt Hardy versus Edge in a loser leaves Raw ladder match for the Money in the Bank contract. Now, for... hang on. Mine's written down as okay. Edge versus Matt Hardy for the Money in the Bank contract in a ladder match and loser leaves Raw match. Okay. That's fine as well, I think. Okay. The only difficulty was you had originally written down that this was Edge versus Matt Hardy in a loser leaves Raw match, Money in the Bank ladder match. Yeah. But if you say it's a Money in the Bank ladder match, I think that implies there's six to eight people there. But if you say it's a ladder match for the Money in the Bank contract, there's two people there. Right. (laughs) Are we all all okay? This is like war games. It's war games! (laughs) This is exactly what it is. And it's from Raw Homecoming. And the idea is, is that Matt had one match with Edge straight away. And in that match, Edge beat Matt into a bloody pulp within two minutes and the match was stopped because Matt was bleeding too much. Wow. And then you see like Edge basically coming out the next week saying, Matt, you had one chance to say to these people what you thought in your promo and you blew it. You had one chance to prove to me that you're a man in this ring and you blew it. I've nothing to do with you now. So Matt did get a win against Edge in a cage and they had a great you know, series of really violent brawls. I mean... Even though Matt wasn't being pushed, he was getting over as a singles guy and Edge was getting over as well. Like both these guys, you weren't thinking about the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian when they were feuding, even though Lita was there as well. You were thinking solely about these two guys and Lita and what their careers meant with it. So they have this match and the stipulation is the loser leaves Raw because Edge is like, right, I'd only put this contract on the line if I can guarantee that I don't have to see you ever again because I want Matt Hardy out of our lives so me and Lita can go on being sexy together the chemistry that Edge and Lita have. Oh, it's undeniable. Considering now at this point, they're not actually together anymore, are they? I'm pretty sure by this point it's it stopped, yeah. It's so interesting the way that like, you know, they were they were together officially 
while they weren't together on screen. And as soon as Vince is like, yeah, let's put these two on screen as a couple, they've broken up. But the chemistry was still there. Yeah, they still, they, they have total bedroom eyes for each other. There is kind of a special role that Lita fulfills because you know, we've often talked to you about, you know, the difference between a manager and a valet and like your arm candy or your, your, your not. And I think they definitely, like Lita was... Like, this Lita that you see here is so different from, like, you know, the fun skater girl, let's go trash the mall Lita. This is, like, fucking Scarlet Letter. Like, she's sexualized in, like, to the nines. Yeah. And she is definitely meant to be arm candy for Edge, but it's not just the case of, like, she's my babe. She's kind of, like, his co-conspirator. Yeah. Almost. They are this fucking horrible, obnoxious couple together. And, and they're so disgustingly hot. They call hot. each other babe all the they're time. They're so hot. Like, it's, <laughs> oh, it's vile how hot they are. You bastards. Yeah. Yeah, and Lita had a great kind of Lara Croft somehow more sexualized thing yeah. going on here. Matt puts the ladder upside down so it looks like a V and then puts Edge in it and then he does what was it he was doing like stamping on him he squeezed he pulled the ladder in together and Uh, edges in the narrow bit horrible Uh, sorry we just have to point out the first part of this match is one of my all-time favorite things in a ladder match i don't know why everyone doesn't do this that edge hid and lita stood the ramp looking sexy then matt came out going you're my ex-girlfriend and then edges ran up to the ladder as quickly (laughs) as possible like if you win a match like that you deserve Whatever's on top of that ladder. (laughs) (laughs) The old money in the bank case, Joe, that has no branding. Love it. Fucking incredible. There were a number of moments in this match that you thought were accidents. Yeah. And then I had to turn to you going, oh, no, 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 my dear. That was no accident. Yeah, there's a bit where Edge was thrown off one ladder into another ladder, which then bounced back and hit the ladder that Matt was on. Have I explained that well? I don't know if I have. It's dominoes involving flesh, essentially. Yeah. Uh, It was incredible. But yeah, it looked like a total accident. Yeah, I I really thought it was a horrible mistake. I was realising most of the matches you could watch for Edge involve a ladder. Yeah. And I think ladder matches, we tend to see in the modern product a couple of accidents, Mm. but it's very rare that you get this thing where they're like playing off you thinking that, oh, this is a complete fuck up here. Yeah. It just looks like it happens to have worked out this beautiful car wreck that we see before us. <laughs> Were you shocked at the 2005 levels of Matt Hardy just beating just shit out of Leah? Yeah, I was. And it, not just Matt Hardy, to be honest. Like, Lita shows up obviously quite a lot mm. generally in the research that we've done for this episode and she has taken so many bumps mostly from John Cena yeah mostly from men I think as yeah well. yeah all from men in this episode taking a 3D from the Dudley Boys yeah. in that TLC match we were watching earlier yeah, yeah. Leah got the fucking shit knocked out yeah. of her like on a regular <laughs> basis we get some really incredible spots here, including a twist of fate off the ladder. And it, the story that they're telling over and over again, they want to underscore how unfair it is that Matt can win this match, should win this match, has the match won, but Lita just stops him. Right, yeah. You know, she keeps. She comes in and hits him with a stick when he's climbing. You know, There's a point where he's climbing up, but she just takes the ladder away, and Matt is just there going, Yeah. Fuck. The end of this match, Joe... Mm. I think I feel like I'm gonna start crying even talking about Aww. the end of this match. Just like you know, when something really unfair happens in wrestling, and then they underscore it with like the most unfair thing happening in kayfabe in wrestling, mm. and like Matt has the contract, he's holding on to it. Yeah, Lita takes away the ladder, so yeah. Matt is left up there holding it. Uh huh. Were you surprised what Edge did with like the, the whole spot where you're holding on to something and your legs are dangling? So scary. That is the scariest thing. Kudos as well to Christian in an earlier TLC match we did watch where he held on with one hand. Oh, that's so cool. Fuck me. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really scary. So Edge 
pushes Matt, like he swings him, like like a swing, pushes him back and forth, and then gives him a final push into the faraway ropes. And he, like, he smashes into those ropes like it's a trampoline. Like, he goes low, yeah. right onto his ribs. The ropes, like, they should catapult him off over yeah. the atmosphere, it seems. And it's so quick, because Lita then grabs him and ties him up in the ropes and holds him there. He's in, like, the Andre the Giant spot, like, where the, he falls backwards and the arms are trapped in there. But Lita is just, like, wrenching around him. him yeah. And he's screaming in pain. Yeah, and he's, like, he looks fucking in agony. Like, he looks so horrified. And he's screaming in pain, and Lita has this fucking evil, sexy smile. And Edge, the evil, worst... Evil, sexy smile. She is, she's like, ha, ha, ha. I didn't even notice her face. I thought she was hidden because of the... Tied the, up in the ropes. Her and Edge are making sexy eyes the Definitely whole time. Edges, yeah. And they're making these little grins at each other. And the fact that Edge isn't, isn't like... Like, the old Edge would have been like, oh shit, run, run, run. Yes, we did it, yes. Yeah. This Edge, he takes his fucking time. Oh yeah, because he knows Matt's watching. He takes his time, like the fucking cook that he is. Climbs the ladder, uh, slowly undoes the briefcase, and he, gives a horrid smirk. He does a little wave. Does a little wave, yeah. Bye-bye, Matt. And then Matt, Matt like, has like tears in his that's eyes. That's it. Matt stops screaming and then he just like he's just broken, yeah. laying there. And Jim Ross goes, "Edge and Lita have taken everything from Matt Hardy. They have taken him off this brand. They have taken Matt Hardy's dreams of a family. Jesus, you can still procreate. So yeah, but hard. would he want to though after losing that match? I can't. Just that, how? Like I felt. Obviously, I think what Matt did was kind of shitty. Like turning everyone against Lita and Edge. Like, I understand where he's coming from, but it's not he, a nice took, thing to do. He took away what could have been a blameless situation on his behalf. If he handled it more like an adult and just said, Yeah, he could have come out on top and everyone would have top. felt really bad for him anyway. But as it is, he made it into a much more complex situation. But I feel like it's so it's so painful seeing all this that he was put through after... Yeah. He and Lita broke up, and Lita and Edge aren't even together anymore. It'd like, be like if we had a, we had the Montreal screw job happen after Brett had already left the yeah. company and he'd been brought back, like you know, <laughs> only like changed it so like Vince is made king at the end or something. Yeah, and like Shawn Michaels is there in front of him, and Brett's like tied up in the ropes, crying. <laughs> Shawn leaves with Brett's wife and, and mistress. <laughs> yeah, Brett. Brett's like, yeah, my wife. Oh no, 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 come back. I not no no. Can you believe he has taken the dreams of the hitman of having several families? <laughs> yeah, this was one of those times where they managed to take the emotion of what was happening in real life mm. and completely transferred a hundred percent into the screen. Yeah, and they took away the complexities really of it. They didn't take didn't make Matt out to be a bad guy in any way. They made Matt out to be the valiant guy who had had his life taken away from him and edge was the devil and leah was a jezebel like they they boiled it down to its most basic components as vince mcmahon likes to do we've talked about vince using personal stuff in feuds and matches before this you got to admit is really effective but was it ethical was it moral i don't know what your thoughts are on that end yeah i mean not really ethical or moral is it it's it's i feel like so many times we get into these situations of like you know these complex social situations where it's like you know wrestlers are up against one another and you know there's real life relationships on the line Mm. and a lot of drama and it's 
you know, fans... And is it about career stuff as well? I think a lot of the time well, with it personal stuff, it's about like... It is and it isn't. Yeah, it's, it relates to their careers, I guess. But like, I feel like a lot of the time with these types of feuds, like, you know, fans take sides. Like the Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels stuff. Like yeah. Everyone has an opinion on like who's right and who's wrong. And I feel like more often than not, it always comes down to the, ultimately the person to blame is Vince McMahon. And it's exactly the same here. Like, you know... Obviously, Matt really shouldn't have made things worse by blogging about his problems. But you know there was a moment in a writer's meeting yeah. where someone went in with a big smile going, Vince, look at this, and shows him the blog, and Vince goes, ho, ho, I'm not reading that, but I'm going to take advantage of it. You yeah. know, you, you know there was a moment where they went, oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, you know, that, and the fact that three people's lives were ruined. Yeah. Uh, however, temporarily, but... All I'll say is that there'll be Matt episode, there'll be a Lee episode, this is something we'll touch on again. I think looking at it from Edge's angle, we can just say it benefited him greatly. And yeah. I think the fact that it benefited him so directly and so obviously, and ultimately at the expense of those other two individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah, it was great Edge having a sexy, you know, a sexy side piece who was evil and all that, but like this was Lee, it was meant to be a role model for girls three yeah. years prior. You know, she lost a lot of fans that way. Yeah, I'm sure. They didn't they didn't really come back. So it worked out in Edge's favour, and I kind of feel that Edge's utter entire repentance for this and the yeah. fact that he understands he owns it I think is, is really refreshing because not even though Sean and Brett have moved on from Montreal neither of them 100% own it and no. can kind of look back on it with that clarity and repentance at what and they it, had done wrong it clearly taints both of their attitudes towards the wrestling industry as a whole like yeah. it's it's soured it for them whereas like I feel like for you know Matt and Edge I can't speak for Lita because I don't know enough about her their careers went on to bigger heights yeah, after this they, they seem to genuinely still love wrestling love the industry love what they do and they seem to be you know even if they're not best friends not with each other anymore, but, but yeah. they, they're civil I'm sure they'd say hi if they met each other backstage yeah. or saw each other on the street whatever I, I, I kind of I think it's important to know that that like this is not like a lot of the other situations it's different in its own right I wanted to know though, because this is something I've mentioned to you before. I mentioned to it on our patron reviews recently about, you know, John Morrison is a character who's returned to wrestling, who you're quite a fan of. And I told you about how Vince held it against him that he was cheated on and mm. he didn't stick up for himself like a man would. Yeah. Did it help or hurt Matt Hardy that he did kind of fight for his woman in the way that he did? Or does Vince McMahon respect the straight up cuckolding that Edge did? Does Vince kind of go, there's a real man, he just took what he wanted, goddammit. I must admit, my first thought when I heard about this was, knowing what I know about Vince, it really seems like Vince punished Matt for handling it the way yeah. he did. Because to Vince, the way he likes... Like, first of all, he, he hates the idea of, of men being cheated on by their woman. That's like totally disrespectful. And if that happens to you as a man, it's your job to go and beat the shit out of that other man. Like, like you've let yourself down. Yeah, you've let yourself down. And all the men. Yeah. It's such toxic masculinity. Oh no, bullshit. it's all the men. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Vince, he's he's like that. That's how he thinks these situations should be handled. So I did wonder if there was a part of him that kind of thought, wow, what a whiny baby. Matt's yeah. going to go online and blog and whine about his feelings. Yeah. Like it's Even I mean, though I totally think in a way it's it's healthy to do that, to vent. But it's just you shouldn't do it publicly yeah when I think you're a celebrity it's hard and it is well it kind of it showed as well that edge had much more of an upward trajectory than matt because after this you know matt leaves and he's like well where's matt going and matt's going to smackdown now you know because he got he lost to edge he lost to his rival 
and you know Edge well what's the Edge do well Edge is going to cash in that money in the bank like we said against John Cena and beat John Cena for the first time ever type of thing and you know off the races he's a champion now yeah it really feels like Matt got punished and Edge got rewarded yeah they were put in their lanes and Edge's lane was a lot more obviously rewarding straight away how many stars would you give that that dramatic encounter though I well I get I was rating the match okay not the whole angle <laughs> how would you rate that infidelity Joe <laughs> And I gave the match four stars out of five. Mm. I really enjoyed it. Some fantastic wrestling. Uh, that final move with the Lita tying him up in the ropes is just... I don't know how they did that so quickly. Devastating. So cool. And you know what's interesting? We watched so many ladder matches for Edge and every single one of them, there's like a spot where it's like, wow, I've never yeah. seen that before. Absolutely, or yeah. Or since, you know? So Edge, you know, after he picks up the win and defeats John Cena in a 10-second match and becomes the WWE champion, you know, he's labelled the ultimate opportunist... Because he's someone who will take advantage of any any single opportunity to get ahead, no matter what, no matter if it even seems like kind of somewhat counterintuitive. And they do talk about how a lot of people apparently voted against Edge winning the championship and beating John. And they're kind of. What do you mean voted against? As in, like the writers and the producers sitting around. You know, obviously, Vince has the final say, right. and Vince was the one who said, "I want Edge to be the top guy." But no, I mean they don't say it outright, but. In the documentary, strongly implied, it was old Michael Hayes. Oh, Michael, jump off a ladder. Hayes, who thinks, yeah, you're good enough to jump off a ladder, but don't you be wearing that big Shannon belt. What the fuck? Fuck you, Michael Hayes. Yeah, I hate like, Michael Hayes. What the fuck? He's literally the man who spent his entire career as an agent telling these guys to fucking risk their lives and yeah. set a precedent for every wrestler who comes after them. And then he's saying, nah, you're not ready for that championship belt. Fuck you. Did he go wrestle you again? I, one time where I thought Vince McMahon actually had the clarity. I know, his, right? His fucking idiot yes man didn't. <laughs> Chump stain. But hey, Edge becoming a champion, even if it was immediately taken away from him after only three weeks, it did lead to something huge. It led to Edge, with the refreshing new championship win, having a huge boost in ratings. Their highest ratings since 2003, because when he won the belt, Edge declared that he and Lita were going to have a live sex celebration. Have you ever had a sex celebration? I've had many sex celebrations <laughs> in this very roof. <laughs> what is a sex celebration? I mean, I'm not going to lie. There's been many times we've recorded a great podcast and afterwards we've had what could only be described as a live sex celebration. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, okay, one time at the end of, at the end of WrestleMania 31. Oh, I know where this is going. At the end of WrestleMania 31, after Seth Rollins cashed in against Brock Lesnar, I don't know why, it was 5.30 in the morning and we were both like, that was really good. Yeah, that was really good. <laughs> we just had really great sex. Yay! <laughs> and I whispered into her ear, I told you wrestling can be exciting. <laughs> you know it was? It was that dragon soup we were drinking. That was it, yeah. You know, all fire. So, uh, less about our live sex celebration, but more about this live sex celebration. When you heard this was going to be a thing in wrestling, yeah. what did you think was going to happen? Because when I heard it as a fan at the time, I'm like, okay... Edge and Lita are going to come out and then John Cena is going to like come out and say, no, you're not having sex. Yeah. And that would be it. Maybe Lita would get an FU. I heard about the live sex celebration very early on into my wrestling fandom. It mm. was like that and Katie Vick and Mae Young giving birth to a hand yeah, were kind yeah. of like the holy trinity of, oh, you're a wrestling fan now. Have you seen these bits? And I was under the... I, I kind of didn't know what to expect really because... You know, it's called a live sex celebration. Whenever fans recap it, they talk about it as though 
Edgenita actually had sex in front of everyone and everyone could see it. I will say as well, we watched this like, I think this is like the second or third thing I showed you just because I was like, wait a minute, there's some people in this segment I don't remember. Let's just put this on. And you, <laughs> So this wasn't Joe like appreciating Edge as a performer, knowing any of the kind of complexities of their relationship between Lila and Edge or anything like that at the time. So you were just seeing him kind of almost sight unseen when we watched the segment. Yeah. I mean, I had, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Billy or someone. Someone did tell me at one point, I was like, yeah, what is the sex celebration? Do they actually have sex? Like what happens? And whoever it was who explained it to me was like, no, no. They, you know, they come in, they kind of undress each other and they're in their underwear and they kind of, they, they mock have sex. Like yeah. the lights go out and you don't really see anything and they're obviously wearing underwear and stuff. So it's not like, it's not a live sex celebration. Well, it's... what I assumed is that Edges would have come out, pointed at Lita and went, yeah. and they would have went, lads, <laughs> lads, lads, lads. So yeah, I was expecting this to be very tame. Were you expecting it to be sexy? No, because they're not together at this point, and I just—I did, I did tell Joe that much. Yeah, <laughs> I just, well, it just seemed very awkward. That so can you imagine awkward. having to? Like, it just seems like this whole segment just feels like a nightmare. It's like in Monty Python, the meaning of life, when they have sex in front of all those yeah, children. Yeah, like, all those children, yeah. It, it seems to be almost as inappropriate, like, given the lack of command they have over the situation compared to John Cleese and his not-wife. <laughs> uh, coincidentally, he divorced that wife in the meaning of life as well, just the mock wife, just to be sure. Uh, <laughs> but... Yeah, he's, he undresses Lena slowly, like unzips her boots. The you know? they're, like, they're not even going out anymore. Like, you, this is your ex who you cheated on your wife with. And now you're having to, as a part of your public humiliation, you have to pretend to have sex with this woman in front of 30,000 people at least, not to mention all the others watching on television. It's just so strange. So awkward. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, I can't imagine how awkward it is. The actual live sex celebration is so much more weird than I thought it would be. Yeah, because we start off with, you know, there's a heart shaped bed, there's, you know, sexy music that's been played on a loop. Uh, You've got Joey Styles and Jerry Lawler and Coach kind of go, wow, man, look at Lita there. Oh my, Lita's taking off her, her, her top. I mean, that's how you make, you know, your sex life more sexy you get you know jerry the king lawler jr to commentate over the top you know it's what we've done absolutely you know you just want to bring a bit of atmosphere a bit of mood absolutely you you want want that mood to be there and obviously it's it's helping with that mood as you can cut the fucking tension with a knife yeah first of all edge tries to remove lita's bra yeah now come on edge come on edge i mean i know it's hard i know lots of People who wear bras can't even put on or take off a bra. (laughs) To paraphrase The Rock, do you want to know, Edge, why we, men, don't respect you? Uh, It's because you don't know how to undo a bra. Did you you hurt yourself? No, I just think The Rock always hits himself in in his Instagram videos. So I thought (laughs) thought I'd be The Rock and hit myself as well. But no, it didn't work out for me. Uh, But yeah, uh, I just say, guys, very easy to find out how to undo a bra. Guys and girls, bras are very easy to, to decipher. It's, yeah. not, it's not a Rubik's Cube. There's much more complicated things uh, to, to, to deal with sex than the bra. You know, that is a... That, for me, is, is the equivalent of the first bump in wrestling training. I don't know, maybe people should just do, do like I did. Be involved in the bra buying process. Yeah. You know, and then you can practice in the shop and they won't even know. Yeah. They just think that you're checking for the material. You're not. You're checking for your own skill level. A guy I used to date admitted to me once that he 
practiced undoing bras by putting his mum's bras on his big teddy bear and undoing them with one hand to practice the ability because he was really good at undoing my bra with one hand I was very impressed I was like wow how did you learn how to do that he was like oh yeah I'm gonna ruin the mood now I learned it by undoing my mum's bra on my teddy bear oh, I wish you hadn't told me <laughs> how sexy is this teddy bear now oh so it? sexy I had a friend in university and she used to like uh, she, she often struggled with her bras like on more than one occasion yeah. I remember having to go into a quiet corner in the bar to have a friend help her reapply it and she was like I, I don't understand why so many men have struggled to do this when of its own volition it seems that this will undo itself anyway like you know <laughs> Uh, so yeah, Edge does have problems there. He kind of defers from the bra. Then we go into some very short simulated cunnilingus, I believe is what we're going for here. Yeah, kind of like so. And also I like as well the fact that in wrestling kayfabe in 2005, going down on a woman is basically heel heat. Yeah. Like, what is he doing? <laughs> oh my God. Yucky. You sold out. You sold out. <laughs> So, yeah. He peels off some of her underwear. Mm -hmm. That's the thing, because, like, I didn't think she'd be actually naked under there. But from the documentary, Lita's perspective seems to imply she was naked. Oh, yeah, they they had to take off the bra and all that. There was a t-shirt underneath there. Right. And I think she had other, she had layered lingerie. What do you mean there was a t-shirt underneath there? As in underneath the the bed, because Lita hides under the bed at one point. When she comes back out, she has a t-shirt on. Right. So they had, like, a rated R t-shirt slid in there, I think, for when she came out from underneath. But, yeah, she does get nude underneath there. And uh, Edge doesn't have to go nude as well, by the way, folks. Only, yeah. Lita, only Lita had to go nude. And I just feel that must be fucking horrible for Lita, because, like, you know, as we said, they're not going out anymore. Yeah, there's a lot of horrible things going on here. We've mentioned a lot of horrible things that make this quite a, like... In fairness, if you were to have what I call a sex nightmare, which is what a dream that starts off like, oh, something sexy is going to happen. This is literally a sex nightmare. This is a sex nightmare. And it ramps up right now. Because it starts off, you're having sex with someone who you're no longer in a relationship with in a very stressful, tumultuous time. And they're looking at you like, I'm into this, are you? Because if yeah. you're not, you need to say right now. Jerry the King Lawl is on commentary. Always a, always a moon killer. It's in front of, you know, 30,000 people all there, screaming and chanting. Ric Flair comes in. Yeah, now this is really weird because Edge kind of, it's his turn then, right? So Edge sits back and like the fucking mark he is, holds the championship belt. And if you're not posing with your championship belt as, as your partner goes down on you, you ain't doing it right at WWEshop.com. How many fans do you think have received oral sex while holding their replica title? <laughs> uh, literally zero ever. <laughs> You know, it's 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 a concept that is out there in the in the air, but I think literally it's never happened. That bell comes out, it that's it. it, it there's nothing <laughs> less sexy than a championship title. Belts can be sexy in some contexts, but a championship title is never gonna be sexy. <laughs> I'm really sorry. It just absolutely isn't. So he's there posing with the belts. What a... Uh, imagine Triple H and all of that. Like, what a merc. <laughs> I, I, I only pose with my belt afterwards after I've showered in my private chambers so no one can see. Like. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as Lita goes down on him, we hear the... Woo! And out comes Nature Boy Ric Flair. <laughs> and I turned to you and I said, this is like when a dog comes into a room while you're having sex. Like, go, woo! Woo! What are you doing? Woo! What's that on the floor? Woo! And I said it was like when you have a dream and you're like, yeah, and in the dream, there was this dog that came in, but the, the dog was Ric Flair. 
you know, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it didn't look like Ric Flair, but I knew it was Ric Flair because he was talking like Ric Flair. And then the Ric Flair dog starts rating your performance and critiquing it. And getting undressed. He sees that, he's like, whoa, oh my God, you are dead in bed, Fred. You got nothing going on between the legs. And then he's like, let me show you our real man. Take the two And he walks into the ring. Like, is he he starts to, taking his clothes off. Are you off? going to have sex with Lita right now in front of Edge <laughs> to prove some weird point? And, and Lita's like, like cowering, like no. hiding beneath the blankets, like, please don't rape me. And then Edge, the hero, kills Rick. Yeah. Smashes him in the head with a chair, does a concerto. Nothing like a live sex celebration as Ric Flair bleeding all over. <laughs> and then John Cena comes out. <laughs> Now, this is this is where it gets a bit strange, Joe. This is like such a fucking strange sex nightmare. We're not making this up. We're not by making the way. this up. And I love that you'd seen this a fair few times and never noticed this. And it was me watching it for the first time that was like, uh, Hang on. are you seeing what I'm seeing? So John Cena comes out and He's wearing a t-shirt that says click for some reason. But it's very, it's click, the t-shirt, kind of a jazzy font. But yeah. it's done in kind of like a, an abstract style with some yeah. kind of like geometric shapes for letters. So they're all of different shapes and thicknesses, these letters. Yeah, and the spacing, like the kerning on the letters, the spacing on the letters is not great. So it spells cuck. So yeah, the capital L and the capital I are so close together with the kerning. Yeah. It looks exactly like it says the word cook. And it's kind of a bit, it reminded me of like, I don't know, bedazzled or something when people have got the name of what they do written on their shirt. But John Cena running out in the middle of a sex nightmare. and Threatening to have sex with your girlfriend. Oh no, no, John didn't do that. Yes, he did. Did he? Yes. And then Lita again is like, ah, please don't rape me. And then John gives her the F you because yeah. he's a big dirty cook and Edge is there running with his pants by his ankles going, no. <laughs> so that's a sex nightmare. If you were to be cocked, would you like to be cocked by John Cena wearing a t-shirt that says cock? I mean, it's just... If I if I'm gonna get cooked, I'd like it to be very much a non-subtle cook. So you know, if I'm gonna get cooked, just tell me, advertise it to me. I can Let, make you wear the t-shirt that says "cook." I just I want it to be very known because I don't want any of these kind of stealth cooks going on here. Yeah. You know, if John Cena was coming out like saying like I'm just here to talk, baby. I'd be, oh, okay, what? And then I'd be confused. But the fact that he's, he does what it says on the tin. I think I could mentally prepare myself and process it a lot better. So any and all cookings, wear the appropriate t-shirts, please. I could do without having to have the blood of Ric Flair on my hands, though, (laughs) when all this is going on. So, yeah, that was led to the biggest ratings bump in several years. And Edge earned the nickname, The Rated R Superstar Edge. Do you like that as a moniker? I didn't like it until I found out why he was called that. Yeah. And it was because of the live sex celebration, which makes sense. So, mm. yeah, I, I do like it. I think it's clever. So, he does lose the belt back to Cena quite quickly. And this is during peak Super Cena time. When, uh, I mean, what would you say some of the characteristics of Super Cena are compared to regular Big Match John? Uh, lol, Cena wins. Five moves of doom. That's it. I associate this era of John with a level of clumsiness. Oh, yeah? Where he's like, I'm John Cena, and I might not be able to do a headlock, but I'm going to run through a wall! You know, that (laughs) that type of a thing, you know? And he'll do that, and I'm like, okay, John, that's not a wrestling move, but Jesus Christ, all right, you're going to go do the media in China now as well. Great, okay, (laughs) that's all right. Going to play a concerto on piano. 
you have Edge being very, very open here, and actually the most open person in this whole documentary, John Cena is like, I didn't know how to wrestle before I met Edge. Quite frankly, <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I really hadn't had a good match at that point in time. Like a lot of the commentators in this documentary, like people were upset that John was unable to have a credible match at this point in time, and felt that he he wasn't developing at the rate you think he would enter edge and then john cena says that the feud with edge really turned him around because we have john cena who everyone hates everyone boos everyone is sick and tired of the one person on the roster who's an actual heel who people hate with heat it's edge and he was perfect you know these are the matches that made me think that john cena could actually do something with himself so is this before john cena's match with rob van damme at ecw this would have been right around that same time right so yeah john would have been feuding with rob van damme and edge kind of around the same time and that kind of following somewhere around 2006 so edge did spend a time kind of floating near that championship but only got a chance to finally get that belt around september 2006 and the feud with Cena is full of plenty of big moments, including him beating up Cena's dad. Yes, yeah, seriously. Lita stood all over his dad's couch as well. <laughs> so disrespectful. Fuck your couch, John Cena's but dad. John Cena did throw Edge into the Long Island Sound River, which yeah. is apparently really contaminated and Edge got sick. Yeah, that's really funny. Naked Edge being thrown in there. And he's like, I love this. We're getting to be part of history. You know, like rock and stone cold. Like, uh... Rock and Stone Cold threw belts into the river. You jumped into a very green river. It's so fucking green. But like he says, Edge, that he looked at Cena and he said, I knew one thing that he had and that was he had the tools. Mm. Like he, he had everything there. He just needed the right opponent. And I think a lot of John's matches with, with Kurt, even though Kurt Angle was a great wrestler, people just wanted to cheer Kurt Angle. And I think Edge was someone who was easier to boo than yeah. Kurt was even though Kurt was telling people that he'd beat up Jesus at this point in time <laughs> in his career the biggest heel move that Edge ever did was when he won the belt he said I'm getting rid of this stupid spinner belt I hate it it symbolizes John Cena we're all like yeah Edge the new era Edge is our guy and then Edge unveiled his spinner belt which is exactly <laughs> the same with a different logo wow heel what an asshole this takes us to our next and final match. And I'm not going to lie, folks, this was kind of difficult to to pick between. It was between this and his match with The Undertaker that was also a TLC. But I didn't want to do a TLC match and then another TLC match right after it. So I picked between the two. I went with who we knew. You knew Big Match John. So we went with John Cena taking on Edge. This is from Unforgiven 2006. This is a TLC match for the WWE Championship. And Joe, there's a couple of special things about this match and where it's taking place. Yeah, this is in Edge's hometown. So this is like two or three years after he got booed out of the the building. And this is the first time he's been back since. Yeah, first time like where he's been back in Toronto for an event. He's the champion. And they did this great thing. Like so many times with John Cena, you had to explain why the fans would be the way they were. I know you reacted very strongly to the Rob Van Dam match with John Cena. And I thought this will have a similar vibe because Edge is like, right, I will defend my belt against John Cena one last time because Edge kept winning with screwy means and kept getting the victory when John rightly should be winning. I'll defend the belt one time, but I get to pick where and I get to pick when. And the where is in his hometown of Toronto and the type of match is going to be a TLC match, which at this point in time... Edge had never lost a TLC match. Wow, okay. I love any time any wrestler has the gimmick of they're the master of this match type. Yeah. Is there anyone you can think of who has that anymore? Because I, I really can't think of a single one. 
Undisputed Era are good at war games. Oh, wait, yeah. no, they're rubbish. They always lose. What am I on about? <laughs> no, I can't think of anyone who's particularly known for doing yeah. a certain match type. Cactus Jack back in WCW was the king of the Falls Count Anywhere match. Oh, really? Yeah, like, I think that you can do that very easy where someone gets over with yeah. a certain match type as their sense. specialty. So, yeah, with Edge, it was TLC. And he's like, yeah, it's going to suck for you, John, because you're going to go in with a match you've never been in and I've never lost. And everyone here is going to hate your guts because I'm the hometown hero coming back. And I don't know if it took away from Edge's character, but when he came out... He was genuinely emotional. Yeah, you said that he was going to cry. He looked like he was welling up. He did have certainly watery eyes, yeah. The crowd are not here on John Cena's sign. Evidenced by the several creative signs we see here tonight, like John Cena fears work rate. (laughs) My favourite one was, if Cena wins, we cry about it at Tim Hortons. That is the most Canadian sign I've ever seen in my (laughs) life, like... Uh, or, I mean, if Cena wins, fucking way she goes. That would work as well. The match starts off in earnest with some fun action, but <laughs> Joe, playing the role of the vocal audience, turned to me and said, Where are the TLCs? <laughs> we do get some TLCs. We do. I feel I have to mention in this that Edge has shorter, newer hair. Oh, yeah. Do you like the shorter hair? I love his hair. He looks like a sexy lion. He does. He's got... And I point out to you as well, it was just enough length that he could pull on the sides of it yeah because he'd pull on his hair when he was doing like anything like to show his emotion he'd pull his hair out kind of so yeah the fact that he kept it long but just long enough for that i mean hey anyone's good for cutting down shower time if you've got a long hair like that it's gonna be a pain in the ass oh yeah definitely also you wanted me to mention john cena's weird t-shirt that we couldn't quite figure out what it was i think it's a dog it's the chain gang soldier t-shirt and i think it's a dog i thought it was earth wearing a army helmet wow that's really fucking imperialistic yeah (laughs) john cena is not known for his innovations and edge is and edge takes john through what could best be described as a plethora of really athletic really quick fast-paced spots involving weapons and ladders that really reminded me of the match with Kurt in terms of the pace. Mm. Like, there was a really amazing bit where there was reversing suplexes with these chairs that were set up. Yeah, there was one moment in particular which is totally a top spot where Edge tries to suplex John into the chairs, but then John reverses and tries to suplex Edge, and then Edge reverses that into a DDT and throws John into the chairs. There was a horrible noise when that happened. Yeah. It was clunk and clink at the same time. It was fucking gross. Like, there are many times where Edge does things with these weapons where the contact sounds so evident that you can't help but think that he's... Fu- like, and yet Edge, he's someone I watch, I don't see him covered in welts and bumps no. and bruises like you would with a lot of other wrestlers who kind of throw themselves into things. But you got to think that he is hurting in these matches. Yeah, know, definitely. Because the things that he's doing... There was one moment that was like a botch that I was like, uh-oh, this might spoil it for the match. Yeah, and I didn't spot that at all. <laughs> I thought it was deliberate. Yeah, no, when he did the sunset flip powerbomb, they just kind of like slowly sat down together as John's bum went in his face. <laughs> that was unfortunately not planned. Edge does, in this match, despite the fact that he's a nasty heel, he's still doing athletic, yeah. super fast things. There was a bit where the ladder was just laid out, not folded, not even open. It was just laid against the ropes and he ran up He ran up it, yeah. And the ladder fell underneath him, but he kept running up it as it was falling and then jumped off the ropes to the outside. I call that spot Mirror's Edge. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> There's a concerto tease to John, which he dodges. And the crowd are interesting because... 
they're not cheering John, but they're not rejecting him. They're still like when he react when he does stuff. They're like they're making it that he's part of the match because I think there's times when fans just disown a character in a match. Like we're not going to even react. We're just going to like drone booze yeah. when we do stuff. The fans are getting very emotional about the prospect of John winning, and they really control this fiery crowd in a way that I've not seen a lot of folks do. Mm. The STFU, as it was known in 2006 on the ladder. This made you grimace quite a bit, Joe. Edge, in the STFU, but in a ladder. So fucking horrible. I saw, yeah, it's really horrible. And Edge taps. And I thought then the match was over. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, I, I've written, John Cena wins. Four out of five stars. Oh, wait, it's not over. It's a TLC match. Yeah, because you were kind of like, you know, finishing up. I'm like, where are you going? The match is like not even a third of the way through. <laughs> and then I, I, I spied your star rate. I'm like, well, if it's four out of five now, you're going to have a fucking good time. Because like, they've barely done any of the TLCs. Uh, John Cena does one of my favorite unseen things in wrestling. He does a move on a weapon. He gives the FU to the ladder onto Edge. That is the <laughs> best thing ever. And then he does a top rope five knuckle shuffle. Uh, yeah, top rope five knuckle shuffle, also known as an incredibly good wank. Uh, although he's not even top rope, he's on top of a ladder, Joe. Yeah, sorry, yeah, he's on top of a ladder. You're totally right. The setup for this was so contrived. It was so John Cena. I loved it. John spends like a minute setting up the ladder in the corner, then goes over to Edge and goes, You can't see me! Runs against the ropes and Hang on a minute! And like notices the ladder that he's the, just put the there? The ladder up here in this corner. Did you guys see there's a ladder here? Uh, hang on a second, I know that this is a TLC match. You tell me that an L stands for ladders? Whoa. <laughs> and then yeah, John decides to climb up the ladder and use it. And uh, I think you were right when you told me they're one of the scariest sights in the world. Yeah, I think it would be the perspective of Edge... Seeing John Cena's fist come at you from the top of a 20-foot ladder. I always say the only thing that could settle the nerves is the knowledge that his fist will come nowhere within contact of his head. <laughs> like, you know. I think that's why Edge and John Cena were such good partners in the ring. is because Edge's hair was long enough that anytime he was on the ground, that five-knuckle shuffle looked like it connected something yeah. at least. There's a moment where Edge hits John with a chair. Oh! And John's selling is so good. Considering John Cena is not known at this point for being like a good sellout whatsoever I mean, he's doing the Daniel Bryan nerve damage stuff in his fingers he was like twitching his hand shaking his hand out I was legitimately like 60% thought that John Cena was not just selling that this was like John kind of rolling with the punches here because <laughs> this was very much like you know the Attitude Era full on chair shots like Edge was used to meeting 2006 we don't really do these anymore, as much at least. And John, like, tried to get his arms up and didn't in time. So, like, he gets hit and he kind of hits his elbows just mm. at the end and grazes them. And John's reaction literally is that of someone who thought that he was going to protect himself and then is like, his bell has been rung. It's a nasty old crack it makes as well. It's a <sighs> sick sound. It... It absolutely, like, you know, they are, it, it is what it is, folks. You know, it, it's something that happened in the past. We don't need to see this ever more, but mm. Jesus Christ... When you just see the willingness they had at the time. And, you know, it's not that we didn't know that chair shots caused concussions. We did. Mm -hmm. It's just that the long-term effects were not, obviously not understood, not cared to be understood. Yeah. <laughs> They'd rather keep their fingers in their ears and go, la 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 la. I tell you what, John Cena in this match, he, 
like what I remember when this match was announced, I'm like, he's not going to do anything. It's going to be you know Edge wrestling a ladder and John Cena's going to climb it. You know? No, John really he has such a work rate in this match. We got a John Cena sandwich on table bread. Brackets Rivita. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of discussion on the commentary about the number of tables being used in this match. We had uh, fascinating lines such as, "I think there's three tables." fascinating stuff <laughs> i do like the other commentary you get when they take out the big letter and jim ross goes oh a big ass ladder <laughs> <laughs> yeah you put that ladder over john cena is left all alone climbs the ladder and takes as much of a spear off a ladder as john cena's gonna take he lands on his stomach and then again john has such good selling he starts dry heaving which is what i remember saying i can't remember when i said this but, but yeah. i know in an earlier episode i said if i was a wrestler and i got hit in the stomach yeah, I, would, the I would dry heave the whole uh, can't breathe you can't yeah you can't do anything yeah the regal thing of pain that you can empathize with yeah. you know i was telling you i got winded by my brother more times than i can remember as a kid it's a horrible thing and mm. you said you had got winded as well yeah and you also winded your brother more times than yeah. you. <laughs> so both ends of it like you know so joe was watching this kind of going oh good job edge yeah you really got him there like you know <laughs> see my tactic was i've got very small fists so you have to really know where to punch to win someone and it's right here in the diaphragm you have to hit upwards and really firm these and it doesn't matter that you've got a little fist like me because it just makes it more punctuated jesus christ these are the grain rules now yeah. that's what they are so yeah john cena he gets a chance to use a chair <laughs> you said this was so weak it and was. i thought it was fine i'm so used to like the weakest modern day chair shots which are like aren't even chair shots. Uh, honestly if i was in the match so i got this chair shot i would have been like thank you brother like you know, <laughs> it was so light yeah, John, John doesn't really swing for the fences like Edge does. <laughs> John's got a conscience when he's swinging that chair is what he has. Now, <laughs> John doing a safe chair shot led to me you know, having the inevitable chat with Joe about like, you know, ECW fans and how they would boo the light chair shot. Yeah. And, and I thought, oh, well, you know what? John's gotten away with it here because I think the crowd are kind of spicy enough already with just the fact that it's the hometown boy and John Cena who they are convinced is going to win and don't want to see. Like, they're not going to boo the chair shot, because they're already booing him anyway. And they, for the most part, the crowd don't react to the chair. They don't go, oh, oh. Like, there's no sort of a grumble from them. Mm. But then JR is like, oh, that chair shot. I mean, that wasn't like that chair shot we saw earlier. <laughs> that was a that was a chair shot. This, mm, you know, whatever. Oh, you give me one of those, John. You're so goddamn tough. <laughs> John Cena literally has the belt in his hands. And then Lisa appears. Yeah. Uh, just for, for your reference and those listening at home, this is the same pay-per-view where Trish Stratus retired earlier oh. tonight by beating Lita in this very pay-per-view. Oh. So yeah, John has got to have his big moment now when Lita's going to push him off the ladder, go to the outside through the table. And this is a spot we see in ladders and TLC matches all the time. Yeah. It's a scary one. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, there were some really hair-raising ones in the TLC match we watched earlier on this morning. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that when John was pushed off the ladder, my fucking heart went out to him because it's the first time it's ever happened to him in his career. He was tensed up. Oh, God, this bit. Yeah, this is horrible. So this is when he, he got pushed off the ladder to the outside of the ring yeah. into a table. On its side. So quite a small crash mat for Big For Big John. Big John he's like. bigger. He's broader than the table. And yeah. his, when he fell through it, his shoulder went underneath the metal reinforcements of the table. I 
just oh my god it that must have been so painful partially smashed like and like and, the yeah. worst thing you can do when you're falling like if you do any kind of like self-defense class or like wrestling or anything which involves like falling the first thing you will get taught when tuck you, your chin tuck your chin and stay limp don't tense your body up that makes it so much worse and if you're a big hoss like john cena but you think how how tough and hard muscle is when you tense it up yeah oh my god it's like falling onto a bag of rocks he keeps getting smaller and smaller as as it's tipping further over like honestly there's a lot of reasons to watch this match and i would just say when you're seeing that bump just watch john because he he makes it 10 times worse it's fucking horrible yeah. man it's so and you know the fact that he went through it and he hit that small target i was absolutely blown away that he did it said a lot about yeah. the spot that it was safe that it did because how many of these tlc matches have we seen now i mean we were watching earlier on where jeff hardy goes off the top of his big 20 foot ladder and he manages to miss 300 pound rhino and smash through 150 pound spike dudley you know and then rhino falls on top of spike yeah <laughs> <laughs> So these things can go wrong, yeah. and this went perfectly. And John, I don't know if he took too many of these in his career, but this was eye-opening for me as a, as a kid. You know, watching this, this was eye-opening that John was willing to do this. Yeah. We have a moment here on commentary, which led to an interesting discussion, where when Lita pushes John off the ladder, mm. Jr. on commentary. And I, th- I thought this was Jerry at first saying this. And you corrected me. You're like, no, no, it's JR. Oh, yeah, this was really intriguing. JR says, what an evil bitch. It's <laughs> so casually. Like, I was blown. I was like, whoa. Yeah. 2006, JR. Yeah. That little bitch. What an evil bitch. What the heck? He sounds so hateful. Now, you turned to me and you went, oh, I'm surprised Jerry wasn't saying that. And I was like, what? hang on a second and like mm. kind of this is a little bit like i entered into gail kim's titantron i went to the matrix here for a second <laughs> and i thought back and i thought now hang on a second jerry lawler will objectify every woman till the day is long every part of her he'll call you know a character like mickey james crazy or you know victoria crazy or psychotic he'll use those words he has never called a woman on commentary to the best of my knowledge. And I've spent six or seven years of my life watching this guy. Jerry Lawler's in my life at least once or twice a day, every day. <laughs> and I don't think he's ever called a woman a slut, a bitch, a skank. A Jezebel? No. Wow. I mean, he'll call and say, you call this woman a Jezebel, JR. You know, he'll, he'll, yeah. But the thing is, I realized that Women who are faces who are beautiful, which is basically all the women in WWE throughout history, Jerry Wells is like, wow, Kelly Kelly's so beautiful, Candice Michelle's so beautiful, Trish Stratus is so beautiful. What would he say, like, other than they're beautiful, what would he say, though? Would he say, like, oh, yeah, man. puppies and you know, stuff. If I had one night alone with Kelly Kelly, oh, man, you know, or right. she, you know, she, she could be my next ex-wife, you know, that type of uh-huh. thing. You know, just like, I'd love to be with her. Or, like, or a great, great, terrible line for a recent show I was watching uh, I hear Trish Stratus likes Starbucks. Maybe her and I could go back to her hotel room later and she can grind my coffee. Uh... Just like shit little innuendos and double entendres. So I was really racking my mind to think, but I could think of every... JR has just... He's called women bitch, Jezebel. He's not called them slut. Yeah. 
But, like, crowds have chanted that at people. And, like, Jerry was more often than not would be, like, when crowd was, would chant slut. Or, like, good guy wrestlers would call baddie girls slut. Yeah. Like, Steph was called a slut all the time. Lean around this time, the crowd would be chanting slut. Yeah. Or chanting ho or stuff like that. And Jerry would be like, well, crowd chant ho. You know, and Jerry would be like, how dare they? You know. So, Jerry, as he was the heel commentator, often who loved all the women, often found himself defending the evil women. And also calling the good guy women beautiful. So, but you never... said similarly though. You said his attitude to prudish women. Ah, if you were someone now like Ivory or Molly Holly, like Ivory who's in the right to censor, or Molly Holly who had like kind of a, uh, you know, I'm a wrestler. Nobody's... Any woman who's non-sexualized. Yes, like a heel woman who's who's unsexualized, or that was part of their gimmick. And again, you can either be a sexy heel or you could be the prude heel. That was kind of the two types of heels there were in the Attitude Era. Yeah. He would be, you know, very harsh with them. But again, that wouldn't be about like, oh, she's a bitch or she's this, that or the other. It would be like, oh, I believe in freedom of speech. You know, she just needs to loosen up or she needs to have a good time. Or like, you know, the only reason she acts like this is because no one likes her. You know, that type of a thing. But again, he wouldn't. It's JR. And yeah. On the Anchor podcast, we've pointed out a number of times where where Jerry Lawler has reeled in Jim Ross. Yeah. Vice versa, it's happened as well. Obviously a lot. But yeah, Jerry Lawler... Not all misogynists, yeah? Not all misogynists slut shame. Some of them just ogle and degrade women. I just thought it was really interesting, and I can't believe I've never noticed this before, that with JR and Jerry the King Lawler, we actually have a perfect representation of the Madonna whore complex. <laughs> in that Jerry punishes okay, the so women... you explain what the Madonna whore complex is okay, for, for so it's, folks. It's the idea that women have to be one of two people. You can, you're either the Madonna, as in the Virgin Mary, you're virginal, you never have sex, you're covered up, you are... Pedestal. Yeah, put on a pedestal, you're worshipped by men. And, All sh- everyone should be like her. Yeah, exactly. You are, you are symbolised as the w- right way for a woman mm. to be. Or you're a whore... And you know you sell your you sell your body for money, and you sexualize yourself, and you're not worth respect. And yeah, yeah, all this. And considering, I always thought that Jerry the King Lawler was like the gross misogynist of the two. I and mean, I'm, he absolutely is in his own is, way. But so is Jr. It's in just his own they, way as well. Yeah, they hate different types of women in different ways, and like that's it's a perfect representation of exactly the struggle that women and especially female wrestlers have been put in for will, such a long time i will just say and i think he's worth kind of bearing this in mind re- with regards to these two and their attitudes towards women this is probably less indicative of their attitudes towards women in generally and more indicative of the lack of archetypes for women in wrestling at the time if we think about that they're meant to be the the kind of the, the score, they're meant to be the voices you hear that explain everything and the things that they want you to explain in the headsets from Vincent Mann and the producers is that this woman is this or that this woman is that. And there's not many, not much nuance for women mm. at this point in time, nor any of the years that had kind of come prior to it in WWF. So I think that's worth bearing in mind that a lot of what you're hearing is is often coming from Vince McMahon. Now, whether I, so I don't know if we could necessarily say that they themselves, as people fulfill that complex but the narrative and the commentary that they're made to tell does yeah i just i just want to maybe you know because jr has had said a lot of stupid shit in his time but he's also you know been a proponent of of a lot of women in his his time in in wrestling but it is shocking to go back in 2006 and hear verbiage like this what an evil bitch yeah i mean what is this a john cena roman reigns promo like (laughs) come on that word is for them and nikki bella and every woman on the roster from now until kingdom come to use (laughs) for every single feud i did like when john cena f feud lita 
he did it so hard that a table fell over in the background. <laughs> Lita accidentally kind of bopped into a ladder which sent Edge Cream to the outside. And then Lita gets taken out with the FU. And she gets taken out and JR says, Lita has been cancelled. Which would mean a lot different thing if this happened in 2020. <laughs> like. She talks though. <laughs> uh, so we get a duel on the ladder. The last few seconds of the match, the last two guys are there. And Joe couldn't help but notice that there were two tables set up in the corner and you were adamant that these tables had to be used. Oh yeah, you're not going to set up two tables in the middle of a ring and then not go through them. You were getting upset that you thought the match may end without them being used. I'm a bit worried, yeah. Chekhov's tables, like, you got to go through them. Did you like the big spot at the end? I did, yeah, very much. John threw Edge through the tables. John wins. Something about when Edge fell over and he kind of sat up as he fell down. That yeah. was like really, and all the little bits of table fell down on top of him. Yeah. And I love that this title belt is like, because the match has been so chaotic, the belt is swinging, swinging while he, and John Cena just puts his hand up and this is my championship. I fucking <laughs> loved it. Joe, this match was huge. I'd not seen it since I was a wee nipper. This is great. Like so much of Edge's stuff that like, I remember like, ah, that's that's recent. It's modern. Like, oh no, this is like 12 years ago. Yeah. I'm, an old, I'm an old man now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it's like to be in your 30s. But what do you think of this one? I loved this match. It was so fun. And I think it goes a long way to show how good both Edge and John Cena are. Mm. So I absolutely recommend it to anyone. I think it's a fantastic TLC match. I gave it four and a half stars. Nice. Really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I want to watch it again sometime. I think in the matches that we have seen, we have seen Edge's like versatility as a performer and his facial expressions and all that. But... Like, it's one thing to have a, put together a great match that makes you look great. I mean, because when he was having his match with Matt, it made Edge look great. Yeah. You know, the match with Kurt, Kurt made Edge look great. But this match here, Edge was doing everything in his power to make John Cena seem like fucking big match John. Yeah. And I have probably been guilty on the how to wrestling of really kind of putting over the feud with AJ and a lot of the matches with Kevin Owens has been like, that's the moment when he really started clicking it. But... We had these moments back here then. It's whether or not I chose to remember them or not. <laughs> and that shows you how toxic John Cena was at the time and how stupid I was as a fan. This was <laughs> fucking beautiful. I absolutely adored it. So the years kind of go on with Edge. And as I say, he becomes kind of a utility guy. Not in the sense that he's not important. In the sense that he is incredibly important. And Edge goes from being the top guy in Raw to being the top guy in SmackDown. Starts a lengthy feud with The Undertaker where he cashed in his money in the bank on him. And he had a feud with Batista around the same time as well. Edge did say at this time he was trying to put Batista over like he did John. But he said the power that Big Dave had was like, you know, the, that power bomb he said, that was where the neck issues were really uh, starting. Ah, yeah. And the show, the show matches where he edge and he's looking smaller. Mm. And Batista's like smashing him, just fucking splattering him, you know, power bombing him on the outside. And yeah. Batista's a big old boy. Batista again, though, when they spoke to him, he was so gracious yeah. about Edge and what he had done for his career. I can't think of many people who are not like, you know, way, way older who have had this level of like... Helping others uh, you come You helped up. me so much. Like, it's yeah. like Terry Funk levels of help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Edge is in his 30s when he's doing this. Like, what the fuck? It's incredible. Now, he's, so, he's talked about you helping the youngsters and a lot of the people who he reached out and he helped. There was a really amazing kind of angle that they did with Edge. And the angle has its origins in kind of a, someone not being happy to do an angle. I told you that Teddy Long, who was the general manager of SmackDown, we saw him a little bit in the Edge and Cena feud, he was involved in a year or thereabouts long storyline where he was falling in love with Crystal Marshall, who is the real-life wife of Bobby Lashley now. Crystal Marshall, who was one of the WWF divas of the time, she had come runner-up in the diva search, had a great look, 
Um, she was not a great wrestler, but she could do talking. And the idea was that she was going to fall over Teddy Long. And then it was going to be revealed at the end that this long con she was playing, that she was secretly in love with Edge. And that Teddy Long had married her. And Teddy Long was now going to be like, I don't know, some wrestling logic was going to mean that his wife was going to be the general manager instead of Teddy Long. And then Edge was going to use the fact that his wife was now the general manager or his, his lover was the general manager to run the show how he wants. Right. Big long angle. We got all the courtship with Crystal and Teddy Long. We got the wedding with Crystal and Teddy Long, including Crystal's falling down and tripping because her wedding dress was so big. Oh, wow. Smackdown, folks. And uh, yeah, then Crystal decides at the end totally within her rights she says you know what i don't want to play this kind of slutty character that you're giving me here you're kind of trying to do the elite thing again i don't want to be known as like one of edge's girls i kind of feel like my role in this is just to literally be a heartless jezebel who's just gonna like fuck over the sweet old man and then it's all going to be about edge it's not really going to be about me Mm. so thanks but no thanks and then they let her go because well if you're going to do that well we've nothing for you so there you go wow enter vicky guerrero so Vicky Guerrero, who we would have seen briefly in our Rey Mysterio episode, <laughs> she is the widow of Eddie Guerrero at this point in time. She's been given a job. Many people believe that, you know, I think they were quite open. That it's like, look, we want to help her family, you know, get her some money, help the kids. They're going through college. We'll make you a character. There wasn't really much for her to do. They kind of made her that she was like a nice lady who liked wrestling. And then maybe she would like help out be general manager. They had like, you know, she would be the guest general manager and she'd book some good matches for the good guys. And like, she was fair, you know, right. she understood wrestling and, and all that. And she was friends with like uh, Chavo Guerrero and you know, Ray Mysterio and Benoit, all the people who knew Eddie and stuff like that. So she was used like kind of very seldomly as a character up until that point. Uh, and then they decided, right, Edge, we're going to do the exact same gimmick as before. No changes at all with the whole you stealing this lady away and her being the general manager and you kind of being her like kind of boy toy and you treating her like a sexual goddess and you're like Bonnie and Clyde together. Except instead of doing it with Crystal Marshall, <laughs> we're going to do it with Vicky Guerrero, who is the very definition of like a woman in her 40s, a very normal looking, like unglamorous woman, like compared to the women that you would normally see on TV. Yeah. And Edge fucking both feet in nude photo shoots <laughs> feeding each other strawberries and whipped cream wow. long walks on the beaches pushing her on the swing flower arranging classes this is all going on in lengthy segments and most people would be like Edge this is going to kill your heat bro no he put her over as like the sexiest fucking woman in the world he was in love with her he wanted to marry her she's everything to him Aww. and it's like all of us are watching this going like oh my god Edge you old dog you're, you're, you're literally He's literally being a gold digger. Like he's he's flipping that trope on yeah. his head, isn't he? Because he's like he's the younger guy going with the older woman to get her power and pretending that he's in love with her. And they kind of, you know, they brought in Alicia Fox at the time. Alicia Fox was the uh, meant to be the wedding planner for them. And then like they revealed that he got off with Alicia Fox because she's this sexy young thing. And Edge is of course a fucking sleaze. Right. And then the tables get turned again because you think this is all going to be about Edge being the bastard and Vicky Guerrero being this poor lady gets taken advantage of what actually they do by mistake is that Edge putting her in this position of power makes Vicky this megalomaniac and she gets a thirst for power and she gets this big faction with Edge called La Familia but when Edge cheats on her she sends them and the Undertaker to kill Edge she puts Edge in a Hell in a Cell match and gets him taken out because Undertaker is like you know is the scariest person in the world she knows that Edge is scared of him so Edge did all this to get Vicky Guerrero over as this heel character 
and then you know Vicky glows up into this like heel fucking monster who is probably one of the most important on-screen authority characters for the next five years. Wow. No one, myself included, would have thought, hey, Vicky Guerrero, she's going to be so important going forward for yeah. the careers of so many wrestlers. But So are we going to get a Vicky Guerrero episode? I would love to do a Vicky Guerrero episode. I think she's fucking great. She was one of the first names when I got into wrestling that you mentioned to me. I just love her because she like didn't have a place in wrestling. She was like put into wrestling. There was like no place, no fit for her, and she made one. And like, I don't want to say like Edge gave it everything, but like, how many wrestlers have we talked about where it's like, no, this is me, I'm getting over. Yeah. And who's this guy here who's been given the world championship? He has to be the flagship guy in SmackDown. And we're here, we're going, make sure we get this middle aged woman over as well because this is going to be super important in a few years. <laughs> I just think it's incredible, yeah. you know, that he did all of this. Yeah, Edge was, of course, you know, racking up injuries along this time. You know, we did get to see. A little bit of him with the edge heads as well. Were you shocked to see Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins in their earliest guys? I certainly was because they don't look anything like them. <laughs> I didn't recognise it was them at all. Did you know that they put the, they were put over as, a, as brothers originally? Really? Yeah, because they looked so similar. They, they do, like, yeah. They're the major brothers. They don't anymore. No, they've kind of glowed in separate branches yeah. of the path. Like at the Broski path and the Jabra path. Like. <laughs> so yeah, they had this thing where like literally they... This is so sweet, like... But it's so cyclical. They write Edge this long letter saying, hey, we've got this great idea. Because, you know, you're the top guy and you want to be protected. What if, you you know, me and Ryder were like your doubles? Like kind of you know, Saddam Hussein and all the despots have like, you know, dub- body doubles. And so we'll run in the match and Undertaker will spend time beating us up and you'll be able to get the win. And Edge is like, this is great. And, you know, I just thought of it there. Like Edge, you know, got his first shot. He wrote an essay kind of about why he wanted to be a wrestler. And yeah. then, you know... Say what you will, but once you're signed to WWE in certain points of time, it was no means a guarantee that you're going to get anywhere, modern times included, and Edge was able to help him out. I think it's so fucking cool. Yeah, it's really cool. It's like it's nice just generally in wrestling seeing wrestlers not pull up the ladder behind them, yeah. but to then to deliberately lower the ladder a bit for the next person. And stay on it a little bit to help yeah. them up along the way. That's so, so, so nice. I mean, if you compare Edge's career trajectory where we're talking about here, because... This is not like Edge knows his career is going to end now. Edge probably thinks he's still going to be going for four or five more years. He's doing this stuff while he's the top guy. Mm. Compare that to like, you know, all the other people we've praised. They all did this stuff, yeah, after their you know, their star had kind of faded a bit. And it was time for them to give back. Edge was doing this as he was the top guy. And I think very few top guys can actually say they've done it. He has his last match at WrestleMania 27. It's really scary when they were talking about like he had problems with his nervous system. They showed he was getting a chair shot and he couldn't feel his hands afterwards and they're like look go to wrestlemania see how you get on have a match with del rio you know it'll be fine you know he's a good pair safe pair of hands see how you get on afterwards he says you know the day before he got tested he felt fine during the match he said he didn't feel any pain he felt as good as he'd been felt recently thought okay maybe this thing is 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 gone gone away and it's it's all right because he's nerve damage if you've had a neck problem it's just like so scary he was very good at kidding himself I yeah. think and then he's literally just tapped on the shoulder after his match at Wrestlemania they check him up and it's like uh, yeah doctors come back with more MRIs you have to stop wrestling now not like wind down not like finish off your contract just like you're done so he never really got to do a retirement match or retirement angle or anything no he, his, his retirement match in retrospect was Edge versus Del Rio but Edge was the champion defending against the Royal Rumble winner in the opening match of Wrestlemania like that's not a retirement match that's yeah. like a and we're here this is wrestling we're kicking things off you know, these are these are the top guys so 
yeah, they did like a thing afterwards, which was kind of sweet, where like Christian then said he wanted to become a world champion, and Edge kind of hung around as like his like his corner man, oh, and his, nice. his manager, and he helped Christian become a champion. And I think it was one of those things, much like when Dean Ambrose, John Moxley left, that they kind of didn't know how to say goodbye because Ed said goodbye and then he came back and he said goodbye again and it's like, hey, I'm here with Christian, bye. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot, they had him under contract, the network was coming out so I guess they're going to do the Edge and Christian show but it felt like they were kind of spinning their wheels with him a little bit. Yeah. Like his, his, he did have a retirement angle but it was kind of, it wasn't like the, the ring around and everyone's clapping and it was just off you go into the sunset. He was there and kind of was there for a little bit too long and mm. it wasn't an ideal ride into the sunset. He didn't get the last match, the last angle. Yeah. You know, it kind of overshadowed Christian. You know, Christian didn't win the belt, but kind of overshadowed it a little bit in the end. So oh, that's a real shame. It's not the way you want a career to end. Yeah. And I think this episode would be a big old fucking downer if that was kind of how it was ending now. Yeah. And of course, we talked about you know that, that return at the Rumble. No one thought it was happening. Like SummerSlam, he came back and he speared Elias, and I thought, wow, he's doing something physical. Maybe somewhere down the line, there were rumors. Edge denied all the rumors, of course, because he. He's a big wrestling fan. <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, he tried to get into acting and stuff like that. I don't know if you, you thought that he would be a good fit in that world. I've mentioned so many times that I think he'd be a good actor. Mm. I think he's got such an expressive face. Like, he is one of the best actors in wrestling. And it's what I think immediately appealed to me when he made his return was mm. just his promo was fantastic. He cut yeah. this it's just heart-wrenching promo. It was just so effective. And it just made me immediately think, like, this this guy could be a leading star yeah. of a movie. Like, put him in something. And then you said he's been in a Highlander movie. Oh, yeah, Highlander Endgame, which uh, they had a special five-second pose for him winning an Oscar for Highlander Endgame. He won an Oscar? Uh, no, I think Ed and Christian assumed in their heelishness that right. his cameo role in Highlander 4, straight to video, would get, uh, garner him an Oscar. <laughs> Although it was in the category for the actor totally most reeking of awesomeness, which I believe the Academy dropped uh so yeah that that that's what that is but he did show up and like he did psych he did like vikings a few of those like shows you know i don't think he was ever considered to be a leading man with the kind of much like batista i think he has like a great look in wrestling but i think hollywood will always view him as being like the villain or the sidekick or you know never, he has done some wwe movies i'm pretty sure oh yeah you know maybe we'll check those out sometime that'd be great but like i think the most amazing thing about edge's return is that you know, when someone returns and it makes you excited for them, that's one thing. But when someone returns and just makes you excited for wrestling in general, that's something else. And I think a lot of people at the moment, where we are, the WrestleMania 36 is currently going to be emanating from, uh, you know, a closed set with no audience. Hardly the ideal return match that we want to see. You know, we'll, we'll have an Edge revisited down the line where we'll talk about this. But like, I don't care about WrestleMania, really. I care about, like, Edge as a character going on down the line. He's only going to wrestle three or four times a year. I'm glad to see a part-timer who I'm really invested in, you yeah. know? Don't just wrestle in Saudi Arabia, please. That's my only, my only plea to you. Let's wrestle, you know, the rest of us as well. Yeah, please. Oh, don't give it to the blood money. Yeah, there's perfectly good money that's not blood money yeah. as well here. Like, so I think I would like to see that as well, that, that we have some... Some rest, it's not just Goldberg and Undertaker where it's just for the, the, the Crown Royal family or whatever in Saudi. It's for, for all of us fans because I can tell you from the reaction we've gotten... This is someone who struck a chord. People are so emotional right now about the return of this man. So why don't we check out some of your tweets and your Facebook comments about the rated R superstar, Edge. How am I standing here one day removed from participating in the Royal Rumble? Nine years ago, I was medically disqualified from ever doing this again. 
Oh yeah, I had the same reaction. But I refuse to live in a world of what ifs. The second I ask what if, the very next second I get to work making that what if disappear. You know, and over the years, I started to feel pretty good. And I asked myself, what if? What if I came back home? So I got to work. I got a second neck surgery. And then I busted my ass. I got in the best shape of my life at 46 years old so I could step back in here. So I could step back in here and end my career on my terms. First up on Twitter at HowToWrestling, this one's from Jameis Jones. Edge is the wrestler that got me into wrestling. He was a long-haired dude with a rock star attitude beating up a laptop on Raw. I thought that was dope. I even got the chance to see him wrestle at a house show before he retired, and I will never forget that experience. Awesome. Yeah, I was lucky enough to get to see Edge live as well. Oh, really? 25, where he's involved in the love quadrangle, the love triangle involving the big show, Vicky Guerrero himself and John Cena. Classic times in wrestling, folks. Wow. From Branavan Candia here, Edge is one of the biggest examples of how a heel can be entertaining without being pandering to the audience. Also, I strongly recommend the TLC match with John Cena at Own Forgiven 2006. The feud with Cena is absolutely great. Uh, there's a lot of great matches in there, not just that TLC match. The SummerSlam match is really, really great as well. They had a match on Raw with Mick Foley as the ref, also great. I mean, yeah. Lots of great stuff with Edge and John Cena. Another comment from Branavan Candia, this one on Twitter. Joe, you're crossing the social streams. (laughs) During a very meh time for many long-term fans, Edge was one of the best guys to drag the wagon and step up to be a main eventer. His heel work especially is some of the best in American history. He is the go-to example of a heel not needing to be boring. Yes, absolutely. I think... We were used to, for a long period of time, of the droning heels, and Edge was exciting, like, yeah. just because you didn't know what he was going to do, you know? And he was exciting as a verbal performer and in the ring. I feel like oftentimes we have wrestlers on the show where I'm like, oh, it's, you know, these, these promos are so great, but in the ring it doesn't connect. Yeah. I mean, this guy is a serious one-two punch, because yeah. you, you enjoyed the flair promos, but not the flair matches, and like, or not the flair matches as much, I should yeah. say. But I think the character came across so strongly yeah. in all the matches and all the promos. And he's such a good wrestler. I love the matches we've watched for him. Carlos Nelson Sandoval here. Edge is a part of the reason I'm still watching wrestling. After the Benoit tragedy, I just completely turned out of wrestling for some time. What got me into it was hearing that there was a TLC match between Edge and The Undertaker. Found it online. It was great. Then they had a Hell in a Cell match which was also great. It took me a while to come back fully, but I don't think I ever would have been open to returning as a fan if it wasn't for Edge. There's a lot of people who are saying this guy is bringing them back. Yeah. And it's not just like when you would think like, oh, 06 then. Like this is like someone from there, like 2010, they brought him back. This is from like 2008, they brought him back. Like this is, this is incredible stuff. Like, yeah. He's, he's got a, a serious boomerang quality to him as Edge. And considering these are like the dark times of wrestling, like when wrestling was not considered to be at its best. No, I mean, this is when you were dealing with like, you know, 
malaise with John Cena for the yeah. most part, you know, and uh, malaise with Triple H as well. Malaise and with the women's roster. There's a lot of malaise going yeah. around. Now from Cool Blonde Nerd on Twitter, Edge was my first wrestling crush when he was a weird vampire, so ultimate hunk for me. Always handsome, engrossing and entertaining. Fantastic at being an unlikable heel. Both his retirement and return made me cry in very different ways. I'm delighted to have him back. Yeah, it's great. I mean... There's just times in wrestling when you're just excited about what's going to happen next, and this one is. Free. I don't. I don't want to know what happens next, but I just, you know, I don't want anything spoiled. I'm just excited. My mind kind of drifts to certain wrestlers and certain feuds. Oh, it's really exciting. I mean, Randy Orton, I think, is a great first feud for him to come back to. It's, yeah, I'm uh, really excited for this. Definitely for both of them. I think there's a lot of them to sink their teeth into. So yeah, a, a revisited look back, and I'm, on Patreon, of course. We'll be reviewing this strange WrestleMania that's coming forward and all of our reviews available there on patreon.com slash howtowrestling. While you're from Lewis Muirhead, it's really impressive that as much as Edge the character has changed and grown, but it still feels like he's fundamentally the same person. Like, I think, yeah, I really do agree with that. I think Adam Copeland has grown in the same way that Edge the character has grown. Yeah. But like, I could lay out like bullet points like we did at the start, the different types of characters, but it always felt natural for him to go between each one. I know we've only taken a very brief snapshot of his career, but very few people care about consistency in wrestling. And Edge is like one of the few guys who I would think like when he was partnered up with someone who had a history with, they'd, they'd mention it like, you know, they would they'd make mention of that fact. Like, I love there was a point in like 04, 05, when like, you know, just randomly because they were two heels on the show who were singles guys, Edge and Christian were put together in a tag team. Oh, wow. And like, straight away I was like, Edge and Christian? But, blah, blah, ha, ha. And I was like, this is it, they're back together. But then the story was, is that because they were now both like so focused heels on their own individual shit that they were completely selfish and they ruined the match and <laughs> they, they just wouldn't tag each other and they were just like, no, I got this because I'm the top guy now. Chris is like, no, I'm the top guy now, bro. I got this. And it just... <laughs> I love that, like just little subtle things where wrestlers care about their history because fans care so much and wrestlers mm. very often care almost as little as the promoters do. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from L Bilbo, despite being the most evil man on the roster, Rated R Superstar Edge was my favourite wrestler as a kid. I remember watching the hardcore match with Mick Foley and being in awe. I cried myself to sleep when he retired and nothing makes me happier than seeing him back. Guys, can I just say, everyone out there, it's okay to cry for wrestling. There's a lot of crying in a lot of of these comments we've gotten. Seriously, like, almost everyone was like, yeah, I've cried, like, three times, just generally seeing him. (laughs) I mean, yeah, when I watched it, I had tears in my eyes, and then I thought, I'm watching the Royal Rumble with a tear in my eye! And I was like, oh, shit, that's funny. And then I just kind of got out of the zone. But (laughs) if I'd been on my own, I would have definitely bawled my eyes out. Got one here from Rob Miller. Telling people who watched him during the Attitude Era of all of his accomplishments, titles, and all he achieved after they stopped watching is really something. Somebody who could have easily been a mid-carder or a tag team wrestler his whole career, whose character grew and progressed in a way I think he's one of the few who continually rose and rose to greater heights as his career went on. I really didn't appreciate how good he was until he was gone. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that, like, taken wrestlers for granted, because, like, I saw a lot of people who were kind of like, you know, the last few years, like, yeah, Edge was great, but he was never a top guy because he never connected enough on the microphone. He was never that good in the ring. I was like, don't, stop what? stop kidding yourselves. He was great. Like, just because someone spent a lot of their career being the baddie putting people over doesn't mean they weren't great. Like, he reminds me so much of Ric Flair and his willingness to put other people yeah. over. And so much like Brad Hart and the way that Rob was put here that he started off like, you know, as that normal lower level guy, then kind of a tag guy. 
But like Brett, he kind of found his success and then he struggled and he found bigger success with setbacks on the way. You rarely get that story within the WWE now. Like so many times it's like someone's traveled the world and now they're here in WWE. This guy was from the get-go. There weren't even promotions for him to go to. So yeah, he's a WWE success story, true and true. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Next up from Pumped FX, Edge was one of the first true heels I hated. When he cashed in the money on the bank on Cena after he had just won a gruelling elimination chamber, I was livid. And the live sex celebration is the one all-time great moments from Raw. Anthony Harris, the only man who can tell entire stories purely with facial expressions. I think that's what won me over. I think I said to you 90 times when we were watching stuff, look at his eyes, look at the facial expression. The number of times you rewound it because I was like taking notes and I missed something. You'd be like, quickly have to go back and watch this. And I'd expect it to be like a big move or a top spot. Look at his eyes. Edge looking at something in his eyes. I, I did like that again to start though when it was like let's see him as all these different guises and I'm re-watching the segment with Edge and Seth Rollins where Seth is like I'm gonna break his neck John I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna cripple him you won't be able to look at his kids and then John's like I'll bring back the authority <laughs> and then said like, I'm gonna kill him anyway oh, I'm man. gonna break his neck how good did we have it so <laughs> so good we'll be talking about that the way we talked about some of this stuff here today in yeah. 10 years time let me tell you <laughs> next up from Stephen Muses controversial opinion time Metalingus isn't a good theme his original you think you know me was much better Stephen, i agree yeah i mean metalingus for me that's very much of the cody Rhodes. if the glove fits yeah because i had a tweet that kind of went like a little bit viral recently where i was slagging off cody's i said if cody Rhodes' neck tattoo was a song it would be his theme song yeah and vice versa and people are like, oh how dare you i'm like no i'm not saying it's wrong or it's bad you may hate the tattoo i hate the tattoo I don't but if the glove fits are they say are they criticizing his theme song or his tattoo i think they're criticizing my blistering hot take joe that's all it is so apt though but like edge i mean there's a lot of characters who are like i'm not i'm not gonna put on metalingus but like when he comes out like yeah i i feel i feel the feelings i'm meant to feel it, <laughs> it suits the character you know yeah absolutely to a t now from illis claire his appearance in Highlander Endgame is wasted, but his movie <laughs> Bending the Rules is really not as bad as it could have been. As wrestlers go, he is not the worst actor at all. Plus, all-time best long hair in the W. Ooh, okay. I mean, how many long blonde boys have we had in wrestling? There's Chris Jericho. Jericho. Got Sid, you know. Christian. We're, we, we're having a bit of a, a, an epidemic of long-haired brunette wrestlers at yeah. the moment, like, you know. Uh, we have one here from Andrew H. Behrens. Kevin better cry. <laughs> 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 one here from Joe Del Toro Edge became the most relatable heel ever Vince, DiBiase, Flair etc were over the top characters designed to be heel but Edge made heel very grounded he was every shitty friend rival, mm. boss or colleague we've mm. all dealt with who just had to beat you to prove you wrong to take something away from you and the more he persisted the more he seemed to get away with it it's in my opinion some of the best character and acting work from any wrestler in the modern era it is a, that is an absolutely beautiful tweet that completely encapsulates it there was a relatableness to it because I I mean I said like I was a little fucking you know I was a little frigid kid when the, the Matt Hardy stuff was going on but even still that guy stole his girl yeah that rings true and he got away with it and he's been rewarded for it mm. and then he has that complex then yeah where it's like, 
we you know he he would get the money in the bank every which way like ken kennedy won the money in the bank and then edge just kind of stole it from him in a non-match and then edge just cashed in on the undertaker that was the, <laughs> the cash in i showed on you edge didn't even win that money in the bank ladder oh match. my god and like there was a time where kofi kingston was meant to be in the elimination chamber and this is for the raw side of things edge wasn't this is for like a different brand to edge and, and everyone was like, maybe Kofi might win or have a good showing in the chamber. Edge knocked him out, stole his place, put himself in the chamber and said, I'm in this match now. And then won the world championship. Oh my God. Like you, you would come up to WrestleMania and then you would start thinking, all right, Edge is going to be the champion now. <laughs> and it's not like that because John Cena will win because he always wins. It's yeah. like, what scheme? What will he do? Like, this is like the thing is like, well, if he's going to marry a fucking woman, like you know, a widower to like, you know, and pretend to be in love with her to get ahead, like he would betray everyone and anyone before him. And then that was really cool that you didn't know what was going to happen next. There was a re and I thought it brought out the best in everyone else around him because like you had Edge doing heinous things. And I think heinous things are really important in wrestling because when wrestlers do heinous things, the announcers react and the mm. referees react. And like every scheming little shitty cash in the money in the bank where Edge did it, the referees look at him like, how dare you? Oh, I don't want to do this, but I have to because it's the rules. And Michael Cole, I think, glowed up as an announcer when Edge moved to SmackDown and he had like, Michael Cole had someone to be like, no, this damn him, damn him, <laughs> the ultimate opportunist. Like, I love that that was something that Michael Cole coined as like, as a horrible thing. Yeah. And then the Edge is like, no, I am the ultimate opportunist because <laughs> I will always win. Fucking great. And I kind of like, in a weird way, how his career, like you just said there, like proving himself right. Yeah, he's retired. And of course he's fucking back because he's Edge <laughs> and he'll always win. And I'll just say right now, you think you know him. Wait till this motherfucker turns heel and breaks all your hearts. Because can you imagine the straight fire of this grizzled grey edge being a baddie? I don't think I'm ready for it, folks. I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last one now from 100% Adam. And this is on Twitter. You're going to love this. I've saved it till the end. My first ever live WWE show was Unforgiven 2006. And Edge was the hometown hero, though he was a heel at that time. The chills I had as a young teen watching him against Cena brought me to near tears of joy. He's one of the most versatile characters WWE has ever had. I signed up for a contest he started with a wrestling school where an essay writer would win free training for the best essay. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. Although I didn't win, it is amazing to see somebody who's always willing to give back the opportunity to those who needed a bit of serendipity. I don't know if Adam was aware that... Edge got into wrestling by winning an essay but isn't that so nice that That's he then amazing. he fed it back he, he lowered the ladder behind him he gave those opportunities to those who would come after him I rarely say this at the end of an episode of How to Wrestling without doing a deep sigh and then saying they're a complicated person but he's like a very rare example of an example to us all yeah. in, in wrestling like this is how you want those who are on top to treat those who are below them this is the also the upward mobility and the reward for hard work that you want to see and obviously there's other things that went into it along the way but the humbleness of edge i think and just the sadness of his retirement when you watch that retirement speech a lot of people say it's probably one of the saddest retirement speeches ever and i know i mentioned how it was kind of like quite abrupt and i think that kind of compounded the sadness that was just like i'm i have to go now i'm, I'm gone and like feels like Edge has had a time to actually finally process this. Seeing the Edge in that documentary that was kind of a little bit listless and not sure what was going to do with himself. And he's like, yeah, I'm waking up and I'm happy and I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, you seem really excited now. Yeah. God bless the technology. I Honestly, I'm a, I'm a lifelong... You know, I, I've spent 
most of my academic and working career involved in science in some way, shape, or form. I'm not currently involved in science, but like obviously I'm a big proponent of it. And the fact that we're living in an age now where people like Edge, through technology and the advancements in medical science, can come back, it it really like it's like it almost feels like a way off shoulders of fans. Like to you know that kind of you don't have to feel like kind of guilty for enjoying the things that these people did because Edge is you know if we look back and watch this stuff that we watched with all these ladder matches and stuff and Edge hadn't come back and I just said he retired because of neck issues yeah. at the end would we be having this kind of vibe that we have right now well I think I would have gone on to ask you the question I'm planning on asking you anyway but I imagine the answer would be different mm. what do you think the future holds for Edge <sighs> oh man like do you think he's going to obviously he's he's working on a part-time schedule he's going to be wrestling a few days a year we're seeing three or four matches a year is yeah. what they reckon yeah do you think he's going to get more of a backstage role like a, a production sort of role do you think he's going to help coach wrestlers think, or scout for talent so. he's got so much to give yeah as you said earlier he's skilled both on the mic at giving promos he's great at developing characters and he's fantastic in the ring and not only that but he has best attitude you could hope for for someone like that and that he's been a top guy he knows how the industry works he knows the frustrations of it you know and he wants to help others get to the position that he's been able to reach yeah honestly there's so many people who could be a head trainer or or could shepherd the next generation and like you know there's great people at that performance center WWE have scoured the world and like stolen people you don't even realize of you don't even know who they are like people who WWE wouldn't have even admitted were stars but trained their next stars Edge is like is both of those things. He was a star and he knows how to make stars. I would like hope that there is an involvement with him in the training because I feel like that's kind of like that needs to be glamorized yeah. somewhat. And we talked about in the Gail Kim episode about how it was like, oh, they're going to make you go be a trainer like Jillian. Oh uh, no, like no, it should be an honor. It should yeah, be. it should be. It's it's such an important job. You can't get the fantastic wrestlers that we've had in the past unless you have them continue to train those who are going to be wrestlers in the future. Yeah, as history will teach us again and again, you invest in teaching. You know, you yeah. you'll reap the benefits of that. So I think for me, the future with Edge holds. A number of feuds that I feel he will do at his own pace, his own time. I think there will be a big heel turn, but there'll only be a heel turn when there's a designed opponent. And I think anything further than that that I'll comment on, it'll just get into fantasy booking. But I would like to think, given that Beth is a commentator now, his wife is Beth Phoenix, Hall of Famer, former women's champion, I'd like to think that he will be involved in some capacity. Because I know Beth is involved in like a bit of production and stuff like yeah. that as well now. So I would hope that if Beth is based in NXT and Edge is only part-timer, that he's going to be hopefully doing some NXT stuff. Hey, who knows, maybe we'll be on the new season of Vikings instead. I'd be down for that too. But yeah, it's it's a much different future than like I would have thought before. Because I would have thought before, I don't know, and also I don't care because I don't think like his future would involve anything to do with wrestling. But it just it seems you know? so sad that like, you know, even with a broken neck and the inability to wrestle, like, why would he not be in, as a, in a commentary, commentary role? Or a manager or, or a anything manager. like that. He's so, he's so good at all of it. I'll tell you why, Joe, because I, like, 99% of fans took him for granted. That That's literally it. It's like, kind of, you, you look back, you kind of think, at the time, I remember thinking, well, he's had a grand, long career. I started watching when I was, like, you know, a, a wee little boy. Now I'm, like, you know, I mean, like, Edge retired the year I moved to this country. You know, wow. so kind of like I, I feel very much like I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm, I'm living in a different country. You know, I'm I'm proper grown up. I've got a hairy face and everything. So yeah, he's had a grand long career. So that's it. It's fine. He's done. But like I think just because someone's had a grand long career doesn't mean that they get to go out in the terms they want to. And, and yeah, why do you feel that fans don't 
take why do you feel fans take him for granted as opposed to like other wrestlers like Daniel Bryan who's someone who like fans definitely do not take for granted and you know when he had to retire people were absolutely gutted because the WWE were on Edge's side all the way you know, all the way, really think about it. We're talking about all the kind of hiccups on the road. The broken neck. Yeah, they got you sorted, champ. Don't worry. Big push when you come back. Yeah. You know? He's very much not an underdog. No, he's not an underdog. He's he's grand. Like, Edge is, is, Edge is the guy who's like yeah, a real nice guy and all that, but he's fine. He didn't need... He's, yeah. he's the jock in school, the popular boy that is inexplicably also really nice. Yeah. And everyone gets on with really yeah. well. And you're like, you should hate him because you feel like you're supposed to hate him because he's popular and everyone likes and him. He, he, oh, he's, he's, he's a favourite. Just great. All the teachers like him, and all the students like that's him. That's it. I think that's it with Edge. I think there is a hesitancy to be kind of like he doesn't have that kind of grassroots. Like, oh come on, we have to we have to support Edge. Yeah, or well, no one else will. Because well, if I don't support Daniel Bryan, they won't hire him back. If mm. I don't support Daniel Bryan, he'll never get to live his dream and wrestle again. If I, you know, if I don't support you know any of these wrestlers who I feel don't fit the mold, but Edge is like, well, if I don't support him, Vince McMahon will. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that goes a long way because Edge was never someone who I sat back and I thought, man, what are they doing with him? What, what's going on with him like mm. he was a guy who could just slip into a world championship like a pair of well-worn slacks like you know he, he was he just was a top guy for a long time a top guy who had lengthy runs on multiple brands he had knocking out of the park feuds with batista cena undertaker matt jeff you know he did it with everyone he had nothing to prove pretty much all he has left to prove now is what matches he wants to have. So I think a lot of the reason why people realize they're so happy that he's back is they realize how good he is. Mm-hmm. But I think, yeah, that there was an element of taking him for granted. As there are a lot of wrestlers, but I yeah. think, you know, it's it's because he was a favored guy, but that doesn't take anything away from him. He wasn't shoved down your throats, it felt like Roman Reigns. Mm. Never felt like he was being shoved down your throats. It was for heel heat, and that worked super good. <laughs> I mean, for me, my love of him is reinvigorated. I I'm actually shocked at how you've gotten on with him. Really? Why? Did you not think I'd like him? There's a lot of folks who I just kind of think, well, like, you know, top WWE guy, he'll wrestle his WWE style matches. I thought, well, I mean, like, he'll only... Like, you usually only get drawn in so much by in-ring performance. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of felt that... I was worried that there were so many different facets to his character that by the time we'd been through them all, that you'd be like, who is this fucker? Like, yeah. You I know? think if we'd only done matches... Right, that would have been the case. Yeah. It was seeing the documentary and seeing all the different segments and promos and skits that he did that yeah. kind of really created the world in which he could exist in. Yeah, I was really worried that I was just like kind of like, going, God, I'm just showing Joe random shit from every which way. But I just felt like, look, this shows you how versatile that he was mm. and all that. So, yeah, I'm somewhat shocked that you enjoyed it because looking at your match ratings, I think these are the highest average ra- match ratings for a wrestler on this show, like, ever, yeah, possibly. could well be. <laughs> At some point, I need to go through and collate all my match ratings. Yeah, hey, if you're someone who's been following along and doing that, if you love data, if you're a, <laughs> if you're a sports head, you know, let us know at Howdy Wrestling. And hey, thanks very much for listening to this episode of Howdy Wrestling. And as always, if you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, or Spotify, leave us an old rating or review or leave a recommendation to a friend who may be looking for some new long-form podcasts in this trying time we find ourselves in. Joe! Now, we all know that you're doing over on Patreon some nice Q&A videos now. I certainly am. Full-length, hour-long videos of Joe, Q&A, having lots of fun, good times. I can't guarantee they'll all be an hour. Oh, sorry. I'm not selling them as, like, an hour-long Q&A. It's just they happen to have been an hour long so far. It's a decent chunk, like. Yeah. It it ain't ain't a quick Insta blog. You're sitting down, rolling up your sleeves. It's no Insta story. That's available, of course, to all $10 backers on Patreon. And I know that folks are having 
hard times at the moment people are able to still support us or people who are opting to support us during you know obviously it's, it's a hard time for us as well we really appreciate all our backers who've stuck by us or, or those who have opted to join us during this time to kind of you know get through some of that extra content that might be there if you have a couple of thousand hours to spare so we really appreciate <laughs> all of the support during these times folks it's really really great but joe you've been involved in something else in the world and uh, maybe want to tell the how to universe all about us yes yeah, so for the last two years i've been secretly involved in a new podcast called Subcultured, where me, Jake Brennan, Jacob Abbott, and Ben Hymans all look at the various subcultures across the globe. Our first episode was on Vor. Yep, that's right, Vor. Yeah, baby. Our second episode was on Preppers, and our third episode, which came out last week, was on Juggalos. And we're really uh... excited to cover all the various subcultures that exist. We've got some really interesting topics. I want to spoil anything. But it's going to get weird. It's going to get freaky. And I'm just really, really hyped for everyone to join in. Yeah, thanks for everyone who's been listening so far. I mean, some lovely feedback. And I've been enjoying hearing what you guys have been laying down with the subcultures. It is available on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Just search for Subcultured Podcast and you can find it. We're on Twitter at Subcultured Cast. Leave us a rating or review if you enjoy it. And we're just really happy to have you with us. Yeah, yeah. And introduce some subcultures into your podcast diet to get you between those big chunks of wrestling am i right yeah i think we need it (laughs) (laughs) hey next episode is one that was was deferred uh because it was going to happen this time but then this guy decided to come and make a big return and we thought all right we're gonna have to bump him so unfortunately hopefully you will not be too upset with us the next episode is going to be how to taz and I am very excited to talk to Joe about the man from Red Hook, Brooklyn, New York. The man with the short temper and the man with the fucking thighs that can give a suplex to the entire universe. He's going to choke you out on the 13th. And Joe, you're going to learn all about this man who was a killer in ECW, who was a commentator in WWE and TNA, and a persistent part of my childhood in so many different guises. This guy is versatile in a way that you may not have thought. We'll be heading back to the land of extreme, but also into WWE and TNA for some commentary moments as well. So if you have any match ratings, shoots, stories, interviews, funny moments or recommendations for Joe to check out all about the man who was known as the Tasmaniac, let us know in the comments below. We heard a little bit about Taz in the ECW episode, if yep. you recall. So. The only thing I really remember about Taz was actually in our Gail Kim episode where he's on commentary. And he... <laughs> yeah, you brought this up like every time yeah. we've watched wrestling since. Yeah, and he mentions that women have crazy hormones, unlike men who don't have hormones. So folks, join me in this uphill struggle to explain the appeal of the human suplex machine to Joanna, the human podcasting machine. <laughs> <laughs> Let us know all of your match thoughts, recommendations, and feelings using the hashtag HowToTaz. Now, is that Taz with one Z or two? Let's go with HowToTaz with one Z. Same because that's how he was known originally in ECW. The two Zs is the WWE version of it. So let's go Taz one Z. That'll be easy. We will probably end up checking the second one because that will. <laughs> Taz with three Zs, you're out of here. Yeah. Taz with no Zs, that's HowToTaz. That's a different thing. That's <laughs> not happening for a long time. So yeah, we're really excited about this one because I've got a lot of feelings on Taz and I don't know if I can get all my ducks in a row because I feel, depending on the day a week you sit me down, I'll be like, he's the most fucking badass 
real man in wrestling ever. And other times I'd be like, this fuck, look at this idiot. Listen, look what he's going to say now. Look what he's going to say. Yeah, look at him say it. I think if you look at any of the content from the Out of podcast about Taz, it may color your views on the gentleman. So I will need your help from the ECW especially, folks. And hey, if there are any matches with Taz as a commentator, you think he really stands out and does a great job, or just maybe like an era from SmackDown that we could maybe pop on a show so Joe can watch and listen, because I want Joe to know all about Joey numbers and all the things like goozles. This all has to happen. Recommendations for commentary, please, because we can't zone them all out, Joe. And uh, he's got a very unique voice in the world of wrestling, and I can't wait for you to hear it. <laughs> you look somewhat trepidatious. I about am. It. I am. No, I'm sure it'll be good. I'm sure it'll be really fun. Yeah, artwork looks looking on points there. Oh, the artwork is gorgeous. You can check that out, as well as a back catalogue of all the episodes, fabulous articles, all that available from HowToWrestling.com. Your home for all of How To Wrestling. And hey, thank you everyone for joining us. For this special episode looking at the Rated R Superstar, I feel like I've learned a lot about Edge, so I assume you've learned something as well. I've learned so much. I feel my brain is just exploding full of Edge right now. Joe, final question then. Do you think you know him? Oh, yeah. Uh, mm, I think I know some about him. <laughs> well, the story continues as always. We'll always revisit this as we do all of our episodes at patreon.com slash wrestling. Until next time, it's a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. We'll see you at How To Taz. Tweet me if you can. Make it on to the episode if you use the hashtag on How To Wrestling. See ya.